How are you doing? Are you not going on that side?
Yeah. 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 That's it comes with motorcycles now. Put a sign on. Oh, he doesn't know what that is. He's afraid of the camera. He's like, what is that? Look at these. That's so cute. He got scared of the microphone. He's like, what is that, an animal? You know, in a dog's head, maybe he thinks it's like a dog. out the front and it's not gonna come out front anymore. They don't. It's because they just keep rewarding him with like paparazzi and everything. Camille, yeah, I'm yeah. Ben Chow. So they all go to the back now. Yeah, but you gotta appreciate your fans. I really think so. I think it's kind of like um, a mean move to do that. It's like you're just getting love. All you gotta do is just say hi for one second and get in the car. You know, like just appreciate your fans a little bit more. Outside all day. I just really hope there was yeah. actually an Amber Heard fan here yesterday months. and I had a little discussion with him. He said, You're not listening. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, sorry. You're not listening. Oh, Willie, it's okay. You're scared of your thing. He's scared of this thing. Yeah, yeah that. That's the reason like you. Oh, he doesn't know what that is. Pure, pure dog love. Stop it. 
Oh, is it? Where are you from? Where? Oh, okay, cool. Those are the ones I like. They're his uh, legal team. He came to, <laughs> to help out well, with their ties and everything. Thank you. Johnny, 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 Johnny,
Ich hab hier auch meine Party. Wo steckt die denn? My birthday's tomorrow. I drove two hours to see Sehr schön. Ich, ich hab auch was dabei. Ich hab auch was dabei. Sehr, sehr geil. Wie viele habt ihr? Wie viele habt ihr? Hey, Lutscher! Cheers, cheers, cheers! Noch sechs Wochen, dann bin ich dabei. Noch sechs Wochen, dann bin ich dabei wieder. Ja. Die Einstieg Schnäpse vor allem, jawohl. Aber nur mit Strohhalm. <lacht> Und keiner von euch ist älter geworden. So geil. <lacht> Viel Spaß. Okay, bye bye.
right today is the day. Thanks for that. No, we can
alles. Anything?
give it my damn time.
Preliminary matters at this time? Okay, sure. If you want to come forward. Okay, thank you. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. All right, have your seat. All right, your next witness. Uh, we call Dr. Richard Gilbert. Dr. Gilbert. Do you solemnly swear or affirm to testify truthfully in this case in the penalty of law? I do. 
Good morning, sir. Good morning. Good morning, Dr. Gilbert. Good morning. Would you please state your name for the record? Richard Stephen Gilbert. And what is your occupation? I am an orthopedic surgeon and I have a subspecialty training in surgery of the hand and upper extremity. Dr. Gilbert, where do you work currently? I currently work in New York and Long Island at Northwell Health. And you mentioned you have a specialty. Can you tell us a little bit more about what your specialty is? So after medical school, I trained in orthopedic surgery and I did an orthopedic surgery residency. And for a year thereafter, I did a hand and upper extremity sur surgery resident fellowship. And so my, my practice for the past 22 years has been limited to surgery of the hand, wrist, and elbow. And I think you may have gotten ahead of me there, but how, how long have you been practicing? 22 years. Okay. What percentage of your practice over the past 22 years has involved surgery? Approximately one-third of my practice. Okay. And other than that one-third that involves surgery, what does the rest of your practice entail? The rest of my practice entails uh, some academic work, but mostly uh, seeing patients in the office, seeing them either pre- or post-operatively. A large portion of hand surgeons uh, treat patients non-operatively. In terms of the surgeries that you do, can you describe for us um, the, the types of surgeries that you will perform? So again, I, I limit my practice to hand, wrist, and elbow. I would say approximately 75% or so of my practice is limited to the, to the hand itself. And this really varies from anything from conditions like carpal tunnel syndrome to tendonitis to injuries such as amputations, fractures, sharp lacerations, etc. Over the course of your 22 years of practice, how many surgeries would you estimate you've performed? I, I perform about three to 400 surgeries a year, so a rough estimate would be approximately uh, 10,000, maybe a little less. Where are you currently licensed? In New York. And how long have you been licensed in New York? I have been licensed in New York since 1994, so that would be uh, 28 years. And do you have any certifications? Yes. And can you tell us about those? Uh, I am board certified by the American Board of Orthopedic Surgery, and I have a certificate of added qualifications in surgery of the hand from the American Society for Surgery of the Hand. When did you receive your board certification? 2002. And can you describe for us what current positions you hold? I am currently a, an assistant professor of orthopedic surgery at Northwell Health, and I'm also the president-elect of the New York Society for Surgery of the Hand. In what professional organizations are you a member? I'm a member of uh, multiple orthopedic uh, organizations, including the American Board of Orthopedic Surgery, the American Association of Orthopedic Surgery and the American Society for Surgery of the Hand as well as the New York Society for Surgery of the Hand. Have you published any articles in your field? Yes, I have. Have you testified as an expert before? 
Yes, I have. Can you ballpark for us how many times? Uh, certainly less than 10 over the past 22 years. Your Honor, at this time, we'd like to offer Dr. Gilbert as an expert in the field of orthopedic surgery, specializing in the hand. All right, any objection? No objection, Your Honor. So moved. So, Dr. Gilbert, what work were you asked to do in connection with this case? So I was asked to review uh, medical records, radiographs, pictures, as well as testimonies and depositions related to Mr. Depp's finger injury. Okay. And to your understanding, what is Mr. Depp's explanation of how his finger was injured? He describes that he was in Australia and his right hand was over the side of a bar uh, when a vodka bottle was thrown at his hand, injuring his right middle finger. And he describes that the vodka bottle exploded. Are you aware of other explanations for that injury? Uh, there have been multiple other explanations, uh, but I think the the one that was was brought out was by Miss Hurd, who uh, believed that he, Mr. Depp was holding a landline and at the anger was uh, punching it against the wall, and this resulted in his right middle finger injury. Based on your review of the medical records um, and other documents in connection with Mr. Depp's finger injury, how would you describe the nature of the injury to Mr. Depp's finger? Well, the nature of the injury was uh, he had what we describe as a comminuted fracture of the distal phalanx, meaning there was a fracture of the tip of the finger, and comminuted meaning that there were multiple pieces. So this is some type of blunt force with a high mechanism of injury. He also sustained loss of the tissue along what's called the ulnar side of the finger towards the little finger. Uh, and this uh, appeared, based upon my review of the pictures, to be some type of sharp laceration because it, it represented a clean edges of the wound. Can we take a look at Plaintiff's Exhibit 60? And pull up to go go to page three. And Dr. Gilbert, are you familiar with this document? Yes. And, and what is it? So these are two radiographs, X-rays of Mr. Depp's fingers, finger, his middle finger. Okay. Um, um, sorry, just to stop you, but uh, Your Honor, may we publish this to the jury as a demonstrative? Any objection? All right, we'll identify it as 60, page 3, and publish to the jury. And Dr. Gilbert, sorry, sorry to cut you off oh, there. Okay. Can, can, you, can you just tell, tell the jury um, what we're looking at here in, so in this x-ray? Two x-rays of uh, Mr. Depp's right middle finger after the injury, and towards the tip of the finger, there's a fracture, uh, again, what I described as a comminuted fracture, meaning there are multiple pieces at the tip, there's also a transverse component to the fracture closer to the joint. In your view, what types of mechanisms can cause this sort of injury? So this is a, a mechanism of injury that has high velocity or force, generally a crush-type injury. 
a simple fall would not result in a comminute fracture such as is seen in these x-rays. And we, we're using the term comminuted fracture. Can we just define that quickly for us? So again, comminuted, and it's not particular to a finger, can, is, is a medical term for a fracture that has multiple fragments. In your opinion, could this injury have been sustained in the manner Mr. Depp described? I do believe so. And how might that work? How, how might a thrown vodka bottle produce an injury like this? So vodka bottle, which is a hard object, uh, would have crushed the tip of the finger, resulting in the comminuted fracture. And in addition, as the vodka bottle broke, the uh, glass would have lacerated the finger, resulting in the soft tissue loss that was also seen with this injury. What's your assessment of the description of the cause of the injury offered by Ms. Hurd? <clears throat> I think that's highly unlikely. And why is that? Uh, because one, uh, in general, when uh, an injury is caused by punching against a wall or a hard, hard object, it is extremely rare to see an injury to the tips of the fingers, which is seen with Mr. Depp's injury. Generally, you're holding something with a fist, and that in general leads to injuries most commonly of the knuckles here, um, or fractures of the metacarpals. We call these boxer fractures. Second most common after those would be injuries to these, but as you can see, if you're holding something and make, hitting against something, it is very unlikely that the tips of the fingers will be injured. In addition, just uh, taking into account the radiographs and the pictures of the injury, um, I would not believe that a, a blunt force, solely a blunt force against a, a wall would result in the soft tissue loss. What other injuries, if any, would you expect to see uh, on Mr. Depp's hand uh, if the injury had occurred as, as Ms. Heard described? So if you would have, if that were the cause of the injury, you would certainly, that would be a dorsally directed, so this is a dorsal in the back of the hand as opposed to the palmer side. So if you're punching against something, you would certainly expect an injury to the nail bed, and those are always seen in those type of injuries. If there is an injury to the tip of the finger, which again I said is rare. So you would see either a loss of the nail or blood underneath the nail called a subungual hematoma. In your review of the medical records, did you see any sign of anything like that? None whatsoever. In your view, is the injury can you tell can you explain to us exactly why you think the injury um, is consistent with mr. Depp's description well again his hand he describes his hand being held um, over a marble bar which is a firm uh, something firm unyielding and the bottle hit against the finger so Basically, the finger was crushed, resulting in, again, what I described as a comminuted fracture. And as Mr. Depp described, the bottle exploded. So uh, it's certainly reasonable that the, the glass that exploded as well uh, led to the soft tissue loss along the ulnar aspect of his finger. Okay. Now, did you observe the testimony of, of Dr. Uh, Richard Moore? Yes, I did.
And she testified about Mr. Depp's finger injury as well. Correct. Did you agree with Dr. Moore's testimony? Certain parts of his testimony I did, yes, but not all of it. Focusing on the parts that you, well, first of all, why don't you tell us what you agree on? Well, I agreed in terms of his interpretation of the x-rays, saying that he had a comedative fracture and this was some type of high force injury. Okay. What did you disagree with? Well, I disagreed with several things that he said. He first said that he does not believe that the mechanism of injury could be, as described by Mr. Depp, holding the hand on the side of a marble bar because he said it was all a Palmer injury and there was a Palmer component to the injury. I'm talking about the soft tissue loss, but there was also a dorsal, meaning the back of the finger. So the soft tissue loss was actually, if you looked at the pictures which were shown when Dr. Moore testified, the injury goes like this. So it's an angled or an oblique type injury. And there's no way that anybody could determine whether or not it was a Palmer directive force, meaning from the palm side, or dorsally directive force. But certainly either are plausible. Okay. Anything else come to mind that you disagreed with? Well, he also described that this was definitive. Well, he thought that this was a pinching or what he described as an avulsion type injury. And that's referring to the soft tissue loss. That's certainly possible, but if you look at the pictures that were shown when he testified, the laceration looked fairly clean. There were clean edges. It was not jagged. And generally when you have an avulsion or a pinch type injury, you see a very irregular border to the skin. It's pinched off, you can imagine, as opposed to something that's cleaner that would be lacerated by, let's just say, a piece of glass or a knife or whatever. And that's more consistent with the pictures of Mr. Depp's injury. And we're using the term soft tissue loss. And just to make sure we're on the same page, can you just tell very quickly what you're referring to there? Right. So there were two components to this injury. One, the fracture of the bone. And two, he had loss of the soft tissues so that the bone was exposed. So that amputated part that was found at the bar. Now, you were saying that Dr. Moore testified that this was an avulsion, meaning a pinching injury, right? Correct. Why do you believe it's more likely that it was a laceration? Well, again, in general, a pinch type injury results in one much more damage to the remaining tissue, but the remaining tissue is usually very irregular. The borders are jagged. And that's not what was depicted in the pictures. Dr. Moore also testified that he thought a vodka bottle might not have sufficient force to cause the injury here. Is that your understanding of his testimony? Correct. What's your response to that? I certainly believe that a vodka bottle that was thrown from a distance against a hand that was resting on a marble bar is more than sufficient force to result in this fracture and soft tissue loss. Now, in looking at the medical records and the pictures of Mr. Depp's hand, what was the condition of his nail? 
There was no injury to the nail. And other than what you've already told us, how, how does that factor into your analysis, if at all, the fact that there was no injury to the nail? Well, it, it, it makes it highly unlikely that the mechanism of injury described by Ms. Heard uh, resulted in this injury because you really would, would always see an injury to the nail and or nail bed. Do you have any opinion regarding the direction of the injury? Well, it, it's certainly based upon the soft tissue loss. It's an angled injury or what we call a medically an oblique injury because the soft tissue loss is at an angle. He lost some of the tissue on the back of the finger as well as the palm side, primarily along the palm side. But other than that, you can't make any assumptions. Um, unless you saw a videotape of this injury, no, nobody could tell you definitively what the direction of the injury was. Dr. Moore also commented on the absence of fragments of broken glass in Mr. Depp's injury. Uh, do you remember that? Yes, I do. And how does the absence of glass fragments factor into your analysis? It really doesn't. Um, I've seen hundreds, if not probably at least 500 or, or more glass injuries, and I would say probably the majority you don't see glass in, in these injuries. Um, it is much more common to see glass embedded in the wounds when you're talking about very fine glass. So if, uh, to say, a, a wine glass would explode or something of that nature where you get little tiny shards, but in general, when you have thick glass, such as you see in a bottle or, um, or a pane of glass, uh, you generally don't see, because they bake, break into bigger pieces, and you generally don't see the glass. But um, you certainly can, but it's not surprising that you don't. Can you definitively state how this injury occurred? No. I, nobody can definitively state. Okay. I have no, no further questions, Your Honor. All right. Cross-examination. Thank you, Your Honor. Good morning, Dr. Gilbert. Good morning. Now, you're, you're being paid $1,000 an hour for your work on this case, correct? Correct. And you agree, just to, to sum up how Mr. Moniz finished, you agree that, that the finger injury could, be, could have been caused by any number of things, right? Yes. And you're not offering an expert opinion on what you believe caused the finger injury, correct? Correct. And you're aware, you said a few times, Ms. Hurd's account or Ms. Hurd's explanation, right? You remember saying that? Yes. You're, you're actually aware that, that Amber has said she didn't, doesn't know how he lost his finger. You're aware of that, right? Yes. So when you were just talking about Ms. Hurd's account or Ms. Hurd's explanation, you're aware she's, she's never actually given an explanation for how she thinks he lost his finger, correct? No. You're aware that Ms. Hurd testified, and this is from your deposition, you're, you're aware that she testified she doesn't know how he got his fingertip chopped off. You're aware of that, right? Ask him to answer, Your Honor. No, I'm not. I reviewed the records, and in one of the testimonies that I, depositions that I reviewed, um, it was described that, um, that potentially it was lost uh, when he was punching against the wall with a phone. And, and on that, <clears throat> the, the, the last point there, I think we agree. Ms. Hertz testified 
in this trial and previously that she saw him smash a phone to smithereens, a wall phone. You'd agree with that, correct? Correct. But she doesn't know if that was what caused him to lose his finger. You agree with that, correct? I, I agree. I cannot speak for her, but yes. Okay. May I approach your arm? Yes, sir. Thank you. Dr. Gilbert, um, you gave a deposition in this case on March 17th, correct? Correct. You were under oath in that deposition. You swore correct. to tell the truth, correct? Correct. Okay, if you could turn to page 61, please. <clears throat> you see there are four, four pages per page of paper. It's on page 16 of the document. Okay. Okay, and line nine. Um, you're asked a question, and then Amber's response to that question, that's the line nine. Can you read that, please? Answer, I do not know. I did not see his finger go off. Question, and Dr. Gilbert, are you aware that Amber did not see Mr. Depp's finger go off? Answer, I mean, I'm aware that, well, I'm aware from reading, I am from reading this. I'm aware of the mechanism that she claimed would cause the finger injury. Question, but have you read anything so far that indicates she doesn't know how the finger injury happened? Answer, so far from what I'm reading here, yes. Did I read that right? Yes. And you've heard no testimony in this trial from Ms. Hurd that the finger injury was definitively caused by the phone, so that she doesn't know, correct? Correct. And you'd agree that the fingernail was uninjured, you said that, right? Correct. And the nail bed was uninjured? Correct. Correct. But the area under the fingernail in the pulp of the finger, that's where the injury took place, right? It was not isolated to the pulp, no. But it didn't injure the fingernail, that's my Correct. question. Correct, okay. yes. And under Mr. Depp's alleged theory, Amber threw a vodka bottle at him from 10 feet away or so, right? Correct. And you testified you have no way to determine the angle that the bottle was coming from. Correct. Right? But she threw it on a downward tra trajectory, correct? She didn't, there's no allegation, you've never read anything that she somehow underhanded it so it came up to his finger, right? Correct. And there's no way to tell, as you testified, what exact direction it came from, right? Correct. And the glass exploded, but you've already testified there was no glass in the wound, right? Correct. You now haven't read any record of that in any medical records, correct? Correct. You also haven't read anything about there being cuts on the rest of his hand, right? Correct. And there was no glass found anywhere on the rest of his hand, correct? Correct. No bruising or injury on any other part of his hand other than the tip of his middle finger. Correct. And somehow, under Mr. Depp's theory, that bottle hit the bar and his fingers, but didn't damage the fingernail while it amputated the area under the nail. Correct? Correct. And your explanation of that is that you believe that his hand must have moved at some point during the force of the injury. Isn't that correct? No, I said it could have, but I, I did not say that it did. No, you, you, you believe that it did, don't you? I said that it likely did, but I was not there, and I don't have videotape of the injury, so okay. I can't determine that definitively. Okay. Well, <clears throat> let's turn to page 25 of your deposition, please, on page 7. <laughs> Thank you. 
I'm sorry, page? Page 25 and 26. So it's, it's page 7 of the document. Okay. Sorry if I was unclear on that. No problem. <clears throat> I'm there. Okay. Um, line 18, question, and to be clear, by, quote, sitting in that position, you mean hand down, Palmer side down. Answer, that's what he claimed. I mean, according to the history, yes. Question, and would it matter if Mr. Depp's hand was Palmer side down? Answer, not really, because it really, and I discussed this, it really just depends upon the angle at which the injury occurred, and as well, you can't determine if his hand had moved at some point during the force of the injury, which I believe it probably did, which I didn't get into in my note here, but question, and why do you believe that? Have you read anything in any of the materials to suggest that? Answer, no. Just that if it completely hit on the back of the finger, then he would have had a nail bed injury, which he did not. Did I read that right? Correct. That was testimony you gave under oath a month or two ago, right? Correct. So even though you have never read anything that suggests Mr. Depp's hand moved, his hand moving is the only way that you can fit your testimony into what Mr. Depp wants you to testify to about how the injury occurred, isn't it? No, that's incorrect. Okay. That's what you testified to, that if, if his hand hadn't moved, that there would be a nail bed injury, correct? That is incorrect. That's not what I testified. That's In fact, not what Dr. Gilbert, there's another explanation for how Mr. Depp somehow suffered an injury that didn't injure his nail one bit, but injured underneath the nail. And that explanation is that it didn't happen how Mr. Depp says it did. Correct? I cannot make that assumption, nor can you. No further questions. Thank All you. right. Redirect. Dr. Gilbert, just very briefly, the absence of other cuts on Mr. Depp's hand, how do you factor that into your analysis? You certainly can see an isolated finger injury with any type of injury, and I would say any other host of mechanisms of injuries, you'd more likely see other, so again, if you're, I'm just using this as an example, if you're punching against a wall, you would more likely see multiple injuries to multiple fingers. It really just depends upon how the bottle or how the, the, the mechanism of the injury uh, impacted the hand at that point in time. Ms. Hurd's counsel made a point of emphasizing that there were no bruises or other injuries on the hand, right? Correct. And how, how does that fact uh, affect your analysis, if at all? Well, it, it doesn't discount anything, but it certainly makes uh, other potential causes of injury more unlikely, meaning punching against the wall or getting the hand slammed in a door or something like that. And your discussion of Ms. Hurd's explanation of the uh, alternative cause of the injury. Was that based on anything other than Ms. Hurd's statements? No. No further questions, Your Honor. All right, thank you. Doctor, you can have a seat in the courtroom or you're free to go. Thank, thank you. You. Uh, you can just leave it there, that's fine. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, your next witness. Plaintiff rest, Your Honor. All right, plaintiff rest the rebuttal case, all right. 
defendant counter plaintiff rebuttal case? Sure. All right, rebuttal evidence. Yes, Your Honor. Mr. Murphy? We call Mr. Julian Ackert. All right. Mr. Ackert? Yes, please. Good morning. Good morning. Can you please state your name? Julian Ackert. And can you please describe your educational background following high school? I have a Bachelor of Science in Computer Science from the University of Virginia. What is your profession? I am a computer forensics investigator. Where are you employed? I work for a company called iDiscovery Solutions, or IDS. And what is your title? I'm a managing director at that company. What services does IDS perform? IDS provides consulting, expert testimony, forensic analysis, data analysis, electronic data review and production services, all to the business and legal community. What, if any, of those services performed by IDS have you performed? I perform all of those services. How many years of experience do you have in computer forensics investigation? I've worked in the industry for 20 years. Can you please describe that experience to the jury? I have experience creating and implementing data preservation and collection strategies, doing data collections in a forensically sound manner, extracting data from collections, as well as analysis and metadata analysis of the evidence that I extract. You mentioned collecting data from forensic collections. What material are you forensically imaging? This would be any type of material that stores digital evidence, an iPhone, an iPad, a tablet, a laptop, a cloud account, your Gmail account, anything that has digital evidence. Have you published in your areas of expertise? Yes, I've published on data preservation and collection and analysis strategies. Have you ever given any trainings or presentations to other individuals in the e-discovery area? Yes, I have. I do trainings and presentations to lawyers through continuous learning education. What, if any, professional certifications do you have? I have a GEAC, G-C-F-E, that's the GEAC Certified Forensic Examiner Certification. And what were the requirements of obtaining that certification? To obtain that certification, you need a minimum number of hours in the field, as well as you need to pass a test with a certain degree of, a certain percentage of passing. Do you belong to any professional organizations? I do. I'm a member of a conference called the Sedona Conference. It's a conference that is a group of legal professionals, judges, and technologists, and we discuss the intersection of law and technology and technology issues in the legal community. Have you previously served as an expert witness? Yes, I have. And when did you first serve as an expert witness? I believe that would have been around 2009 was the first time I served. Have you previously been qualified as an expert witness in the field of computer forensics? Yes, I have. I've been qualified probably a half dozen to a dozen times in both federal and state court, including this court right here. And has a court ever declined to qualify you as an expert witness? No, they have not. Your Honor, I offer Julian Acker as an expert in the field of computer forensics. No objection, Your Honor. All right, so moved. Could you just spell your last name for me, Mr. Acker? Ackert, A-C-K-E-R-T. Thank you so much, sir. 
Mr. Ackert, what is forensic imaging? Uh, forensic imaging is the process of capturing the data on a digital device in a forensically sound manner. And how is a forensic copy created? Uh, using specialized software that's available to forensic investigators, we're able to collect the data from devices. And that software may vary depending on the device, like a phone or a, or a laptop. What type of information does a forensic image collect? It's meant to really collect everything on the device. So for example, on a laptop, it's going to collect your documents, your emails, your photographs, your uh, documents like Excel spreadsheets, PDF files, any applications that you ran, uh, the, the history of what you've opened or looked at on the laptop, as well as all of the metadata for these different types of electronically stored information files. And does any other information accompany that information that's collected? Uh, typically with a forensic image, you're also going to get log files. Log files are files that help you validate the forensic image and uh, verify that it was a forensically sound data collection. And how do log files enable you to do that? Uh, log files list information within the files. Uh, sometimes they're even embedded within the images themselves, but they provide verification information that allows you to authenticate the image and the data on the image. What is the purpose of creating a forensic image of devices or data? In order to extract and analyze data forensically for the courts, you need to create a forensic image of the data first and gather the, forensic, uh, gather the data from the forensic image. And what, if any, specific types of data are collected in that image and extraction? Uh, it's going to be any type of data that comes from the image, whether you're extracting photographs or documents or spreadsheets or anything of that nature. Do you recall Mr. Neumeister mentioning the term hashing yesterday? I do. What is that? Hashing is essentially the, a digital fingerprint of a file. It's an evaluation of the binary ones and zeros, or how the file is stored on a hard drive, and it examines the ones and zeros in a manner that gives every file a digital fingerprint, essentially, and identifies the uniqueness of the file. And what, if any, applicability does hashing have to the visual appearance of data? Uh, hashing has nothing to do with the visual appearance. For example, if I had a Word document that I printed and then saved, therefore I haven't visually changed the Word document, the metadata of that Word document indicating that I printed it would be different, and therefore that Word document would not hash to the version that I that used before printing. Can you give any examples of digital photographs that visually appear the same, not hashing? Uh, I believe Mr. Neumeister included three of those in his demonstratives yesterday, three side-by-side -side photographs that uh, looked visually the same but did not hash. Uh, it made sense that they wouldn't hash. Each of them had different file sizes. And a file size can change for a photograph depending on what you do with the photograph. So for example, maybe you want to take that photograph and email it to somebody, and on your phone, uh, you choose to use a small, medium, or large, or different size of the photograph when you email. When you send that email with that photograph, you've changed the hash value because you've changed the ones and zeros because you've changed the size of the photograph. And what, if anything, do you recall from Mr. Neumeister's testimony regarding Photos 3? Uh, Mr. Neumeister was concerned about a particular metadata field, EXIF metadata, which there's two types of metadata for files. There's the embedded metadata, which is what we're discussing here, the EXIF metadata, and external metadata. And Mr. Neumeister was concerned with embedded metadata within the file that indicated that the software version that the file last ran through was Photos. What is Photos 
3.0? Photos is actually the software application that's built into the Apple Macintosh operating system for laptops. Uh, this is the application that launches by default when you're on an Apple computer and use Photos. What are the capabilities of Photos 3.0? There's multiple capabilities for it. You can, for example, create an album with it and put multiple photos within an album. You can uh, organize or sort your photos by date and time taken or place. Uh, you can also use that to edit photos. You mentioned metadata earlier. What is that? Uh, metadata is information about a file. For example, with a document, it could be when was the document created or last saved or who saved it, who was the author of the document. For photographs, metadata includes information that you've seen on demonstratives before, included, including when was the image taken, what kind of phone took the image, what software was originally used for that image. Uh, any type of information inside the photograph, the EXIF data that you've heard, is metadata. Did you form any opinions in response to Mr. Neumeister's testimony regarding Photos 3.0 appearing in a software EXIF metadata field? Yes, I did. And what are those? Uh, my opinion is that for each of the photos that he identified, for all but one in his demonstrative, I actually found the equivalent original photo that did not have photos in the EXIF metadata. In other words, those are the photos that he was uh, indicated he would have expected to see the iOS or the phone software version on those photos. How do you know it is an original version of the photograph? Uh, this, is, this is a little bit dependent on the Apple ecosystem. Uh, Amber uses Apple devices. And those devices, by definition of how Apple works, synchronize your information from device to de device. So for example, if you take a photo on your phone, you see that same photo on your tablet or your iPad or your iCloud account or even your MacBook. And that's all because of user experience. Apple wants you to be able to see and visually have the same experience on all your devices. So the photo that was originally taken traverses or gets synchronized to other devices by design of Apple. And that synchronization process does not affect the metadata that we're talking about here, which is the embedded metadata. When you say that a version of iOS software was listed in the software exit metadata field, what does that mean? Uh, that means that the photo was not saved using the Photos application. And what, if any, data sets did you use to come to that conclusion? I used all of the data sets that I collected or were collected for uh, Amber, including mobile devices, tablets, laptops, etc. Um, Michelle, can you please pull up Defendant's Exhibit 1671? Um, do you recognize this chart, Mr. Eckert? I do. What is it? Without, without yet saying what it, the contents, just generally, what is it? Uh, this is a chart I created as part of my report. Your Honor, permission to publish Defendant 671 is a demonstrative. Any objection? No objection, Your Honor. All right. It'll be published as a demonstrative. Um, Mr. Acker, can you please describe in more detail what the information in this chart is? Michelle, if you could just stay at the top, top for a quick second. A little further up. Great. Thank you. Uh, this chart represents uh, for each of the items in Neumeister's report, which his demonstrative was based on, the page number of uh, the item on his report and the, ID, the items that I found on Ms. Hurd's devices that did not indicate the software metadata field showing photos. Rather, they indi indicated that they were the original software metadata field of iOS. 
And do you see the second column titled Neumeister Report Date Capture? Yes, I do. What information in that column mean? Uh, this is the date time metadata of the particular photo on Neumeister's report. So for example, uh, the first row, 23, the date time captured, or the date captured is December 16th, 2015. Uh, the second row, 24, you see that the date time is May 21st, 2016. Third row, May 21st, 2016. Fourth row, May 21st, 2016. You just scroll to the next page, please, Michelle. Uh, please continue for the, the items on this page. Uh, the top row of this page, the one that came from Neumeister's report, page 30, shows December 16th, 2016. And then finally, 32 shows March 23rd, 2013. Do you see, uh, can you scroll back to the top, please, Michelle? Do you see the, um, all the way to the top, I'm sorry, the right-hand column uh, of this chart? Yes, I do. And where it says device ID and file name? Yes. Can you please explain what the information in that column means for each of the items identified from Mr. Neumeister's demonstrative? Uh, so these are the evidence IDs, and evidence ID is the ID value I give to a particular piece of data that I collect, for example, a phone or a laptop, and the matching file name found on that evidence ID that indicated the original version of the same photograph that Neumeister identified that did not show photos in the software metadata and rather showed the iOS version in the metadata. And what do the little A's followed by numbers back up, what does that mean? <clears throat> Those are evidence IDs. Anything with an A number is the evidence ID of an actual device collected. Anything that starts with a backup and follows by another number is an iTunes backup. So what if any, what items in this right-hand column, um, based on the coding you have here, are iTunes backups? Uh, only the ones that start with the word backup. Even the ones that start with an A number are actually an iTunes or an iOS backup in iCloud. So your phone can actually be backed up to iCloud, and those are coming from an iOS backup in iCloud. Everything else is coming from an actual physical device. Um, can you just take this down for a second, Michelle, and pull up 1675, please? Defendant 1675. And um, do you recognize this chart, Mr. Eckert? Yes, I do. Without yet getting into the contents, can you please describe generally what it is? Uh, this is a chart that I prepared as a summary of my findings. Um, permission to publish defendant 1675 is a demonstrative, Your Honor. Any objection? No objection. All right, 1675 will be published as demonstrative. Can you please describe in more detail what the three columns you can see in this chart represent? Uh, sure, this starts to give some detail about the particular evidence ID. So for example, A001 was an iPhone X of Amber's that was collected. A002 was an iPad of Amber's collected. Uh, A10, I'm sorry, A11, 12, and 13, slightly down, are three different laptops that were collected for Amber. And do you see the IDS evidence number column? Yes, I do. Do you see the source type column? Yes, I do. And the source details column? Yes, I do. Can you please describe what those columns mean? Uh, generally, the IDS evidence number is the evidence number that we assign to a particular piece of evidence, and the type and details come from a description of that type of evidence based upon the collection set. And uh, Michelle, can you please do a side-by-side -side of 1675 and 1671? Mm -hmm. 
you. Um, so, Mr. Acker, can you please describe the relationship between these two demonstrative exhibits? Certainly. Uh, if you look at 1671, the one on the left, you can see in the fourth column uh, the different evidence IDs where I identified the original versions of those same pictures that Mr. Neumeister had uh, specifically identified and the sources of where they were identified. So if you look at the first one, for example, the, uh, uh, the picture Neumeister referenced on page 24, uh, or I guess that's the second one, there are equivalent versions or original versions of those that do not show the software EXIF metadata field of photos. Rather, it shows the original iOS version on A001, which was uh, Amber Heard's iPhone X, A002, which is Amber Heard's iPad Pro. Uh, scrolling on down through there, you see it on A011, which is Amber Heard's uh, laptop, same with A0012 and 13. Uh, you can see this again with the next row that's visible at the very top. Uh, uh, Neumeister identified a photograph on page 30 uh, taken on December 16, 2015, and he was concerned about the uh, uh, EXIF metadata of that, showing the software version of photos. The original versions of those were found, again, on A001, that's her iPhone X, A002, her iPad, and it's not surprising to me that I found all these on all the devices because that's how the Apple ecosystem works. It replicates your pictures or synchronizes your pictures across your devices when you take them. Um, Mr. Acker, you can take this down. Do you recall Mr. Neumeister's testimony regarding what he claims of EXIF metadata modification? Yes, I do. This is a completely hypothetical scenario. Mr. Neumeister never specified any pictures with specificity that were, had EXIF metadata modification, and uh, it's a hypothetical in my opinion. Um, Mr. Acker, did you form any overall conclusions in this case? Yes, I did. And what were those? The images that uh, were created in this case were included log files that allowed me to validate and verify the evidence collected. I validated and verified the log files of the uh, evidence for which I found Mr. Neumeister's original photos that he had concerns about, specifically the ones that had iOS in the software metadata field. Uh, I validated that those came from devices that had uh, had been had log files that were validated by me. In other words, they came from original evidence files, and in, in most instances, they came from more than one file. Um, Mr. Acker, the opinions you have testified to, do, testified to today made to a reasonable degree of forensic certainty. Yes, they are. No further questions, Your Honor. All right. Cross-examination, sir. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, good morning, sir. Good morning. You've worked with opposing counsel's law firm approximately 20 times before? Give or take, yes. For more than a dozen years? Those 20 probably would have spread out, been spread out over more than a dozen years. Okay. As you sit here today, you cannot testify that all of the photographs produced by Ms. Hurd are authentic originals, correct? Now, I can testify to the ones that Mr. Neumeister identified with specificity. Right, but there were thousands of photographs provided that Mr. Neumeister didn't testify about, right? I have no opinions on any photographs that the opposing expert has no opinions on. All right. My question to you, though, is as you sit here today, 
Can you testify that all the photographs produced by Ms. Hurd are authentic originals? As I sit here today, I cannot opine to photographs that have not been presented to me that are not authentic originals. All right. You'll agree with me that in some instances, Ms. Hurd produced multiple versions of the same photograph, right? Yes. Yeah, you just talked about it, right? Yes. Exactly. And you'll agree with me that the XF data of some of the photos produced by Ms. Hurd reflect the use of a photo editing application? No. No? I'll agree that they show the use of the photos application, which is a sorting and editing application. Okay, so you, what, what you were quibbling with is that it will both sort and edit. That is correct. Okay. Are you prepared to swear under oath that each and every photograph provided by Ms. Hurd and entered into evidence in this court is an authentic original? Based on the metadata that I have reviewed of the specific photographs I have reviewed, I can confirm that those are authentic original photographs. For the ones that Mr. Neumeister identified, I identified photos that were authentic originals. No, I'm asking you a broader question than that. There were multiple photographs that Ms. Hurd provided that were entered into evidence in this court. Are you testifying that those are each authentic originals? I have no uh, testimony or opinion on those because nobody's provided me opinion that they're not. Okay. Mr. Gibson, will you pull up Defendant's Exhibit 712 and Defendant's 713 next to one another? Your Honor, these have already been admitted, and I ask that we publish them to the jury. Okay. If they're admitted, we can publish. Can you see those, sir? Yes, sir. Yes, I can. You'll agree with me that those are different pictures? Visually, they look different to me, yes. All right. We can take that down. Gibson, can you pull up plaintiff's exhibit 1308? <clears throat> this has not been admitted, Your Honor, and, I'm, and I propose to use it as a demonstrative. Any objection? Not as a demonstrative, Your Honor. All right. Be identified and publish to the jury as a demonstrative. Any objection to entering it into evidence? Uh, I would object it's cumulative, Your Honor. Um, actually, no. Uh, no. No objection, Your Honor. No objection. All right. It's in evidence then. Right. 1308 is in evidence. Mr. Gibson, can you blow up the time, date, and file name? Sir, you just agreed with me that those two photos are different photos, correct? I agreed that they were visually different, yes. Right. So they are two visually different photos that were created at the exact same hour 
the exact same minute, the exact same second as each other, correct? And that's what the daytime metadata shows, yes. And the metadata shows something else, too. They have the exact same file name, don't they, sir? Yes, but that's not embedded metadata. Right. How would you have this jury decide which one is real? I think you would need to look at the software metadata field, which I haven't, I haven't looked at. I don't recall if I looked at for this particular field, but I think that's what even Mr. Neumeister said, that you need to look at the software metadata field. But we have two photographs entered into evidence in this court that have the same identifying information, but in your view, look visually different, correct? I don't agree that they have the same identifying information. I'm not, I don't see a software metadata field here. The identifying information includes the, the hour, minute, and second they were taken, this, this picture were taken. I see that. No further questions. All right. And just for the record, since we already have 712 and 713 in evidence as redacted, now this will be 712 and 713A. So 712A and 71213A are now in evidence just to keep the record clean, okay? All right. Thank you, Your Honor. Redirect. Um, Mr. Acker, you just mentioned embedded metadata. What is that? Embedded metadata is metadata inside a file. Uh, I talked earlier about the date printed of a Word document. That's embedded into the file, and that traverses with the file wherever it goes. And based on all of the photo metadata you have reviewed, do you have any reason to question the forensic authenticity of any photos Mr. Neumeister testified to for which you were responding to? Can you repeat that question, please? Yes. Yeah. Based on all of the photo metadata you have reviewed, based on the photos Mr. Neumeister testified to, do you have any reason to question the forensic authenticity of those photos? I do not. Following your cross-examination, Mr. Eckert, have any of your opinions in this matter changed? They have not. And is it still your testimony that the opinions you testified to do today are made with a reasonable degree of forensic certainty? Yes. No further questions, Your Honor. All right, thank you. Sir, you can have a seat in the courtroom or you're free to go. All right. Did you want to approach just for a moment? All right, your next witness. Your Honor, we would like to call Dr. Don Hughes to the stand All right, again. Dr. Hughes. Thank you, Doctor. Just a reminder that you're still under oath, okay, yes, ma'am? Yes, Your Honor. Thank you. And could you please just remind the jury who you are again? Sure, I'm a clinical and forensic psychologist. I am board certified in forensic psychology. I am the president-elect of the trauma division of the American Psychological Association. And I evaluated Amber Heard over six visits for approximately 29 hours. Okay. And why are you here today? To offer a rebuttal testimony to Shannon Curry's testimony of yesterday. Okay. Now, Dr. Curry said you used improper methods. Would you agree with that? No, I would not. Why? Please explain. I, as I testified to you all uh, several weeks ago, I used a standard forensic procedure that is well established in our field. It is a multi-method, multi-hypothesis driven um, procedure where you're looking at a variety of different 
details and tests and external data to arrive at an opinion, and you're looking at the consistency across that data. There are three sort of sets of, of tests that we use as forensic psychologists, and I think that's where it seems that Dr. Curry seems confused. We have forensic assessment instruments. Those are instruments that are very neatly tied to a legal criteria. Um, those are most notably done in a criminal court for competency. If someone has competency to stand trial, we have very clear measures that can track that legal criteria. The next level are forensically relevant instruments. And those instruments are not linked to a specific legal criteria, but they do have information that's germane to that finding. And that can be an example of a risk assessment measure and a malingering measure. So the malingering measure was, that I utilized was the MFAST, and that was the only malingering measure in this case. The third category are clinical assessment instruments, and those are instruments that are validated and well-researched and used in the clinical realm as we understand people's symptomatology and diagnostic um, and functional capacities. Those are things like the MMPI, the PAI, the CAPS, the TSI, because they are clinically relevant and they still give us very valuable information to individuals who are involved in a court case. And the reason that we do that and we use these clinical measures is because the majority of the people that we see are in a clinical realm. They're not in a courtroom. Um, so they're well-validated and well-researched methods. What we also do is use a very different types of tests within that category. We use some checklists, some face-valid checklists. We use some tests that are those broadband personality inventories. We use structured clinical interviews. And then we look for the consistency across those data points. And when we use different types of tests, it gives us information about the individual, how they go about these tests in these different modalities. Now, Dr. Curry seemed to suggest that, that Amber Heard uh, tested the most extreme category in, in all of these different tests. Is that accurate? Objection that, compound. Uh, overruled. That is not accurate. They were not on the checklist. I mean, people sometimes do. They go, all the time. This happens to me all the time, frequently. And that is not how she endorsed these tests. She endorsed them in a very moderate way, in a very nuanced way, describing her symptoms um, that I determined was um, accurate and reliable. Now, Dr. Curry also suggested that uh, Amber Heard was uh, tested very, very high, 98 percentile, I think, on malingering and feigning. Could you speak to that, please? Sure. So, I mean, she said a lot of things, so let's go through those tests. The first was the PAI, and that's that other broadband psychological uh, Objection, non-responsive. I think it's very responsive. It's sustained. I'll, I'll do, okay. Could you tell the jury about the PAI test that Dr. Curry yes. addressed? So, yes. Thank you. So that's the broadband measure that has validity scales built into it that gives us indications about how the individual goes about the test. I told you last time that there was no evidence of malingering or exaggeration or feigning on that test. What Dr. Curry was talking about was this um, tendency to put your best foot forward to minimize faults on this PAI. That scale was right at the cusp. And then there are two other measures that we look at that to say, you know, is this enough for an elevation for me to consider that as a serious response distortion of which Dr. Curry was saying, and it was not. 
What was relevant on this test was there were elevations on anxiety, on affective anxiety, meaning anxiety, tension, worry, on traumatic stress, on um, hyperactivity, and on affective instability. Those were the four scales that were elevated on this test. The borderline scale was not elevated on this test. And this test... Objection, Your Honor. May we, may we approach? Yes. So, Dr. Curry, let's move to the TSI-2. Dr. Curry testified about your findings on that. Did you agree with her testimony yesterday? No. Uh, again, Please describe why. Explain why. Um, what Dr. Curry went back to, which is this 98th percentile, which I told you in the manual, all you have to do is read the manual. It says specifically that we do not use the percentile ranks for this test. That indicates to me that, you know, Dr. Curry does not know the psychometric properties of this test, and then she then is therefore not qualified to interpret it. Um, that score, the one that's elevated, which she's talking about that percentile rank, has a raw score. Amber's raw score is a 10. The cutoff score is a 15. She's nowhere near that level of exaggerated symptoms where I can't further um, look at that test. Secondly, there are three scales out of about, maybe there's about 20, a little more on the TSI that were elevated. Intrusive experiences, that's when thoughts and memories of the trauma come into your mind when you don't want them. Defensive avoidance, sort of behavioral ways that we try to push out those memories and not think about them. And then relational avoidance, a way of having difficulty in, in interpersonal relationships. Those are all trauma-based symptoms, and those were elevated um, on this test. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Hughes, uh, the MFAS, Dr. Curry addressed that as well and had criticisms for your interpretations. Do you agree with that? No. Please explain to the So jury. the MFAS, as I told you last time, is a measure of malingering. It's the only measure of malingering that was done in this case. Dr. Curry did not independently administer a measure of malingering, and there are other ones that she could have done to augment her evaluation. Um, and she kept saying something that MFAS is not for malingered PTSD. That's wrong on a couple levels. People who are going to malinger and feign don't only feign one diagnosis. They sometimes talk about all different symptoms that they have, and they exaggerate, and they make themselves seem much worse than they are. So when you're doing an evaluation, you're giving a malingering measure to get a sense of how this person is responding to this evaluation. Now, what you do is you take those three tests that I talked to you about, the PAI, the TSI, and the MFAST, all with valid validity scales, you have greater confidence in your results. And that is in the literature, and that's literature that Dr. Curry cited in her report that bolsters the methodology that I used. That in the study that had the PAI, the MFAST, and the TSI in the title of detecting feigned from bona fide PTSD. Thank you. Now, Dr. Curry also talked about the danger assessment scale and suggested that you had inappropriately interpreted that. Do you agree? That's also incorrect. Please describe for the jury. Which I told you last time, the danger assessment scale has statistically validated risk factors for serious or lethal domestic violence. Those risk factors exist whether we go forward, we're sitting with someone in an acute setting and assessing them right now, or if we look backward and we look retrospectively about what factors may have been present in a case that indicated severity. That instrument is used in what we call, there's called domestic fatality review boards. Those are boards after somebody has been killed, a homicide has occurred in a domestic situation. They look at these risk factors to see 
what was there and what could be done. Right. Dr. Curry also uh, criticized your uh, administering of the CAPS-5. Do you agree with her criticisms? I do not. Will you please explain to the jury? So the, the CAPS-5, as you all have heard multiple times, is a structured clinical interview in determining um, PTSD according to DSM-5 criteria. Um, on this measure, Amber Heard scored in a moderate range. She did not over-exaggerate on this test. She could have said no mild, moderate, severe, and extreme. All of hers were either twos or ones or zeros. Not above that. So she's scoring in the moderate range, which still has functional impairments. I mean, we don't want someone to be having moderate PTSD, but that's not an exaggerated profile or exaggerated response style of someone who's um, answering an instrument. And the last of these Dr. Curry referred to was the PCL-5. Uh, do you agree with her criticisms of your administration and interpretation of that? No, so the PCL-5 is a checklist of symptoms of PTSD. It is, as she said, it is a face valid instrument. Since it's very clear about how you can endorse this. But what the person has to do is say, how, how, how disturbed am I by these symptoms? And when you have face valid measures with these other measures that have the built-in sort of villainy scales, you're sort of controlling for that response bias error. You were controlling for that individual to sort of over-exaggerate. But then what you do with that test, because this is, you know, we're not just administering them like robots, is you go and you do a clinical assessment. And that's what I did. I took what she wrote, what she endorsed on that test in January of 2021, and I did a clinical assessment of those symptoms to see if they meet criteria for PTSD. That is something we do clinically, and I do in my office all the time. And yes, she did meet PTSD from that in January 2021. Thank you. Now, Dr. Curry said you misinterpreted her test results. Do you agree with that? Yeah. I agree that I misinterpreted I agree that I interpreted them, that she misinterpreted them. <laughs> okay. Uh, and please explain. Yes. Yeah. So I, I, mean, I said that before. I, I, you know, my stance on the MMPI and how she interpreted it is, uh, I believe, wrong. And uh, I think no. Objection, Your Honor. All right. That's the issue we just addressed. All right. The, it, I, I don't. I do If you want to approach. No. Dr. Hughes, Dr. Curry also testified that a victim of PTSD has to effectively be prone and unable to function at all. Would you agree with that? Objection no. mistakes the evidence. Oh, I, she said they couldn't hike, they couldn't uh, move, they couldn't function in any shape, way, uh, shape, or form. Objection. Thank you. Um, no, that is not correct. That is often actually a myth and misconception about individuals who were struggling with PTSD or trauma-based disorders, and you know, I'm often called to answer that and speak to that. Um, you know, people who are struggling with trauma and PTSD are very strong, courageous, resilient people, even though that they're struggling. They get up, they have to go to work and drop their kid off at school and go to the market, even though they're struggling with these symptoms. So I often talk about it as they're sort of walking around with a 50-pound bag of flour on their backs, just sort of trying to get through the day where sometimes that button's going to press play and the trauma's going to start activating in their head and then they're going to be having to think about it and have startle and have physiological reactions until they can find a way to hit that pause and shut it off again. So they still have, you know, impairments in other ways, but they go about their lives. They're not, you know, totally debilitated. If you have someone in that high range, the highest score is an 80 on the CAPS 
Ms. Hurd had a 28. If you have someone in the higher range, we have seen people who are, you know, severely disabled because of it, but that's not the norm of people who have um, this moderate PTSD. And did you find functional impairment with Amber? Yes, I did. Okay. Now, Dr. Curry also said that uh, it is not within the scope of a psychologist uh, to evaluate domestic violence. Do you agree with that? Of course I don't agree with that. This is what I do for a living day in, day out for 25 years. Um, we are specifically trained to understand the profound impact that trauma has on people's lives. That's what we do in the trauma division of the American Psychological Association. We disseminate that knowledge. And domestic violence is one of those profound traumas. Domestic violence is part of um, state licensing boards that you can't get licensed unless in some states unless you take training on domestic violence. You can't renew your license unless you get training on domestic violence. So people who have you know specialized training in this area, it is you know beholden upon them to accurately assess for intimate partner violence and sexual violence. And it's more important to assess for the sort of scientific understanding of what domestic violence is. So you have to assess for the physical violence, the psychological violence, the surveillance, the economic, the emotional abuse, and the sexual violence. That is not gratuitous. Uh, that objection. is understanding. Narrative. All right. Next question. Okay. Um, now, Dr. Curry suggested that you made a determination just based on personal opinion and just on checklists and a couple of tests that you misinterpreted. Would you agree with that? I vehemently disagree with that. As I stated to you, over 29 hours and 12 psychological tests and reviewing a slew of documents in this case, most importantly, therapy records and interviews, collateral interviews with therapists, using all that data, that is what a, a solid forensic methodological exam looks like. And then I made my conclusions based on my clinical education, knowledge, and training to come up with a professional expert opinion. Okay. And, and just to remind, to, to make sure we're reminded here, you are qualified in this court, in this case, as an expert uh, in forensic psychology, in specifically in domestic violence and in um, the, uh, no, I just lost it, uh, and in violence, correct, intimate, and in trauma, correct? Objection, Your Honor, misstates the record. Yeah. If you want to ask the question again. <laughs> yeah, I probably should do that. Um, you were qualified, I've got to find my note. You were qualified as an expert in forensic psychology with a specialty in domestic violence and in trauma, correct? Correct. Okay, and that was in this case? That's correct. Okay, now do you still hold the same opinions you did that you gave the jury earlier? Yes, I do. And do you still hold them within a reasonable degree of psychological probability and certainty? Yes, I do. Thank you. All right, cross-examination. Yes, Your Honor, but can we approach quickly? Sure.
Good morning, Dr. Hughes. Good morning, Mr. Dennison. The last time you were here, I believed that you testified that you had diagnosed Ms. Hurd with PTSD before you gave the gold standard CAPS-5 test. That's correct. Right. And that diagnosis is actually reflected in the first of the disclosures you put forward in this case. I believe the first disclosure was February 2021, and at that point I had done um, 11 psychological tests. That's correct. Right. And your disclosure reads, Ms. Hurd's responses on the PCL-5 support a DSM-5 diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder with an etiology, etiology of intimate partner violence she experienced by her former partner. Remember writing that? That's correct. Okay. You just testified that you need to read the manual, right? Yes. Okay. Can we put up 1311 as a demonstrative? Any objection to Thank you. I, I don't see this in my I, document either. They're, they're getting the right one up. Yeah, we got it up. Mm -hmm. uh, let's use 1312. 1312. Okay. And that, any objection to that demonstrative? No, Your Honor. Okay. 1312 can be published to the jury. Dr. Hughes, um, do you recognize what's, what the National Center for PTSD is? What it is? Yeah. Yes, I do. And, and they publish um, the PTSD checklist for DSM-5. That's correct. That what we've been calling the PCL-5. Correct. All right. And do you, uh, are you familiar with the document that's uh, on your screen? Yes. All right. What is it? Uh, it's... The instruction manual to how to administer the PCL-5. Okay. I'd like to move for the admission of 1312. Any objection to 1312 coming into evidence? No. All right, 1312 and evidence. Right. Can we go to the second page? 
Can we blow up the second paragraph on the right? That's the PCL5 should not be used as a slow diagnostic tool. Considering, when considering a diagnosis, the clinician will still need to use, to use clinical interviewing skills and a recommended structured interview, e.g. the CAPS-5, to determine a diagnosis, correct? That's what the, that's what the manual says. Right, and this manual okay. also, also says that this is a screening instrument, so when you do the clinical interviewing, you absolutely can determine diagnosis. So the answer somebody. is yes. The manual says you, 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 you still the, need the to PCL use clinical 5. interviewing skills, which I used. Well, let me finish my question. The PCL-5 should not be used as a standalone diagnostic tool, and they recommend using the CAPS-5 to determine a diagnosis, correct? It does say that, yes. Yeah, and you made your diagnosis before you did the CAPS-5? I made my diagnosis doing clinical interviewing and 11 other psychological tests that supported diagnosis of PTSD and symptomatology consistent with PTSD. Okay. Um, you said that we should read the manual. Would you also agree with me that we need to read the directions on these tests? Sure. Okay. Tom, can you pull up 1309 as a demonstrative? Yes, sir. Thank you. Any objection of 1309 as a demonstration? Uh, may we approach? Okay. nine and publish the jury as demonstrative. Doctor, do you recognize the uh, demonstrative that's in front of you? Yes, but I didn't put the red lines on that. No, I did. Yes, I know. Okay. Um, so, this, what do you recognize this as? I recognize that we previously discussed this, and I told you that I oriented Ms. Heard to a different time frame because she was already out of the relationship. Okay, um, maybe we should back it up a little. This is the CTS-2 that you administered as part of this battery of tests that you indicate you, ought, uh, you did in relationship to your diagnosis. Right, this is the conflict tactic scale two. And you'll agree with me that this test specifically asks in front of every single question how often did this happen in the past year correct and i right. oriented and the individual know, to not okay, limit herself to the last the, year to get an accurate assessment of the violence and abuse that she experienced in the relationship objection you're on move to strike the, all right 
I'll move to strike the last part of the answer. Yes. I mean, strike the last part of the answer. Thank you. Yeah. Next question. Yeah. And you know that at the time that you gave this test to Ms. Hurd, she had been away from Mr. Depp for far longer than a year, correct? Which is why I oriented her to a different yes time no, frame in answering the question. Doctor, yes or no? So, of course. Okay, you knew she was gone for more than a year. Of course. All right. Let's look at another one of these. You talked about the danger assessment test. That's correct. All right. What number is this? 13 plaintiffs, 1310. Thank you. Any objection to 1310 uh, as no, a demonstrative? No. Okay. You publish to the jury. Dr. Hughes, uh, this is a blank form, but this is the dangerous assessment test that you also gave to Ms. Hurt, correct? I didn't give it to her. I filled it out based on the data that was provided to me. Oh, so you, you asked her the questions and then you filled it in? It was somewhat collaborative. Okay. Can we blow up the second full paragraph? It says, using the calendar, please mark the approximate dates during the past year when you were abused by your partner or ex-partner. You didn't use any calendar, did you? I did not use a calendar because she was already out of the relationship. As I said, these are stacked static risk factors, so they don't change. So but I orient her to the time of the re relationship. Ma'am, it's fair to say that this examina examination that you gave specifically indicates that, it's, that you were supposed to look over the past year. And you, that's, that's not one, the language? No, that's one administration. People use this instrument for if you're in an acute situation in a relationship trying to get a better assessment of the current behaviors. We can use it retrospectively like I just stated and in homicides and looking back about what are the serious risk factors that were in this relationship. I didn't ask you about anything other than don't the instructions limit this test to the previous year. You can give this test not only on the previous nope, year. asking you about the instructions. But I'm telling you how the test is administered in clinical practice and, and in forensic and, practice. And opposing counsel can, can come up and ask questions about it. I'm asking you about the instructions. And the instructions say, look over the past year. Yeah, on this, yes, that it says that. And you had actual knowledge when you gave the test that Mr. Depp was gone way more than a year before this test. That is correct. Right. All right. Let's look at more instructions. Uh, can we look at 1247, which is already in evidence? Dr. Hughes, you recognize this one too, right? Yes. All right, this is the, what everybody calls the CAPS-5. Correct. All right, can we go to the first page? 
let's blow up the instructions. Standard administration and scoring of the CAPS-5 are essential for producing reliable and valid scores and diagnostic decisions. Correct? Correct. And you know you have to do this in a standardized way because it is the first instruction, correct? Correct. Can we go to the next, uh, to the next page? One more. Oh, wait. That's good. This is a page on scoring, and, and we talked about this last time. Yes. You score these tests by frequency and intensity. Correct. And you'll remember that in every single instance that you were asked to fill in the blank about frequency, you failed to do so, correct? That's not correct. Oh, you, you filled in any blank on this form with respect to frequency? I filled in the frequency on the side of the caps where I am actually scoring the caps. No, I asked you whether you filled in a single blank on this form with respect to frequency. Is the answer to that yes or no? I don't know what you mean, a single blank. All right, let's, let's page. Let's keep going. All right, let's, we'll, we'll stay at this page for a second. Uh, this is the very first box you're asked to fill in as to, I, I think, a fairly fundamental question, right? What happened? We talked about this before, Mr. Dennison. I had 88 pages of notes of what happened. It would have been redundant to put it there. You know that you are obligated to produce this test in a way that other people can meaningly review them. Yes? The people in this case who are meaningfully reviewing them have my 88 pages of notes. Right. But you chose is... to put absolutely nothing in the box, the standardized box, that said what happened. You don't have to put it in the box if you have it somewhere else. It's because not a, this if it's is not, not a standardized a test? Well, if it's not a research instrument that is used for research, if you're using it for a clinical diagnostic purpose, no, you don't, if okay. you have that data elsewhere. Okay. Let's go another page or so. All right. Let's go another one. Let's look at item 4B4. And I asked you, you filled in the blank about frequency. And there's a blank in many of these items that asks number of times. You didn't fill a single one of them in, did you? Right, right, because I filled them on the right side of the instrument where I am scoring it. And that is the way that you believe that you followed the instructions of a standardized test? Yes, correct. No further questions. All right, redirect. Very briefly. You used the term static risk factor. What did you mean by that? Static risk factors are risk factors that don't change. It's maybe. Um, if you smoke cigarettes, you may have a risk of lung cancer, right? That's a factor that doesn't change. You can look forward if someone's smoking. You can look past if someone's smoking. So these lethality risk factors are present whether you're evaluating them in the last year or five years ago. And when you're trying to assess 
for trauma related to the interpersonal violence that we discussed, um, why is it important to get a time frame in which the relationship was in existence? Well, you want to see the amount of trauma that the person experienced. The longer that they're in a relationship, you have more success of trauma. And one of the things that we know from the research is more trauma is not better. So the more success of traumas that you have, the greater likelihood that somebody's going to have psychological consequences and symptomatology as a result. And therefore, you need to get it within the relationship. Objection leading. And, and, and so how does that relate to needing to get the time frame in the relationship? Well, you need to understand the, when you're, under, when you're trying to evaluate the impact of something, you want to have to understand what happened to the person. And that's sort of the core and the basis of, of trauma-informed care and of trauma diagnoses. You have to understand, you know, the traumatic event and how it transpired and how it played out for that individual so that you can better assess for the symptomatology that's falling from it. You said you had 88 pages of notes. What were in your 88? And without going into the specifics, can you just describe what was included in the 88 pages of notes? Um, in the 88 pages were um, many of the documented incidents of intimate violence. Objection, Your Honor. She's just describing it. That came up. He said you didn't fill those in the boxes. She said it was in my 88 pages. I'm just saying what was in your 88 pages. I'm not asking her to give each of the specific events. She can describe the summary of it. Can we come up? Okay. What is the difference between clinical scoring and clinical evaluation and research evaluation with respect to the CAPS-5 and the other tests? When it's in compound. Sustained. Your Honor, when it's compounded, it's because it might be confusing what, to the jury. Sustained, next question. Okay. Can you explain to the jury what the difference is between clinical scoring and evaluation on a test and research? Section, Your Honor, compound. Oh, overruled, good. Sure. So the, the PCL and the CAPS-5 are, are frequently used in research. And when they're used in research, that means the document stands alone. They don't have 88 pages of notes to help understand the background of the trauma and what the person has experienced. And why those boxes may be relevant in research is because you know, back in the day when I was a research assistant, I had to input that into the computer. And then they would maybe look at some of that data for the research study. So that becomes very important in research. All right. Thank you. I have no further questions. All right. Thank you, Dr. Hughes. You can Thank have a you. seat in the courtroom where you're free to go, okay? Thank you very much. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's go ahead and take our afternoon recess. I mean, sorry, our morning recess. Uh, let's take our 15-minute recess. Do not discuss the case with anybody and don't do any outside research, okay? All right, why don't we just come back at 11.05 then? Thank All right, are we ready for the jury? Yes, yes, sir.
right. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. You may be seated. All right. Your next witness. Your Honor, defendant calls Amber Heard. All right. Ms. Heard, if you could come to the stand, please. Yes, ma'am. Water. Thank you, ma'am. And just a reminder, you're still under oath, okay? Of course, Your Honor. Thank you. Thank you. All right, your question. Amber, just to orient you and the jury, at this time, we are in the rebuttal to your counterclaim against Mr. Depp. So I'm going to confine my questions to that, okay? All right. How have you suffered publicly as a result of the Depp-Waldman <laughs> statements? Objection, speculation. Overrule. I am harassed, humiliated, threatened every single day. Even just walking into this courtroom, sitting here in front of the world, having the worst parts of my life, things I've lived through, used to humiliate me. People want to kill me, and they tell me so every day. People want to put my baby in the microwave, and they tell me that. Johnny threatened, promised, promised me that if I ever left him, he'd make me think of him every single day that I lived. Objection, Your Honor, non-responsive. I'll sustain the objection as to that, if you want to ask the question. Amber, how did Mr. Depp's statements and threats to you that you were discussing, how do those continue to manifest themselves today? In the harassment, in the humiliation, the campaign against me that's echoed every single day on social media, and now, in front of cameras, in this room, every single day I have to relive the trauma. My hands shake, I wake up screaming, I, I have to live with the trauma and the damage done to me. My friends have to live with a set of unspoken rules about how to not scare me. Objection hearsay. Yes, sir. Unspoken rules. It's not good. About how to not touch me. Not to surprise me, my intimate partners have rules about how they can deal with me, how they can touch me. I have rules for doctors and medical professionals I see, gynecologists I see. I live my life with these sets of rules that I have to follow, my friends have to follow for me not to have a panic attack or a triggering event where I relive the trauma. Even if I'm training to do my movie, for instance, if I'm training for Aquaman, a combat scene and a trigger happens, I have a meltdown and have to deal with that. The, the, the crew I work with have to deal with that because of the damage I walk around with every single day from what I've lived through, from what I've survived. I'm not sitting in this courtroom snickering. I'm not sitting in this courtroom laughing, smiling, and making snide jokes. I'm not. This is horrible. This is painful. 
And this is humiliating for any human being to go through. And perhaps it's easy to forget that, but I'm a human being. And even though Johnny promised that I deserve this and promised he'd do this, I don't deserve this. I want to move on. The statements, the attacks on me, the campaign, that Johnny has elicited millions of people to do on his behalf when he himself Section couldn't Yonder do Laka it. Foundation. Torture me. Speculation. I'll, I'll sustain the objection. Next question. Amber, how have the Depp Waldman statements impacted your ability to do charitable work? You know, I would, the only reason that people like Dr. Curry can sit up here on the stand and say I'm high functioning and I do things like have hobbies and have interests is because I'm responsive. Your Honor, Mr. Depp gave long-winded oh. responses oh, yesterday. Oh, good. It's because I found a solution to that pain. I woke up every morning with panic attacks and trauma until I realized I could do something with it. So to answer your question, Ben, it's I, I was able to turn the things that I've lived through, my pain, my life experiences, into work, into action, into providing a voice for other people. I'm not a saint. I'm not trying to present myself as one, as you all know, but I selfishly found relief in being able to use what I've lived through to advocate for others, to, to bring light to these issues, to give a voice to people who don't have the voice and the platform that I have. And while I would not wish this situation on my worst enemy, if it gives a voice to someone who doesn't have it, but I now, as I stand here today, can't have a career. I can't even have people associate with me because of the threats and the attacks that they have to endure. Traction when non-responsive. And I can't so do my charity work. Sustain the objection. Amber, other than the threats that you've described, what other threats have you endured since the Deb Waldman statements were made? I receive hundreds of death threats regularly, if not daily, thousands since this trial has started people mocking, mocking my testimony about being assaulted, making fun of my... Objection relevance, non-responsive. You can continue. It's been agonizing, agonizing, painful, and the most humiliating thing I've ever had to go through. I hope no one ever has to go through something like this. I just want Johnny to leave me alone. I just want him to leave me alone. I've said that for years now. And I thought he would after 2020. Objection non-responsive. All right, I'll sustain the objection. Next question. What do you hope to reclaim after this is over? Protecting the secret that I did for as long as I did. 
has taken enough of my voice. Johnny, Johnny has taken enough of my voice. I have the right to tell my story. I have the right to say what happened to me. I have the right to my voice and my name. He took it long enough. I have a right as an American to talk about what happened to me, to own my story and my truth. I have that right. I hope to get my voice back. It's all I want. And I've said that from day one. Thank you, Amber. I don't have anything else. All right, cross-examination. Actually, Your Honor, may we approach? Yes, yes. Ms. Hurd, you just testified that this case has been very hard for you. So let's talk about that and why. All right. Your lies have been exposed to the world multiple times, right? I haven't lied about anything I've been here to say. You sat here and told this jury that the events in Hicksville started with Mr. Depp getting really upset about a woman leaning on you. Is that correct? Yes, that's effectively what happened, yeah. You testified that he actually grabbed that woman's wrist and twisted it, right? And told her that he could effectively break her wrist by saying he knew how many pounds of pressure, asking her how many pounds of pressure it took to break a human wrist. But your own witness, your former best friend, Rocky Pennington, she didn't corroborate that, did she? Uh, I'm not quite sure what part of that night she saw. There were a lot of people there. She didn't testify that Mr. Depp grabbed anyone's wrist in Hicksville. Again, I don't know what Rocky saw. There were a lot of people there that night. You testified that once you brought Mr. Depp back to your trailer, he trashed it, correct? That is correct. And the manager of the Hicksville trailer park was furious that Johnny had wrecked the whole thing. Do you remember that testimony? That's correct. Well, we heard from that manager of the Hicksville trailer park, Morgan Knight, on Monday, didn't we? I'm not quite sure who that guy was or if he had any involvement in this. I know a lot of people have come out of the woodwork to be in involved. So you're accusing Mr. Knight of testifying and committing perjury? I'm not accusing anyone. I just don't recognize that man. You heard Mr. Knight testify that it was actually you who was upset with Mr. Depp spending time away from him. Isn't that correct? How would he know? He wasn't there. You heard Mr. Knight testify that it was actually you who was yelling at Mr. Depp. Again, I've heard a lot of people say a lot of things to be involved in the Johnny Depp show, but he wasn't there. He doesn't know. And he certainly doesn't know what happened behind closed doors, like most people. So you're calling Mr. Knight a liar? I am saying he wasn't there, and what he testified to doesn't match what I know happened. But I don't fault him. He wasn't there, so how would he know? He testified he was there, Ms. Heard. Did you hear that? That's his testimony, yes. So you're calling him a liar? I'm just saying he wasn't there. You heard Mr. Knight testify that the trailer wasn't trashed, and that's why you're calling him a liar. He testified that a light fixture was broken, similar to the way that yes, Johnny's other than a light fixture, that was the only thing that was broken, being rearranged right? Ms. Heard? and things Ms. like Heard? that. The only thing that was broken in the trailer, according to Mr. Knight, was a light fixture. Yes or no? 
I realized that he summed it up by saying a light fixture was broken. Just the way his security guard summed up him trashing my closet as being rearranged. Your Honor, I'm going to move to strike everything after he summed it up that it was a light fixture as non-responsive. Answer the question, Your Honor. Uh, over, overruled. In the security guard testimony, Your Honor. I'll allow it. Go ahead. Mr. Knight also testified that he charged Mr. Depp only $62 for the damaged light fixture. You heard that, correct? I did. In Hicksville, you were the only one that was jealous that Mr. Depp was spending time from other people. Isn't that correct, Ms. Hurd? That is incorrect. In Hicksville, you were the one who was upset that Mr. Depp wasn't giving you enough attention. Incorrect again. Ms. Hurd, you told this jury that you had no idea the press was going to be at the courthouse when you got your TRO on May 27, 2016. Do you remember that testimony? Uh, I said I did not have anything to do with it. Yes. No. My question again. You told this jury that you had no idea that the press was going to be outside after you got the ex-party TRO on May 27, 2016. Do you remember that testimony? I apologize. I must have misunderstood Ms. Vasquez. Um, I actually had no idea whether they were going to be there or not. When I walked into the courtroom that day, it was completely quiet, still, empty. Even though I had given Johnny's team notice that I was filing the TRO, Your Honor, this is not we had no reason to Move believe to the press knew. And Your Honor, I would also ask that you instruct the witness to please stop talking once I lodge an objection. Your Honor, she's trying to answer the question as best she can, and Ms. Vasquez is misrepresenting to her what she testified to. Well, I'll instruct the last part as non-responsive, just if you could just answer the questions asked. Okay? Thank you, Ms. Hurd. In fact, you testified that you were, quote, shocked when you saw press when you were leaving the courthouse. Yes? Yes. You weren't shocked at all, though, were you? Uh, incorrect. It was You knew the horrifying. press would be at the courthouse, right, Ms. Hurd? No. Well, you did bring your publicist to the courthouse with you on May 27, 2016, didn't you? I sure did. I'm a public figure. I brought my publicist in case it blew up. In case. And you actually had alerted TMZ that you would be filing a TRO against Mr. Depp that very day, no, I did didn't not. you? No, I did the not. The one day you didn't bother to wear makeup to cover up the mark on your face. I did not call TMZ or any other news source or paparazzi source. No one. Well, I we never heard did testimony that. from former TMZ employee Morgan Tremaine yesterday, correct? Did I hear his testimony? Yes. Yes, I was he here. Yes. And you heard Mr. Tremaine's testimony that he knew to dispatch the paparazzi to the courthouse on May 27th, right? I heard him say that he knew that, yes. Yeah, and that he dispatched paparazzi to the courthouse to capture a picture of an alleged bruise on the right side of your face. Do you remember him saying that? I remember him saying that. That information must have come from your team, right, Ms. Hurd? Absolutely not. Why would I want that? What actual survivor of domestic violence wants that? Now, the video of Mr. Depp beating up some kitchen cabinets, you admit that you took that video, correct? Yes, I did. Right. And you acknowledge that the video was released online the day before you were deposed in connection with your divorce from Mr. Depp in August of 2016, right? I believe it was, yes. But you testified that you had absolutely nothing to do with the video's release, right? Absolutely not. And you testified that you learned about it when you landed after flying into L.A. Do you remember right. that testimony? Upon touchdown is when I was alerted to the video's you existence You heard Mr. Online. Tremaine testify that this, about this video as well yesterday, didn't you? Yes, I did. And you heard Mr. Tremaine testify that TMZ received the cabinet video the same day you landed at LAX. Yes? I don't know if that I, I don't know if that's what his testimony was. I'm sorry. You heard Mr. Tremaine testify that the cabinet video was posted 15 minutes after TMZ received it. Yes? 
That's what I heard him say. And that this could only have been possible if the video was received directly from the source. Yes? I heard him say that. I don't know if that's true or if that's possible. Because it didn't come from me. I was flying. Tremaine so testified. I know that's incorrect is what I mean to say. Another liar on the stand? I just know that that's incorrect. Right. And you heard Mr. Tremaine testify that TMZ owns the copyright to the cabinet video, right? That's news to me. The cabinet video you filmed of your then husband, yes? The copyright ownership of that is news to me. I learned that yesterday. It's the cabinet video that you captured of your then husband, yes? That is correct. I did capture that video, and the yes, cabinet that video, was my husband. The same cabinet video that was released the night before you were deposed in your divorce, yes? That's correct. Okay. You must have also heard Mr. Tomain testify that the version of the cabinet video that TMZ received was incomplete compared to the video the jury saw in this trial. Did you hear that? The video that the jury, that you have seen is complete. Right. But the one TMZ got the day before your deposition in the divorce was incomplete. I don't know. I haven't seen it. He testified that at the beginning portion of the video where you set up the camera, that wasn't included in the video that TMC received. I don't know what video TMC received. I'm talking received. about Mr. Tremaine's testimony, Ms. Hurt. Let's just so focus on Mr. Tremaine. You're asking me to Tremaine. repeat his testimony? No, I'm asking you if you recall hearing him say those words to this jury. Yes, Under I heard his testimony. We all did. And he testified that the end of the video where you can see be seen smirking. I know you testified earlier that you haven't been smirking in this trial, but you sure were caught on camera smirking in that video. I disagree with that. Not in, was also not included in the TMZ video. Everyone can watch that video and you can determine whether you think it's funny to me or not. That's because the video came from you, right, Ms. Hurd? No, it did not. You edited that video out did the not portions. Come to me. No, I mean, Heard, come from me. Ms. Hurd, you edited out the portions that made you look bad before sending it to TMZ. You're very wrong about that. So that if I wanted to leak information, I could have bad. done it in a more effective way a lot sooner and a lot more. Because I was exactly living with a mountain that, right? of this evidence. If I wanted to leak it, I could have done a lot more with it. I thought you testified earlier in this trial that you didn't know how to leak things. Remember I don't. Right. You edited that video before you gave it to TMZ so that only Mr. Depp would look bad. Yes? That's absurd. Right in the middle of your divorce proceedings. Again, you're very wrong. I'd like to show you um, a picture from that's already admitted into evidence. It's uh, Defendant's Exhibit 799. This is you at the courthouse on May 27, 2016, when you got your domestic violence restraining order against Mr. Depp, right? It is. And next, and next to you, to is, you a is a woman named Jody Gottlieb, Gottlieb, right? Right. Yes. Yes. Jody Gottlieb is your publicist. And dear friend. Yeah. Now I'd like to show you what's been marked as Plaintiff's Exhibit 1316. This is a picture of you and your friend Rocky Pennington, right? That is correct. Your Honor, I'd like to move to admit this photograph. Any objection to 1316? No, Your Honor. All right, 1316 in evidence. You can publish the jury. This is a, this picture, is a picture of, of you on May 28, 2016, right, Ms. Hurd? I don't know when this was taken. This is the day after you obtained the domestic violence restraining order against Mr. Depp, right? I have no idea when this um, image was taken. I did not take it. There's no bruise on your face in this picture, is there? Again, 
I don't know when this was taken. And also, I'm outside. I was obviously wearing makeup. I have no idea when this was taken, so I have no idea if I can Let's speak to what proves you can Let's see Let's refresh your recollection about when this picture was taken. Um, can we please pull up Plaintiff's Exhibit 1315, just for the witness? This is an article dated May 30th, 2016, right, Ms. Heard? That's what it says, yes. And this article contains the same photograph of you and Ms. Pennington we were just looking at, yes? Mm -hmm. Yes, I see that. And the article is entitled, Amber Heard Smiles as She Puts Arm Around Friend One Day After Getting Restraining Order Against Johnny Depp. Is that, is that what the title says? I know that's what the title says, yes. Your Honor, I'm going to move to admit and publish the article with everything but the headline and date and the photo redacted. Objection, Your Honor. That's inconsistent from the way you've treated I'll, all of these. I'll sustain the objection. All right, next question. Let's take a look at picture plaintiff's exhibit 1317. This is also a picture of you and Ms. Pennington on May 28, 2016, isn't it? I don't know when this photo was taken, but it looks like the same outing as the picture prior. Your Honor, I'm going to move to admit and publish plaintiff's exhibit 1317. Any objection? No, Your Honor. 1317 in evidence you can publish. There's no bruise on your face in this picture either, right? right? I disagree. Uh, if it is taken when you represent it was taken, then obviously there's a bruise on my face. It's covered by makeup as per usual. Let's zoom out of that picture for a moment, please. Thanks, Tom. That's Josh Drew in this picture, right? Yes, that's correct. And Ms. Pennington? That is, is correct. In there too? Ms. That Pennington is correct. submitted a sworn statement on your behalf in support of your domestic violence restraining order, didn't she? I believe she did, yes. Mr. Drew also submitted a statement in support of your domestic violence restraining order. I believe they both did, yes. Mm -hmm. Mr. Drew, I'd like to show you Defendant's Exhibit 512, which is already in evidence. You've seen this photograph before, right? I have. On the second day of your direct testimony, you testified that this was taken in the downstairs of the main apartment on December 15th, 2015. Do you recall that testimony? Uh, yes, I believe so. So it's your testimony that Defendant's Exhibit 512 reflects damage to Penthouse 5 that occurred during the December 15th, 2015 incident. Yes? Uh, I'm not quite sure from what incident this is when I see this photo in a, in a vacuum without context. Let's give you that context. Can we please, thanks. I could have day 16 trial testimony. Your Turn first to page four five eight five. Specifically on starting on line sixteen. 
where it says, let's talk about December 15th, 2015. I'm, you said 4585, oh, I'm on 4485, sorry. You said 4585. 4485. Pardon. Line 16. Line 16 where it says, let's talk about December 15th, 2015. You see that? Yes. And then do you see that your testimony about December 15th, 2015 follows? Let's see. It's just the first line or two. Yes. Okay. Now I'd like you to turn to page 4603. starting at line 12, 4603. Starting at line 12 and going on to page 4604, line 4. Okay. And do you see that you testify that defendant's exhibit 512, which is on the screen, yes. is a picture of the downstairs of the main apartment? That's correct. And the main apartment is Penthouse 5 in the Eastern Columbia Building, right? No, the, well, depends on what. The main apartment's Penthouse 3, generally, when we say main apartment. Penthouse 5 was where you had your closet? The downstairs was kind of like a, had some of my painting studios set up and a reception area. Upstairs was the closet. Got Mezzanine it. office yep. was in between. All right. So it's your testimony that Defendant's Exhibit 512 reflects damage to the penthouse, penthouse 5, that occurred during the December 15, 2015 incident, right? I'm just not sure from which incident this is a picture of since I'm only looking at Even a though partial your counsel floor. was asking you questions about December 15, 2015 and then admitted this test, this picture into evidence I, again in, in relation my to that incident sorry go ahead what in what? relation to that incident on December 15th 2015 this exhibit defendants exhibit you are the defendant number 512 was admitted into evidence in this court you testified that this was the result of damage that occurred on December 15th 2015 yes or no uh, I just need to orient myself because I'm just looking at a picture of a partial no, picture of a No, Ms. Heard, you didn't just so look I at can't. a picture. You looked at your testimony. I, you pointed me towards the page and then asked me a question. I haven't actually reviewed it. I don't know if this was submitted in relation to that incident. Let's pull up, let's actually leave up Defendants 512 and please pull up Defendants Exhibit 725, which is already in evidence Thank you. in redacted form, Your Honor. All right, thank you. You can publish. Just side by side. You've seen this photograph as well, right? I have. On the third day of your direct testimony, you testified that this photograph reflected spilled wine in Penthouse 5 on May 21st, 2016, didn't you? I, again, I don't know because I'm looking at a partial picture of a floor, so unless you remove the metadata you've covered up, we could then tell. If you I didn't remove, cover it up, Your Honor. Could I, we unredact them so we could get context? Yes. That's how it's in evidence. That's how All it's right. in evidence. Next question. Well, the metadata next to it is so that Ms. Heard, to avoid this Ms. Sort Heard, of there is no question pending, and I would appreciate it if you wouldn't be making argument to the jury. Sorry, I thought you would ask me about it. 
No, I didn't ask you about anything. Let's look at your direct testimony from um, the third day. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. Let's turn to page four seven five zero in day seventeen transcript. Uh, sorry, can you four seven five zero? Specifically, line 16. Do you see where Ms. Bredehoff asked you to describe for the jury what took place on May 21st, 2016? I see that. Okay. And do you see that your testimony is reflected about May 21, 2015? Yes. That follows? Okay. Yes. Now let's turn to page 4804. At line 14. 4804, starting at line 14? Yes. Through 4805, line 4. Uh, going to what line? Line 4 at 4805. Do you see that you're testifying that Defendant's Exhibit 725, which is reflected on the right side, reflects spilled wine on the floor in Penthouse 5? That's correct. Okay. And Defendant's Exhibit 512 and 725 seem to be different versions of the same picture, don't they? That's correct. Okay. So which is it? Which one was taken on December 15th, 2015, or May 21st, 2016? If you remove the redacted metadata, you can find out. It's right there. Or if you're telling the truth, you would know. Recognize a portion of a, a, a spilled wine on a floor, and I'm supposed to know off the top of my head when you've no. lived through five years of this stuff? I don't think so. That's not how that works. Okay. Thank you, Tom. Ms. Hurd, at the beginning of your cross-examination last Ronald, week... May we approach? Yes. All right. Ladies and gentlemen in the gallery, I would ask that there be no words or no phrases, no words... No sounds at all coming from you. If I hear one more sound, I will clear the gallery and we will continue this testimony without anybody in the courtroom. Understood? Good. All right, your next question. Ms. Hurd, at the beginning of your cross-examination last week, I showed you an audio where you told Mr. Depp to tell the jury, tell the judge, tell the world that he is a victim of domestic abuse. Do you remember that? That's correct. And you testified you found it hard to believe that Mr. Depp would tell the world that he's a victim of domestic abuse, didn't you? I said I find it hard to believe that he would do that knowing that he himself had beat me up for five years. But he has told the world that he's your victim of domestic abuse, hasn't he? Well, he started to say that only recently. He didn't make that claim up until very recently. So when we signed our divorce agreement and we signed a statement saying that neither party had ever said false claims for financial gain, 
it was relevant and important to me because I was the only one making the accusations. I was the only one making those claims. He wasn't doing that at the time, and he signed his name to it. You didn't expect as many people to show up and testify on his behalf that did, did you? Incorrect. When you told this jury under oath that you never assaulted, actually, strike that, sorry, Your Honor. When you told this jury under oath that you punched Mr. Depp because you thought of Mr. Depp pushing Kate Moss down the stairs, you didn't expect Ms. Moss to agree to testify that that never happened, did you? Incorrect. I know how many people will come out of the woodwork to be in support of Johnny. So you think Ms. Moss needs to come out of the woodwork to testify for Mr. Depp? Everybody who was around in the 90s and the early aughts knew that rumor. I had heard that rumor from multiple people. Of course, that's what flashed through my head when my violent husband not only swung for me, but all of a sudden swung for my sister. Of course I thought of that. I did not expect her to show up or not expect her to show up. It didn't matter. It doesn't change what I believed at the time when we were on the stairs and I thought he was going to kill my sister by pushing her down the stairs. You told this jury under oath that Mr. Depp was aggressive and trashed a trailer in Hicksville. You didn't expect the manager of the Hicksville property, Morgan Knight, to come forward and testify that that was untrue, did you? Incorrect. I've already been through trials with this man. I know how many people will come out in support of him. When you told this jury under oath that you had no idea that the paparazzi would be at the courthouse on May 27, 2016, you didn't expect a TMZ employee to show up to testify that TMZ had been alerted that you would be at the courthouse and knew exactly which side of your face to take a picture of, did you? I know how many people will come out and say whatever for him. That's his power. That's why I wrote the op-ed. Is I was speaking to that phenomenon. How many people will come out in support of him and will fall to his power? He is a very powerful man, and people love currying favor with powerful men. Currying favor know that and risking jail it. time for committing perjury. Excuse me. I didn't. I didn't hear your question. You didn't Excuse hear my me. Question. Miss Vasquez, if you do mind, curry, please just repeat the question. I didn't hear you. Curry favor and commit perjury in this courtroom. I have seen for a powerful people do this. Man? I have seen people do this time and time again. That's why I wrote the op-ed. You didn't expect Ben King, the house manager in Australia, to show up from England. He flew from England to testify that Mr. Duff's fingertip was found exactly where he said it would be. Did you? I have never heard Johnny testify to knowing where his finger was or really, frankly, making a claim that he knew where it was when it was found. I've never heard Johnny claim that. You didn't expect Johnny Keenan Wyatt. Johnny has never misheard. actually said that. Ms. Heard. And I think the jury can. Yes. Ms. Heard, there's no question pending. You didn't expect Keenan Wyatt, Mr. Depp's longtime sound technician, to show up and testify that Mr. Depp is not being fed lines through his earpieces, but instead music, did you? Not that it matters much, but of course, of course I did. I, I know how his employees treat him. So you probably, I know how his, his team treats him. Of course I expected that. Okay, so you probably expected Isaac Bruch to come and testify for Mr. Depp, right? Um, I'm not sure I thought about that. Yeah, but you didn't expect Mr. Bruch to weep, to weep for Mr. Depp. After what you've put him through, and so many others, with your lies, I relate you? to I relate to Isaac because he and I are There's the no only ones who cried on this stand. Nothing further. All right, Cry, uh, redirect. Thank you, Your Honor. Ms. Hurd, if if Mr. Barouche felt misled, who misled him? Johnny, and I don't blame him. I don't blame him from crying. This is horrible. Ms. Vasquez has suggested that you faked bruises on your face. Is that true? Absolutely not. I didn't need to. Did you ever fake an injury 
caused by Mr. Depp? No. Is any of the evidence of your injuries that has been put to the jury in this trial fake? No, absolutely not. And to the extent that there may be some confusion over when a picture of spilled wine was taken, why might that be? Objection. There's so lack many. of foundation. Overruled. Because there's so many incidents of violence. There are so there's so many pictures. There's so much evidence. Most people don't have this kind of evidence for years. Five years. And when I was saying that to Johnny on the phone in that recording, I was saying for years this has been going on. And I have pictures. We have texts. We have everything. Normally you don't get this amount of evidence. That's what I was pointing out to Johnny. It would be crazy to try to challenge this in this way. It's crazy. It's easy to, to not know the context of a, a picture of spilled wine because there are so many more important details, pictures, and also so much I didn't photograph, so much I didn't have the presence objection, of Objection, non-responsive. Right, I'll sustain the objection. Next question. Did Mr. Depp abuse you physically? Yes. Verbally? Yes. Emotionally? Yes. Psychologically? Yes. How did the threats that Mr. Depp made against you individually years ago resemble what you've endured as a result of the Depp-Waldman statements? Beyond the scope of cross, Your Honor. Overruled. Johnny promised me, promised me he would ruin me, that he'd ruin my career, He'd take my life from me. Death was the only way out. And if I got out, this is what he'd do to me. He'd make me think of him every single day. He promised me global humiliation. You saw those texts. He, he, what he couldn't do, the work of one individual, meaning Johnny, when he was inviting a, a disgruntled employee over for a spot of purple to fix my flabby ass up, that revenge that he sought back then was just what he could do as an individual, calling the studio to get me fired, trying to block him. Objection, Your Honor, lack of foundation, speculation, hearsay, non-responsive. I'll sustain us to non-responsive. Ms. Hart, how did those things that you just testified to, that Mr. Depp did, how did those resemble what happened to you after the Depp-Waldman counterclaim statements were made? Well, those are, those Question, are just, Your Honor, lack of foundation. She's overruled. Thank oh. you. Thank you, Your Honor. Those are just an echo of what I'm living through today. It's like what I'm living in right now, what you see in this courtroom is an echo. This courtroom and the other courtroom he dragged me into to do the same thing again. That's just an echo of the violence and the abuse that I suffered within our relationship the campaigns to have me fired, the blocking me to try to ruin my career, the threats he's made to humiliate me globally are being lived out in real time in front of you, ladies and gentlemen, for the past six weeks and for the whole world since our camera's here. No further questions. Thank you so much, Amber. All right, Ms. Hurd, you can have a seat next to your attorneys. If I can have the attorneys approach. Witness. Your Honor, the counterclaimant Amber Heard rests. All right. Thank you, ma'am.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, you have heard all the evidence you're going to hear in this matter. What I propose doing is to go ahead and give you the rest of the afternoon off so you can have a good restful afternoon and evening, and we will do closing arguments tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., and then the case will be submitted to you for deliberations. Just to give you a little logistics of how that will go, tomorrow um, I won't give you a time limit as far as how long you can deliberate in the afternoon into the evening. Uh, I will tell you, within reason, I will tell you I do not serve dinner, so keep that in mind, okay? Uh, you will not be deliberating on Saturday or Sunday or Monday, because Monday is a holiday. I would like you to have you back here Tuesday morning, um, uh, at least by 9 o'clock. If you want to come earlier, that's up to you. Uh, you can decide as a group if you want to come earlier than 9 o'clock, but you have to be here at least by 9 o'clock to, to resume your deliberations again. And again, on Tuesday night, and if you have to go to Wednesday or Thursday, that the time that when you take your breaks is up to you as long as you take them uh, together as far as not having any deliberations unless all of the jurors are in the room at the same time. When you take your lunch is up to you. And then again in the evening, within reason, I'll let you go as long as you'd like to go. Okay? So have a good evening and we'll see you tomorrow morning. Okay? Do not discuss the case with anybody. Don't do any outside research. We'll go ahead and take a, a modified lunch recess just till 12.50. We'll come back at 12.50. We just have a few jury instructions left we have to do. Make sure we get the verdict form taken care of. I want you to review the laptop that we have mocked up and make sure everybody agrees what's on it. Um, and also I want you to look through all your exhibits and make sure we're all on the same page before you leave. I'll make sure you have copies of the jury instructions in the order that I'm going to read them and you should be able to prepare for your closing arguments for tomorrow, okay? All right, we'll see you at 12.50 then. Right. Now, I will stop at nothing. Let's see if Mollusk has a pair. Come see me face to face. I'll show him things he's never seen before, like the other side of his when I slice it off. Did I read that right? You did. And that certainly did not look good for Johnny Depp there. So let's bring back our guests to discuss this. Catherine, how does this text make Johnny Depp look in the grand scheme of this case? When he was being uh, questioned by Mr. Rottenborg regarding that, it does look at first glance to be very detrimental for her because of the language uh, and the obscenity in it. But then he was uh, redirected by uh, his counsel and he explained what that was, which made perfect sense in that he said that he wrote that text because he was so angry and anyone in his position could probably relate to what he's saying that sometimes I, I, I presume all of us have written a text in a very angry, uh, you know, demeanor and it comes off like that. So I think it's understandable where after he explained what that is. Matt, could this text fuel Johnny Depp's motive to be involved in the defamatory statements Amber Heard is suing for in her counterclaim? Well, I, I think it can. It, it, it can relate to that. But, but what I think this text does is that it, it exposes uh, sort of the, the real Johnny Depp. I mean, we, we've observed Johnny Depp on the witness stand in this case talking, uh, you know, crack jokes. And, and, and I think, you know, that's kind of what the jurors um, see of him on a daily basis. But 
in, in, in actuality, this is a glimpse into what Johnny Depp is like when he's sitting uh, in his living room with a phone in his hand and, and jotting off you know, some text. And I think what it also does is today's testimony by, by Amber Heard, uh, you know, the jurors can look back at that text and say, well, yeah, let, let, we see a pattern here of, of, of trying to, uh, you know, attack Amber Heard at every level, even after their relationship has long ended. Uh, so, so I think when you juxtapose that text with what we heard from Amber Heard today, uh, it doesn't uh, it doesn't uh, have a good look for Johnny Depp. Okay, so now let's listen to Depp's team trying to clear this text message up on redirect. Uh, Mr. Rottenborn referenced that you were on the stand for multiple days. Four and a half, I believe, yes. Yeah. What was the nature of that examination? Or, excuse me, who was conducting that examination of you? Um, uh, QC Sasha Wass. And whose attorney was that? The son's. Can we please pull up DX-857A? All right, it's already in evidence, so you can publish it. Mr. Depp, do you recall seeing this text message when Mr. Rottenborn was questioning you? Oh, yes, I do. Can you explain what you're conveying to Mr. Carino in this text message? I'm in... I'm in total shock that this is happening to me, that my entire life on the planet has been uh, brought to the, the head of a pin with all this um, completely utterly false information so I am yeah when you're accused of horrific acts and things that you have not done when it's actually some very uh, ugly things that are going out there into the world about you on a non-stop basis by Ms. Hurd and her team, you have a tendency as humans to get very, very irate and angry not to the point where you go out and hurt someone not to the point even where you assault a cabinet but you do get irate you do wonder why this person is doing this to me so yeah many things go through your head um and then you've got your family you've got your kids You've got your parent, your, my mom, thankfully, didn't get to read any of this, because that would have killed her. But my father, my, my family, my, everyone that I've met, the people that have supported me, suddenly I'm scum. Why? Never had to happen. One little lie. So yes. 
All right, so you just heard what Johnny Depp had to say about that text. And when you see something in the courtroom like that and you read it, it really is hard to unsee it, though. So, Catherine, with that being said, do you think the jury will disregard the text on the basis that Depp was just expressing himself? As I mentioned earlier, I think they would likely do that. And uh, let me back up and say that I agree with my colleague Matthew that something like this is uh, indicative of how probably Johnny Depp presented himself. So we get a view of that. But at the same time, when Johnny Depp explained it in the way he did and the manner he did during that redirect, it sounded very authentic and very clear as to why he sent that text. I think all of us have had an instance in our life where we are very angry and we sent an angry text explaining our anger. I think that would come across as common sense and the jury will just have to weigh whether or not what he's doing right now in the defamation case is indeed the global humiliation he's trying to threaten uh, according to Amber Heard. And we've talked about this before, you know, a lot of legal analysts like yourselves have said that, you know, the first time Johnny Depp was on the stand, he seemed a little more genuine, a little more authentic, and he did a little bit better than he did the other day. Now, Matt, do you think Johnny Depp's team should have refrained from putting him on the stand in their rebuttal case? Well, I mean, that, that's a tough decision. I mean, uh, he did well when he testified in the past. Uh, he, he seemed uh, to, um, you know, win over the jurors with his humor and, and, his, and the other things that he talked about uh, in the manner in which he presented himself. I don't think he did as well the second time around. And sometimes you don't want to take two bites of the apple. Uh, be happy with where you are and what you got. And don't try to, to, to replicate it. Uh, but here again, I think the, the fundamental issue with regard to this text is that Johnny Depp was angry. Okay, he was angry. He was angry enough to, to, to send this profanity-laced uh, text uh, to someone because of the circumstances he was in. Now, should we believe that Johnny Depp never gets angry any other time? That Johnny Depp never got angry uh, when he was physically in front of Amber Heard? And that instead of being able to text out a message, he could physically act out against him? I think that's the fundamental uh, issue in this case. You know, Johnny Depp, we know, used a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol. And we know he can get pretty darn angry. Could that result in, in, in the threat of abuse or physical abuse or sexual abuse of Amber Heard? I think the jurors have a lot to think about when they put together what Amber Heard has said and what Johnny, in the way that Johnny Depp has acted out in other circumstances. Catherine, what do you think? Do you think that Johnny's Depp, Johnny Depp's team should have refrained from having him on the stand again? As Matthew mentioned, that's a tough call. I think it was good for them to bring in Johnny Depp back because he needed to rebut what Amber Heard uh, testified to and a lot of the other witnesses. One thing that stood out for me when he, in that clip that we just showed, he said that, yes, I am angry. And it made me think because like you mentioned and like most people watching his rebuttal testimony, he sounded to be less, uh, he, he sounded to be more impatient 
And then when he used the word angry, it clicked to me. He sounded angry with at this time that he's in rebuttal. And if we put ourselves in his shoes, he's been listening to all of this for now, you know, six weeks and hearing more and more of uh, whatever testimony from Amber Heard's side and also from his side, from expert, for, for, from lay witnesses, that could make someone really angry. And so when he, he is there now for rebuttal, I think that anger showed and we can see the shift in his mood and said, I am really angry. Now I'm really, really angry after hearing all of this. So I think that's the fundamental difference of his testimony before during direct and now in rebuttal. All right. Thank you for your perspective. You both great analysis as always. We're going to have to take a quick break now here on Law and Crime, but don't go anywhere because on the other side, we'll be taking your questions as we have a live Q&A session with Law and Crime's very own Jesse Weber. So stay tuned. More from Fairfax, Virginia in a bit. very special for the record everybody i'm jesse weber thanks for joining us we are live right now in fairfax county virginia outside of the fairfax county courthouse where earlier today both sides officially rested in the johnny depp amber heard defamation trial we're waiting for a lunch break to finish up we're going to hear the attorneys speak with the judge about some administrative matters possibly some motions the jury has been excused they'll come back tomorrow for closing arguments but right now in this lunch break this is the time when we take your questions so if you're on youtube twitch Twitter, Facebook, you email us, any which way you can get our questions to us in this next half hour or so. We are going to answer your questions in real time. I'm back here with Catherine Lazardo, Matthew Mangino, and Jeanette Levy. We're going to take your questions right now. And Jeanette, I start with you. Something that you and I had talked about earlier, this is a question from Facebook. Uh, Felicia Horvath says, why do you think Johnny was asked questions about Amber's team about incoming text messages? Was that a trip him up? Was that a trip? to trip him up, or was it a mistake on their part? The messages he denied ever saying, and I understand you also received a message about this on Twitter. I did, Jesse, and I received this message actually late last night, and I didn't really have a chance to look at it closely. It was one of those things I just kind of glanced at it and thought, I'll get to it in the morning. But I want to show you uh, what one of our viewers sent to us, and this is our footage. They took it directly from our YouTube channel. So remember that whole uh, question, line of questioning yesterday by Ben Rottenborn? Uh, about uh, these sexual texts talking about, um, you know, Molly's, you know what, is rightfully mine. Should I not just bust in and remove its hinges? And I want to ch change her understanding of what it's like to be thrashed. And there was, it was like, you know, I need, I want, I take, all this stuff. Well, I want to show this to you. You know, it's talking really derisively about women. Well, these texts uh, were extracted from Johnny Depp's phone, right? This is an incoming text. Johnny Depp said that he didn't write it. He said he didn't write this text. He doesn't have enough hubris in him to write something like this and to think that a woman, any woman he wants, is there for his taking. So it says direction incoming. Incoming. So these are incoming text messages. The one Johnny Depp said he wrote yesterday, the one where he said that uh, he sent to Christian Carino and said that Amber Heard is begging for global humiliation, total global humiliation highlighted outgoing mm. he admitted to writing that text message so we don't know if that was a mistake on ben rottenborn's part 
uh, or a mistake or, or if it was intentional. We just don't know. Um, I would love to ask Ben Rottenborn about that. Uh, but this clearly is an outgoing text that Johnny Depp said, yes, I wrote that. The, the ones about the right. really uh, graphic sexual stuff, incoming, it's, it's stamped. So um, it appears it's, possibly that Johnny Depp did not write that. It's a bit curious. I mean, people are, are loyal trial watchers were actually ca catching that. A few of them caught it as well. Um, Catherine Lazardo, a question that was emailed to me from Evanescence Fan. Um, do you actually believe that all of the jury members respected the honor system during the trial vacation? There was a week off, but also think about this. They're off now for the rest of the day. They're going to come back tomorrow. And even during the course of this whole case, do you think they're really not reading anything about this case? Do you think they're not talking to anybody about this case? This is the biggest trial that we've ever seen. I mean, what, is that a <laughs> realistic possibility? I have faith in those jurors that they are following strictly what the judge mentioned. The reason is because if they got found out that they didn't, then they will be booted out as a juror here. And there are alternates to this, uh, to, the, to the panel of jurors that we have. So I think every single juror right now are heavily invested having listened to this for the past six weeks. And like you said, it's the biggest case so far that everyone is watching. So they would not want to not participate in the deliberations. So it behooves them to really follow that strictly, although it will be very difficult, especially during Memorial Day weekend, if they happen to have any uh, parties or gathering with their family for the long weekend. So everyone just really needs to tell their family and friends to do not talk about this trial with me right now. Yeah, I hope the jury is never watching any of Law and Crime's footage. I hope they are not. I hope they're not seeing any of this. I hope they're not on the Q&A session right now and trying to get questions in. Uh, but Matthew, we have a question right now from one of our followers on Twitch. 3FM7DB3. If that is your username, I have no idea what your password is, but it's probably very well protected. The question is, Matthew, how does Amber Heard calling all of the other witnesses liars reflect on her own testimony on cross-examination? And does taking the stand, stand again have any effect on her case, and how so? I think it has an effect on her case. Um, you know, we talk in the law about primacy and recency, so, so she is the last voice uh, that the uh, jurors are going to hear from the witness stand. And I think that her testimony uh, today was powerful. Uh, she stood her ground. She made it clear um, that that this abuse, not only abuse five years ago, but ongoing uh, abuse uh, in terms of you know wanting to humili humiliate her worldwide and, and and those types of things. Uh, she stayed on message. She was forceful. She certainly wasn't passive. I think she I think she did herself a service by coming back and testifying today. Uh, Catherine, we have a question from Facebook, Reem Wael. Can TMZ sue their former reporter, they're, I believe they're talking about Morgan Tremaine, can TMZ sue their former reporter who testified in court yesterday, or did he not divulge any information that be, be considered private? Whether or not TMC can sue him, TMC can sue anytime, anyone can sue. But I do not think that they will do that here. One is because TMC has just been put in this position where everyone was watching the motion that the judge denied. 
uh, for other legal reasons. And second, I do not think that that reporter actually revealed his source. And the way they examined him was very strategic and very precise. They just wanted to point out to the jury that someone leaked the information about the TRO and the video of the cabinet to them. And, and, the, and the person who has the copyright uh, actually gave them that ownership. And who owns that copyright other than the person who shot that video? And that would be Amber Heard. Uh, so I think they did that very well without re re uh, revealing his source because this uh, journalist too, uh, former employee of TMC, would want to keep his integrity as well and not be sued or not be banned by other media as well for for be, having a reputation of revealing sources. So I think they did that well, and he did that well as well. Yeah, he, he had said on the stand that you know he has nothing to gain from this. TMZ is quite litigious, so it, it's something to think about. So we have a question, Anjanette, from Soph on YouTube. So what happens with the rest of the hours that Johnny team, Johnny's team still has left? Does it not matter anymore? Because remember, there were time limits on the presentation of their case. It doesn't matter. It's over. So they budgeted their time very wisely. Who knows what they would have needed on rebuttal. They had to do that. They had to bank some minutes and some hours. Uh, so I think they did a good job of doing that. Uh, I don't know what the final count was, how much time Amber Heard's team used, but uh, they used up quite a bit of time as, as we've discussed many times. Well, uh, Matthew, I have a question from one of our YouTubers, Pranav Gosalia. How much does the likability and believability of the witnesses affect the jury? What are your opinions about this regarding Johnny Depp's witnesses versus Amber Heard's witnesses? Well, they, they have everything to do with the success of the case. Uh, you know, you know, the, the likability, although, you know, we should be listening or the juror should be listening, you know, to this technical evidence and, and how it applies in, in this case and, and, and not really, you know, thinking about, well, this guy seems like a pretty decent guy who's talking right now or this woman is really uh, friendly and I like her. But that's the reality of it. I mean, that's that's the reality of jury trials. You know, jurors are looking at this from their own personal lenses as well and and um you know whether they like somebody uh it might tend to let them believe that person more than someone that maybe they didn't care for so you know as as trial attorneys we deal with these issues all the time uh you know we might have a great case but we have four witnesses and that has everything to do with success and i think it will have an impact uh, on this case as well the other issue is the two parties in this case you know who was likable, who wasn't likable, who did you like more, who did you dislike? I mean, that's going to have a significant impact on the outcome of this case, and it always does. Well, speaking of the outcome of the case, I had a question emailed to me by Sean Hilgenberg, and the question is, I'll throw this to you, Catherine, what happens if Johnny Depp wins? Will there be an appeal? Will it become a long, drawn-out verdict? Can Amber Heard afford the, the payments? If Johnny Depp wins the legal case of, of defamation against Amber Heard, yes, Amber Heard can appeal. Whether or not she will do that, we'll wait and see. Uh, and whether or not she can afford that, that's a question too, because she has testified that 
Johnny Depp's current lawsuit has made it difficult for her financially, specifically also in terms of complying with her pledge to ACLU. And the fees and costs relating to an appeal is also very expensive. So tack that on to the fees and costs she's already incurring with this trial. That is going to be a huge amount for her to take on. So on appeal, that is definitely something to think about when you're thinking of appealing whatever the, the jury decides in this case. So, and Jeanette, we have a question over to you. Um, this is from, actually, I should tell you, the question for you was from uh, OC Cali Girl 49 on Twitter, uh, and it's about you being in the courtroom, but I, my understanding is that we couldn't get in the courtroom today because people were actually cutting the lines. The question was, how was the jury right. reacting during the cross-examination between Amber and Camille? I'm dying to know this, but I won't ask you that. I'll ask you this question from Starberry on YouTube. Can, and, can something be concluded from the way Heard behaved, depending on the attorney's questioning? She was so vulnerable and emotional with Rottenborn, but extremely defensive with Vasquez. What's your thoughts there, Anjanette? Well, uh, she was being pinned down on some pretty, uh, I think, key points by Camille Vasquez. Uh, the TMZ stuff. Uh, the TMZ testimony is so damning for Amber Heard. The, Morgan Tremaine said that he was dealing with the copyright holder because it was, it was such a quick process. So I think that was very damning. The, the stuff about, you know, the TMZ being there for the photographing of, of the bruise and then the next day this photograph with her, of her with Rocky Pennington without the bruise and she said, well, I, I, sh I must have been wearing makeup. Um, I, I think these are key points and they're key points uh, for the DEP team. Uh, so I think that Amber Heard, um, it, we've seen and we've heard in the audio recordings, is not somebody who backs down uh, and doesn't back down easily. And so uh, I think that's just going to be something the jury is going to have to uh, look at. And, and the fact that she, she never concedes that anything, she's made mistakes or done anything wrong. I, I, that's something I've noticed throughout her testimony. We, we all do things that are wrong. We all screw up. We all mess up. Uh, so none of us is perfect. Um, so I thought that was interesting. I just do want to point out, though, as I was walking out of the off the fifth floor of the courthouse, uh, I walked past a gentleman who had been in the courtroom, and he said that Whitney um, Enriquez walked past him, and he looked at her, and she looked uh, none too pleased. I won't use the word that he used. Uh, I tweeted it out, but uh, she, he said she looked pretty angry. Mm, all right. Well, that's an interesting, you know, observation of what's happening with other people there. Um, you know, it's interesting. We're, we're taking more of your questions. We are waiting to jump back live. We're going to see what happens next with the attorneys and the judge. Uh, Matthew, we have a first-time chat question from one of our Twitch followers, Harshad Locky. Could either party contest the verdict in a higher court, or is this decision on the case final? Well, no, there's there's always available in um, you know any trial appellate review. So either party uh, could appeal this case uh, to a higher level. Again, don't forget we're we're looking at sort of two cases in one. You know, we have the original defamation case and we have the countersuit. So um, there's a lot of opportunity here. Um, you know, for review. Uh, you know, depending on what the verdict is on the original claim, depending what the verdict is on the counterclaim. So yeah, it, you know, this process will probably not end here. The other issue is, 
if there's a if there's a verdict and there's a uh, significant um, award to one party or the other, that's certainly going to to uh, you know, trigger uh, the uh, losing party uh, to, to file an appeal. It's not as though once this case is over and and the uh, jury says you owe ten million dollars, that you got to pull your checkbook out and write a check for ten million dollars. That's not that's not the way it works. Uh, so yes, there there is going to be a review of uh, the verdicts in this case. Will our cameras be set up at, at a higher outside of a higher court? <laughs> I don't know. We'll wait and see. In the meantime, we're going to take a quick break. We are waiting to jump back live into that courtroom that you see right behind me. Uh, so take a quick break. We'll take more of your questions on the other side before we have to jump live. right now outside of the Fairfax County Courthouse. We're covering the Q&A session where we are taking your questions on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, however you can get your questions to us on the Johnny Depp Amber Heard defamation trial. Both sides have officially rested. We're waiting to jump live with the attorneys having uh, a meeting with the judge. We'll hear if there's going to be any motions argued. Right now we have a question uh, to you, um, Catherine Lazardo, from Roni Anaya on YouTube. Amber previously testified that she did not write the op-ed about Johnny. During Cross today, she just admitted she did write it about him, and he was why she wrote it. How do you think that's going to affect things? It will significantly affect things because this, the core of Johnny Depp's defamation trial uh, and claim is about the op-ed. And in the defamation case, in a defamation claim, one of the elements you have to prove is whether or not Amber Heard wrote the op-ed. Now, we've seen a lot and heard a lot of testimony about that. We know from the ACLU's right. general counsel, they testified that it was written by ACLU. But at the same time, it was also approved by Amber Heard. And it was a collaborative effort between the two of them. I think there would not be any dispute that Amber Heard wrote the op-ed. So it's to do anything about it. So I think it might just be that it's in evidence. However, it's not going to go back to the jury because it's corrupted. Okay, does everybody agree to that? Yes, Your Honor. Thank you. It's okay. just an Eastern Columbia building video, so that's fine. That's just, yeah, yeah. just it's corrupt. Okay, do you have more exhibits to give? Good. Let's get Jamie here. All right. All right, so these... You want to get your list, Jamie, and make sure. Go ahead. All right. It's uh, defendants 393, 827, 857A, 1859, 1905. Make sure that's nothing. Second page of that. 1050. Yes. It seems to be a longer one. Hold on. And I think that is it, correct? All right. Are you missing any other exhibits? Your Honor, if I may approach. Yes, you have some? some okay. Today. Yes. Let's go ahead and get those.
All right, so these were the two through. Oh, these. All right, so we have. Okay, I think I. I think this one's theirs. All right, so I have plaintiffs exhibit 1316 and 1317. Yeah. I still need 1301. 1301? Does anybody have 1301? Plaintiff's 1301? It was an Instagram post. An Instagram post. We'll get it, Your Honor. And then that 711A and 711B today. 711A and 711B, the one without the metadata. It, one with the metadata showing. It was the same pictures, but it showed the metadata. I believe that was 712A and 712 and 713A. Yes. Seven, I don't have those. Well, we just don't have them. 712 okay. and 713A. Understood. Okay. I, well, can I get them now? Yeah. <laughs> trying to get all the exhibits together right now so we have them all together so we can review them. And then the other one is uh, 120D is not in evidence, but it's on their list as in evidence. 120D? As in David? Yes. So 120D was listed as, you had it as an evidence, but we do not have it in evidence. All right. Is that every all the pieces of evidence? Excellent. That's good. Good. Okay. So we are very close to getting all of that. I just want to, I don't want to leave here until we have every piece of evidence with Jamie and everybody has reviewed it. So we don't have to review that tomorrow and, and waste time with that. Okay. All right. So now I think we can do jury instructions, correct? All right. Let me just go over the ones that we had a few issues with. Um, at the first one I'm going to go over is the self-defense. The two, there's two, uh, that would be number 28 and 29, correct? And I took those under advisement. Um, do you still have an objection to the self-defense? All right. So what, what evidence do we have in trial that would would allow to have this these two jury instructions? Sure, Your Honor. So I, I think the evidence there's evidence in the record showing that um, you know, Mr. Waldman was Mr. Depp's agent. That uh, you know he was retained in connection with the UK litigation and with this litigation. Um, there's evidence that he engaged with third parties in that capacity, that he met with the Daily Mail with Mr. Depp, and that he believed Mr. Depp's version of events. And so I think all of that, I think, is, is relevant evidence to a self-defense, that Mr. Waldman made those statements in self-defense on behalf of Mr. Depp. All right, so you're saying if, if agency is found. If agency is found. We believe they're inappropriate, Your Honor. First of all, we have not been able to locate case law, but... Um, we I found would, one from 18, what was it, 1887. And I know I had seen one. Uh, a we while said it was back. a reversible error if you didn't give the self-defense one. So, uh, Well, I, I, I know we had I'd taken a look at one a while back. I think, but I don't have a case site for you. I think it's a question of law as to whether it applies. And so I, at a minimum, um, I think we should figure that out, I guess. But the reason we don't think it should apply um, is these were statements that are made that were made by Mr. Waldman in 2020. I guess it was before Ms. Hurd's counterclaim. So if he's saying that he yeah, goes to the op-ed, I think. Uh, understood. So if he's saying that it's this lawsuit was a statement in response to the op the op-ed, 
the statements that were made a year and a half later by Mr. Waldman, and it doesn't, I mean, again, Your Honor, the, the key words are fairly and reasonably. So obviously both sides are going to argue defamatory implication and what did the op-ed really mean and did it, did it say these things. But saying, even under their theory, two years ago I became a public figure representing domestic abuse, to, to say that then it's fair for Mr. Waldman a year and a half later to make public statements that Amber and her friends roughed up the place and spilled a little wine, it, what, you know, all the things that he said in those statements, that's not fairly and reasonably. Ms. Hurd responded fairly and reasonably to Mr. Depp's case but through her counterclaim. The parties can speak to each other in the courtroom here, but the, saying that if someone makes a statement in an op-ed that then you can go and launch, do whatever you want for two years, say whatever you want, and obviously there's only three statements that comprise the counterclaim, but as the evidence has shown, it was part of a pattern by Mr. Waldman that was, I mean, it's the opposite of proportionate. It's the opposite of fair and reasonable response. Okay. Mr. Depp's opportunity for a fair and reasonable response, well, we don't believe it was either, but he had the opportunity to file a lawsuit in this court. Right. Um, to have Mr. Waldman be his attack dog and to say anything Mr. Waldman then says as his attack dog is somehow fair and reasonable and entitled to the privilege is inappropriate. And I do think that before Your Honor gives it, we need to confirm whether it's a question of law. Okay. Uh, Your Honor, Mr. Rottenborn noted that this lawsuit was a response to the op-ed, but I think there could be multiple statements in response uh, to the op-ed, so that I, don't, I think that's not dispositive of anything. And The statements were clearly a direct response to, to Ms. Herb's allegations on their face, and whether, those, whether, those, whether that response was fair and reasonable is a jury question. I, I don't, what, what do you say is the matter of law? The privilege of self-defense is a matter of law? I think it could be, whether it applies. Okay, I, well, I think, I don't think it's a matter of law. I think it's whether or not if there is any evidence that a jury could find it being protective speech, not the weight of the evidence, but if there is any evidence. And I don't think it's my, my role to weigh that evidence as far as how long it was made afterwards. Um, I, I, think it, I think it is, Your Honor. I mean, I, it can't be the case that any time there's an alleged death, this is why this doesn't come up. Often, because this isn't this just isn't given. If this if this if it were appropriate here, every time there's a defamation case, this would be a, 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 a an instruction. Even the person who's the defendant in the case who said, so, "Well, all I said I was I was responding so, to something that was said before." So yeah, all all your evidence that you say goes to the jury are just the statements. That's why this should be given. That he made the statements. That's the only evidence. Well, I think I. You gave me evidence of agency, but that's just agency. Do you have any evidence that of self-defense, that this was that he actually said these statements because of what she said? Well, I think there's circumstantial evidence, at least, that he was, he's, so it's agency. He's an attorney who's retained in connection with this litigation and the UK litigation. That doesn't automatically give you self-defense, though, a privilege right. of self-defense. And that's, that's you, you, you have to make them, I have to have some evidence that the statements were made in response to the, the direct accusations of Ms. Hurd. And just some the, evidence. On, on their face, they appear to be a, a direct response. Not the statements themselves, but is there any other evidence? But the statements fairly arose in response to Ms. Hurd's accusation. Did anybody testify that, they, that he made these statements in response to her op-ed? No. Not that I'm aware of, Your Honor. All right. 
Your Honor, just one small point there. There's no requirement that it be in response to the op-ed in particular. The question for self-defense to apply is simply whether it's made in response to an allegation against Mr. Depp. And Mr. Walden's evidence is clear, I think, that he was responding to allegations against Mr. Depp, and he believed those allegations to be false. There was extensive evidence in the record on that, in fact, I think. That he was responding to, so if it's not the op-ed, then we're really in murky ground. If he says, well, I was responding to what she said in 2016, that's very murky. What Mr. Munoz is saying is that you take it as a separate case. You take it as a separate case, their claim and then your counterclaim. So your counterclaim is a separate, stand-alone case, right? Okay. So the stand-alone case doesn't, your claim doesn't deal with the op-ed. So they're saying in defense of your case, that's why this comes in. But he couldn't have made the statements in defense of our case because these are the basis for our case. So what was he responding to if it wasn't the op-ed? And if it's not the op-ed, then we're really in murky ground. Plus, Your Honor, a couple points. To your point, there's been no testimony that he made these in self-defense to anything. Two, the defense doesn't apply. This is under the Haycox case, 1958. It doesn't apply if we prove malice. So it has to be made in good faith and without malice. So it's coextensive. I can bring the case up if you want, Your Honor. So the malice inquiry incorporates this. This is the, let's see, 200 Virginia 212, Haycox v. Wilcox Dunn. And it looks like on page 231, they're discussing a Massachusetts case that says, statements made in an honest endeavor to vindicate one's character or to protect one's interests are usually regarded as qualifiably privileged, even though they are false, if they are made in good faith and without malice. So the malice inquiry takes care of this. And in addition, I don't think I need to remind the court, but for the record, Mr. Waldman was not allowed to answer any questions about this. So to say, well, he could have been making it in defense of something. They could have let him answer questions and get that evidence on the record. They can't say, well, he could have been making it in defense of something now. And when I say, just looking at your case, you're claiming these alleged defamation, the three we have allegations. Well, they're saying in response that they made them because of something she said that maybe is not the op-ed. But then there's no evidence of what that is. She responds, she was sued. She said 2016 when she made her, then 2018, she has the op-ed that have a couple words that they're trying to turn into what we've just seen for the last six weeks. And then she responded to the lawsuit. So it can't be the case that by trying to defend yourself in a lawsuit that was brought against you, if it's not the op-ed, then it's got to be her statements in the lawsuit. That somehow trying to defend yourself through judicially immune statements in a lawsuit entitles someone else to go out and say whatever they want and then try to veil themselves in the privilege. The counsel for Ms. Hurd made a point of 
making clear that there was extensive allegations about Mr. Depp circulating. They repeatedly brought up the U.K. action, which was, in fact, the context in which I believe these statements were made based on the date. It was very close in time to the U.K. action. They brought up the Dan Wooten article. These allegations date back to 2016. These allegations are out there, and there's evidence from which the jury could find that Mr. Waldman was acting in defense of Mr. Depp. Well, no, acting in defense against Ms. Hurd's accusations. So what are Ms. Hurd's accusations that would be defense that are in evidence? Your Honor, there has been extensive evidence of the accusations against Mr. Depp going back to 2016. For example, the Dan Wooten article that they raised in evidence prior to the op-ed, which included the word wife beater, and it was essentially, you know. But it has to be. That's not Ms. Hurd's statements. Ms. Hurd's statements. I don't believe that's correct, Your Honor. It doesn't have to be. Against Ms. Hurd's accusations. It is. It is correct. That would be crazy, Your Honor, if they get a jury instruction because he was responding. I understand that. Yeah. Again, the number of allegations made by Ms. Hurd, it's been very well documented in this case. You have the op-ed, and it doesn't have to be just. It doesn't have to be any one particular allegation, but you have the op-ed. You have the People magazine article. You have the republication of her statements through the wife beater and the Dan Wooten article. You have the fact that she was giving testimony in the U.K. action about these issues. Well, then would you agree that actual malice, you don't get the self-defense if there's actual malice in his statements? If the jury finds actual malice, then you don't get it. If the jury finds actual malice, that may obviate the privilege, but that doesn't mean that the privilege is not applicable or a valid jury. But the only way they can find in this case is if there is actual malice. This goes back to their defense, a slap defense as well. The only way they find defamatory statements in this case is if there's actual malice. And it's unique to this case. I understand that. But so if they find actual malice in defamatory statements, you don't have protected speech privilege. And if there's no actual malice, they win. Yes, correct. The same with this. That's why we're not giving a jury instruction on the slap defense because there's no basis for it. I mean, if the instruction is not being given on the understanding that it's essentially moot. Which I agree. I think that's what happened with the slap defense as well. We found out after we went down that legal road, we found out that was moot as well. Okay. So do you want me to deny it or withdraw it? I'll do either one. If you don't mind denying, Your Honor. Okay, that's fine. I'll deny. That's instruction 28 and 29. Put that in the deny stack. All right. Next one I have is the republication one. Okay. So I see both of them dueling paragraphs for the republication. Yes, sir. And I understand last time we spoke that you added, you must determine whether any content that was added constitutes a republication. And you just would rather have just the three sentences as yours for republication. Is that correct? Correct, Your Honor. You must find that she read or you want to add that into it? I'm not sure. I'm just not sure how I'm reading it. I think, and I don't mean to put words in their mouth, I think we want the whole thing at the top. Right. And they just want 
the one sentence at the bottom. That's okay, correct. Th that's correct. And, Your Honor, we talk about not going backwards. We, we went over no, this on Friday. Your Honor said that um, on page 92 of the transcript, right. I don't have a problem with the republished jury instruction. I just think it has to be accurate with adding the language. And right. that language was on page 89. You said, but you also have to say, but adding content to it may establish republication. So that's what we did in the, in the sentence that starts with merely linking. Right. It did say merely linking to an article does not amount to republication, period. And then we added directly from the transcript, but adding content to it may establish republication. Mm -hmm. So th now, they, now they're going backwards. They just want you to strike the whole thing except the, the first sentence. And that's different from Your Honor's ruling on Friday and also doesn't fully capture No, it doesn't capture the whole doctrine. legal well, argument. If, if I may just just uh, make our, our, our argument for the record here, I Your Honor. I you did on Friday, but if you want to do it again, that's fine. Okay, just very quickly. So I, I think the issue with republication is whether it reaches a new audience, which is um, what, what we propose. And that's there. What we propose, well, it's, it's included in their instruction, and that is basically the full extent of our proposed instruction, and we believe it should be limited to that. Okay. Um, Lakova is a case that they've repeatedly cited in, in support of this republication issue, and that's a case where there was a defamatory New York Times article that was hyperlinked in a more recent New York Times article, and the court said that that's not directed at a new audience. It's the same party tweeting to the same audience, so there's no republication. And that's not the case here, where Ms. Hurd has retweeted a Washington Post article. So that you know, Ms. Hurd's article, Ms. Hurd's audience on Twitter is different than the Washington Post. And but, so if, that's but if she just retweeted a hyperlink, that's different. But in this context, and that's why I took the motion strike under advisement, once I got it, there was more content to it. And that's why I'm putting it in the jury instruction, because it is accurate that a hyperlink alone is not enough to reach a new audience. But I'm willing to, what I think would also add to it, though, is after you must determine whether any content that was added constitutes republication. And... Um, uh, Let's see, I would say then you must determine whether any added content republished the op-ed to a new audience. I could say it that way. Or I could say, but adding content to a linked article may constitute republication. You must determine whether any added content was intended to reach a new audience. If you find it was intended to reach a new audience, it constitutes a republication. I could say it in that term. Add that to the end of that paragraph. I think that, I think, uh, I think that's fine. If, if uh, if that's any, the court's inclination. Do you have any objection to that? Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, sorry, I'm okay. slow on the other. Yeah, that. Sure, okay. Um, let's see. All right, let me see if I can incorporate into it. Okay, so merely linking to an article does not amount to republication, but adding content to a linked article may constitute republication. You must determine whether any added content was intended to reach a new audience. If you find it was intended to reach a new audience, it constitutes a republication. I think we would prefer just to say just that first sentence, merely linking to an article does not amount to republication, but adding content to a linked article may establish republication, period. Well, that's what you already had. This is no, no, because we had the, you must determine whether any added content that was added constitutes a republication. I think it'd be better to just delete the last two sentences than to add the sentence at the end. I, Your Honor, I think I just want, I just want to note I don't think that adding content is is a requirement for republication. I mean, we've found a number of cases that when somebody repeats a defamatory statement, that they're as liable as the original defamer. 
We're not and going uh, back. We're not going backwards. So either it's his language or my language. What I, do you want? I prefer the court's language. All right, I'm <laughs> going to put my court's language. Okay. Um, do you want us to do the revisions? Because if you do, we may have to just get one one more time from you. Okay. Um, um, we're happy we, to. Or Sandy, can you do it? Okay. You've, you've got, you gave them to you gave them to the word format. We did. All right. Can you do that here? The only other thing I would notice, I think the word retransmitted in the second line is misspelled. In the second line? Okay. All right, we'll take care of that. But adding content, just do it. Adding content, yeah. It's like this one right here. Okay. Two, and then just get rid of all of this and add this instead. Okay. All right, and we'll clean it up and just take out the box. Okay, we'll get that done. Okay. All right, takes care of that one. Next one is, I think, instruction FF. Mm -hmm. um, defamatory meaning, consider the publication as a whole. And we have dueling answers here. And the defendant just has op-ed in it. The plaintiff just has it as plain, which, I mean, it does say that it means you may not seize any word, phrase, or image. So it would appear that so it could apply to both of them in that context. The, the, the problem, Your Honor, is that we believe that because the counterclaim statements that the jury will be presented with are redacted, so the statements right. are in isolation, that the, there's a risk that as they're phrasing it, the jury may read the phrase, you must read the statements in context as a whole, to say, well, we can't do that, so therefore there's no liability. We think, because it's, it's, it's impossible to read those statements in the context of the whole piece, and so, so that's number one. Number two, um, the, the op-ed was all Amber's statements. So the whole well, thing is her words. The, the counterclaim statements were Mr. Waldman's quotes in another article that we don't believe, you know, well, that's not an evidence. So there's no point arguing about that other than you just have these one, you know, one or two sentences from Mr. Waldman. Um, so we believe that the, the jury is going to be confused if we give their instruction and say we cannot read it as a whole, so therefore we can't, um, w you know, we can't uh, follow the jury instruction. Okay. I can see your point with that. Yes, sir. I, I don't think there's anything in the, there, I mean, there's a lot of instructions here. I don't think there's anything that would indicate they can't find a liability if they're not able to take statements in their, their proper context, in the context of, of the entire article. Um, just thought it would be more appropriately phrased to be mutual um, as opposed to obviously applying only to one party. Well, because yours says you must read the statements, which is true, but you also can take the content in the context as a whole, but there's, you can take the context of the op-ed as a whole, which is accurate. Um, I, what I could do if you want, I could keep the op-ed up top for their their claim, and then for your claim, we can, in determining whether any of the statements attributed to Mr. Waldman are false and, def and defamatory, you must read the statements. I could keep that in there as the second paragraph. That way, you that way they can't just pull out, which because it's accurate law also that they just, they just can't pull out the word hoax and say, okay, this whole statement. Agreed. Okay. That's fine. Thank you. That, okay. I, I, that's that's fine. In concept, I, I guess I would ask if Jerome does that to add a clause saying disregarding any redactions on in, well in it the says the statements themselves statements and statements and there's you must read the statements in context as a whole right, right. so I, I, I think 
I mean, could we say in determining whether any of Mr. Waldman's statements or whatever are false and defamatory, you must read the text of those statements as a whole, the text of those statements in context as a whole or something. Um, well, it's kind of, you must read the statement in context must, as a whole. I you must read, can we say you must read those statements in context as a whole? You must read those no, I, I statements in context. That it's impossible for them to. Any problem with just putting those instead of the. Uh, I don't think we have a problem with okay. that. Okay. In determining whether any of the statements attributed to Mr. Waldman are false and defamatory, you must read those statements in context as a whole. This means you may not seize on any one word, phrase, or image, or consider only one particular statement, phrase, or passage in isolation. Does that sound correct? Yes. All right. We'll add that as a second paragraph. Keep Sammy busy. <laughs> All right, the next one I have is the objections and assertions of privilege. Which? 32. Oh, I'm sorry, it's uh, sorry. DEP 32. Okay. It's a new, a new instruction. Um, oh, oh, yeah, right, right, right. Do this is the one at the end. This is the new one. Do you have any um, objection? We do. Yeah. Okay. Um, the objection, Your Honor, is that the objections made during, by counsel during the course of trial, we have no problem with something on that. But instructions, what they're trying to do is to direct the jury how to, what inference to draw from Mr. Waldman's instructions not to answer. Well, and well, the only legal inference they can draw, they can't draw any inferences from that. Exactly, and that's my point. Is well, that, that's what this says. You, you may not uh, draw any inferences from the fact that objection was made. Yeah, but saying some sometimes attorneys stated objections during the course of this trial and instructed a witness, no. Right. And instructed a witness not to answer a question. Objections and instructions to witnesses are not evidence. And you may not consider them in reaching your verdict, nor are you to draw any. So, why do they need to be told this? I mean, I think this is. I think this risks confusing because, the jury. Because, well, because to be to be fair, in the depositions you wanted to keep in all those objections. When we usually mm -hmm. we take them out, but you wanted to keep them in. So I want to make sure the jury doesn't have any improper inferences from leaving those objections in. You wanted to leave them in because show that hey, I asked the questions, they weren't answered. Fine. But you can't infer from that, oh, well, they're hiding something then, or it's attorney-client. Understood. I mean, just like you can't infer when someone takes the fifth in a criminal case, I get, I get that. Right, which but I would give an instruction for. Of course, I know. I understand that. But I think that the, I think that the, the jury is entitled to draw their own conclusions, and not inferences. They're not entitled to infer anything from that. But I just think that this risks confusing the jury and getting them to, getting the jury to think, if they stand up in closing and say they haven't presented any evidence that Mr. Waldman was doing this, then that's using this instruction as a sword. If they get up there and say they haven't, do you understand what I'm saying? They haven't proven that Mr. Waldman was acting as his attorney. They haven't proven that Mr. Waldman was authorized to make the statements. Then, then, and then they rely on this to hide behind that. And we're not allowed, and I'm not saying that we will, but I'm not going to say you heard him instruct him not to answer, and that's you should infer that he was acting as his agent. I know I'm not going to say that, but if they're going to argue in closing the converse of that, then that's not that's prejudicial, and that's 
makes this inappropriate. All right. Yes, sir. Mr. Your Honor, this is just an accurate statement of law. They chose to play about 30 minutes of Mr. Baldwin being instructed not to answer. Without this instruction, that's prejudicial. All right. And it would also be prejudicial if they're allowed in closing to say that we haven't presented evidence of anything about the parameters of Mr. Waldman and Depp's relationship. That's that that doesn't follow from this instruction. This instruction is simply saying that the jury is not to draw any inferences from the objections and instructions inserted by counsel. They can consider the evidence. They can consider whether evidence was presented or not. The the instructions and objections are irrelevant to that question. No. All right. I, I understand your your objections, but it is an accurate um, phrasing of the law, and uh, I want to make sure that the inferences aren't taken uh, against an attorney-client privilege. Okay. Um, can you deny it over our objection? You got it. Um, yeah, I mean, and, no, I can grant it over your objection. Uh, sorry. Freudian <laughs> I meant grants. Yeah, sorry. Okay. Um, can we get some direction for the arguments that they're allowed to make on closing on that, Your Honor? Because I don't think that that's appropriate for them to point to a lack of evidence when they didn't allow Mr. Waldman to testify. Pointing out that instructions are not evidence is not the same. I, there, there's no connection here between these issues, Your Honor. No, I, I, I'm not going to do that. So right. we're going to do depth 32. I just need to clean up the top part of it. Okay. All right. Over objection. Be offered. All right. Then I have instruction JJ, which is is the model. Right. So why would I not give the model? We believe you should. I think. Well, the, I, I think the that. only um, looks like the only substantial difference is that they, rather than saying Miss, as it's written, it says clear and convincing evidence oh. that Mr. Waldman's statements. It's confusing and misleading to say that Mr. If you found by clear and convincing evidence that Mr. Waldman's statements were made by Mr. Depp, that we already have a principal agent instruction. Right. If they find principal or agent, I mean that would be the only basis right. for it. Well, for, first of all, Your Honor, if if uh, if if liability is entirely vicarious, which I think is the position mm -hmm. of of the. Um, counterclaim plaintiff in this case. Uh, I don't think there's any evidence of direct liability. If liability is entirely vicarious, then I don't think there's a basis for a punitive damages instruction at all against Mr. Depp because vicarious liability generally doesn't result in uh, punitive damages as to the principal. Um, uh, punitive damages are only applied where, where the person against which punitive damages are being assessed actually engaged in conduct that it was wrongful. Uh, and that's not the way they've pled and sought to prove their case. Um, I think that's the that's the first. So they're point. correct. Okay, they're saying you're not entitled to a punitive damages instruction. Well, I, I disagree with that, and, and there's I don't there's no case law that they've cited in here on that, and I think that's going backwards. That, that's an argument that okay. we are, and I I just think that Mr. Waldman's statements were made by Mr. Depp. I mean, I, I'd be okay with something that said that Mr. Waldman, while acting as an agent for Mr. Depp made statements with knowledge i'd be okay with that did you is that okay uh, i think we would we would maintain our objection on that um on, on the basis previously asserted uh your honor and then what's the other i'm sorry could i have counsel's language again one more time sure 
Yeah, if you have found by clear and convincing evidence that Mr. Waldman, comma, while acting as an agent for Mr. Depp, comma, made the statements with knowledge that they were false or so recklessly, I think it's so reckless. Um, there's a typo there, sorry. Um, we'd be okay with that. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we do maintain the same objection, Your Honor, that okay. principal liability, and we do have case law for, for that proposition. I'll overrule that objection. We'll go ahead and can you type that up real quick for me? Sure. And get that to me. If you email it to Sammy, we can print it out. Yep. Okay. You're in charge of that one. Okay. All right. That's fine. I think that was it, correct, as far as? I think it was, other than the verdict form. Perfect. Let's go to the verdict form. We'll get this. Do you have the other one for you, Sammy? If you can print those out. Uh, yeah. All right, let me get the verdict. All right, I think with the verdict form, it was just um, the first page. Am I correct with that? In the, in the punitive damages. I and the, well, the punitive damages, you didn't have a response, right? Do we have? I think there was just a, there was a comment in what we got from them that we changed. Um, okay. All right. Well, in the. Oh, thank you. All right. Uh, the I think it was in one A. The statement was about Mr. Depp. I think the plaintiff wanted that out because we already have the statement has a defamatory implication about Mr. Depp. And the defamatory implication was designed intended by Ms. Hurd, which I think is. If you look at the, um, I think it should track the finding instruction, um, um, which is jury instruction C on page okay. four of the jury instructions. And that's what the verdict form does. Okay. Let me take a look. And that was C? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the way it's been written tracks the finding right, instruction. tracks the finding instruction. Yeah, we don't have a, a, a strong okay. objection here, Your Honor. Okay. I thought it was maybe cumulative, but. Um, it does match the finding instruction, which would be clear to the jury. So we'll keep that in. That's fine. And then the punitive. And so that so would last... to all of the. Oh, you withdrew all those? Yeah. Uh, we'll withdraw that, Your Honor. We were, um, their proposed language is fine. All right, so the verdict forms as written are the verdict forms good to go, correct? Not, no, I, well. You, I'm sorry. Did they? Did you withdraw the? Did they withdraw the punitive damages? Okay. Sorry. So we're good with the verdict forms. What I have is the verdict forms, correct? Uh, Your Honor, um, I, I think yes, but I do just want to make sure. And I understand we don't go back, but I just want to make sure that, for the record, we, we do maintain that the the verdict form should state that um, the defamatory implication was false and not that the statement was false, because under the Pendleton case, that can. You know, a, a facially true statement can still have a false defamatory implication. I, I, and I think we had that on the record on Friday, but thanks for putting it again. It's fine. All right, so verdict forms are good. So we'll keep the verdict forms. Did you print out the other? No, you can print it out. That's, that's how, yeah. So which ones are we missing then? We're missing which jury instructions? You're working on two of them, right? 32, I have 32 and FF right now. 32 and FF, and you have one jury instruction for me, right? 
Yes, they're right. editing it right now. On, it's JJ. Okay, JJ is coming in. And did, did you do the other one yet or no? Here, here, could you guys do, Michelle, or could you, on DEP 32, could you take off disputed and send that to us too? Yes. Thank you. And that would just leave us, we'll get those two printed out, and then I'll tell you the order that I'm going to do them. While I'm doing that, I do have the, um, the laptop, if both sides would like to look at the jury evidence on these. Um, they're going to, we'll stay up here at the, at the bench, but it, all we did was we uh, put two files on here. There's, there's no password for it. As soon as you open up, it doesn't have any internet, and there's just two files. One's plaintiff, one's defendant. They just click on those two, and then they can watch all the audio and the video, okay? So if you want to take a look and make sure, it's, it's, it's been downloaded to everything that we put on, on our website, which is all the evidence. We didn't receive any new evidence today for audio or video files, so that it's everything on there. But if you want to take a look and make sure that everything is there, you can do that. Also, all the tangible app exhibits that Jamie will have, except we need to get those other ones. So we can, oh, you have them? Perfect. Yes, if I may, um, if I may approach, I have okay, sure. uh, 1301. Okay. And then, uh, Your Honor, I, I just would like some clarification. Sure. Um, I understand that exhibit seven, defendants exhibit 712 and defendants exhibit 713 were initially moved into evidence in redacted format. Correct. Um, today we offered them and put them in an unredacted form, so that's the... 712A and 713 And then 713A. Yeah. Um, I believe your honor should already have those in unredacted form. I believe that's how they were provided to oh, you all by... Oh, there are binders down here? I believe so. I, I will... I will Yes, so I believe those you should actually have those in unredacted form right. from defendants. All right, defendants. Um, we have a oh. few binders down here. Uh, yes, I would. I think they would be in the binders. That's correct. Seven, twelve, and seven thirteen. All right, we'll take those. Yes. Do you want to go ahead and make a proffer now? Yeah, but it included 712 and 713, so I can give you, you copies of that. Oh, you can? Well, <laughs> that, that would make Jamie happy since yeah. she's, she's down here <laughs> digging through binders. Right, right. Well, I can give you copies of that right now. Okay, perfect. All right, now we have those in evidence. Okay, so are we missing any more from over here? Or did you find out about the one that you thought was in evidence? So, Your Honor, um, defendant, I believe, oh, excuse me, it's plaintiff's exhibit 120D. I believe, actually, Sammy and I had a number of back and forth about this exhibit. We, I, I believe that Defendant's Counsel provided a redacted version of that exhibit to yeah. the court, but um, based off of our reading of the transcript, that exhibit was not actually offered into evidence. Okay, so it's not in evidence then. It's not in evidence, Your Honor. I, I thought, and I believe I, I believe I know that just today, um, that we uh, oh, You're gonna take disputed um, off. You don't have it. I'm happy to bring it tomorrow, but um, but it's not in evidence, so we can go back to the jury. 
Okay. All right. So I just want to make sure because it was checked off on somebody's list that it was in evidence. And I just want to make sure. I don't know. But it's not. We're good. And then I, I heard the exhibits 711 A and B. I, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think is that was wrong. It was 712 and 713. Oh. So we're good. All right. So, Jamie, are we missing anything else? Sammy, did you print out the ones that they sent you to? Hmm? The email. Did you email Sammy the. He's just double checking right now. Oh, okay. Okay. We'll get that in a second. Let me just put these in the order. Print out two copies so we can share them. Okay. The one that Sammy printed off on republication, I'm just going to give you a copy so make sure okay. they're right, okay? Yes. And you um, you have, should receive in your email soon, uh, FFJJ and 32. Okay. So if you print those out too, Sammy. Let's print those out. So you, you're sending FF? Also? Mm -hmm. Okay. Did you take the disputed off the top? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, let me just get this printed. Could you print me out an, another one of AA? I just, there's, there's a mark on this one. Um, 
or at least email it to, just email that one to Sammy. Something in the paper, and it just doesn't look right. Your Honor, will we um, will we be getting just a paper a paper printout or a, um, an electronic copy from the court? All I have is a paper printout. Okay, so we'll just we so can scan it. You and, can scan. Okay, it that's do, fine. If you want to do electronic, that's um, fine. And will these be posted on the? Um, not until after I get. Not until after. Okay, I wasn't sure. And then they're read before closing. They're read so, before so. closing.
okay. If you want to take a look at that instruction and make sure it looks okay before I add it to the stack. Do you have the actual malice one? Was that sent to you? Michelle, you said the actual malice one? Yes. Okay. Oh, never mind. Jamie already gave it. Sorry, Jamie. And Your Honor, was it? Um, Did, is there No, I, I think it's fine. Is, is the court, does the court want um, to leave the, you know, herd C, DEP 7 no. sort of things in there? Because, like, otherwise we could... Oh no! Well, yeah, the, the numbers at top can stay. I okay. just don't want. I just don't want to say disputed. No, I don't think any of them say disputed. Okay. No, the numbers. I I, I tell the jurors to disregard the numbers in the, okay. the heading. That's better for the record if we keep it that way. Okay. So, are any are you still reading the publication? Okay. Your Honor, can we get? Sorry to to bother, um, Sammy. Could we get one more printout of the actual malice instruction? Sure. Thank you. Jamie, can we get another actual malice? A A. So these are these are only copies. Any objection to the republication then? As as typed? No, Your Honor. Okay. Put that in there as well. Um, I, hold on. I Is there a typo? I just have a very quick question regarding sure. closing arguments, okay, sure. if we may. Um, does the court have any objection to us playing very small uh, clips of... Yeah, as long as they're in evidence, you can play anything, show any picture. Well, that's my question. So, okay. obviously, uh, depositions were by video. Many of many witnesses, especially for Ms. Heard, do you have any objection to us playing video depositions, portions if, if of... If it's not in evidence, it doesn't get... No, of course, just what's in evidence. Um, there's no video depositions in evidence. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay, so... It can only... The only thing that can be played to them is what is in evidence. But their testimony? It's witness testimony. Well, yeah, but that would be like... But depositions are witness testimony that you have during trial that doesn't go back to the jury as evidence. And deposition, video depositions are the same. That would give more weight to video depositions than witness Well, testimony. so my question is, is a follow-up question to that. Um, obviously, this trial was televised, so there are um, videos of witnesses testifying. No, so, none of that comes in. Okay. The, no, the, the four walls of this courtroom is what the jury decides this case in. Okay. Period. And, and, and just so we don't have a problem tomorrow, also, we can't put in front of the jury 
written deposition or trial That's correct. testimony. That's correct. Understood. Only things that are in evidence. Understood. But you can show pictures in evidence. You can show video that's in evidence. Or audio that's in or evidence. Or audio that's in evidence. Okay. All that's fair game. Okay. No, just, no display of written transcripts either. No written transcripts. Okay. Just only items in evidence. And no, um, I, I was, I'm, I'm on the same page. I'm, okay. I'm I just want to make sure. Thank you, Your Honor, for that have, clarification. And you have two hours, right? right. Two hours each. each. And you, two people over here and two people over there. Is that what's going to happen? Yes, Your Honor. We're going to split our, um, we're going to split our closing, and then one, only one of us will do the rebuttal. Okay. And that has, it, that has to just be on the rebuttal case, correct? On, right. On we right. The, the we have that down. Right. Understood. We've gone through that a few Understood. times. Mr. Chu, yep. do you have something on that? Yes, I just wanted to make sure we were all on the same page. Sure. So plaintiff goes first. Correct. Then the defendant, counseling plaintiff. Right. They do then, their defense to your claim, and also they do their their offense to their claim. And then plaintiff. Plaintiff gets to do their defense to their and claim. And they respond and rebuttal. only with respect to the rebuttal. To the to rebuttal. Their rebuttal to their, to their counterclaim to the counter only. And so it goes one, two, one, two. And plaintiff gets two hours, they get two hours. Uh, Total. Does the, is, is, is it fine if it's not exactly one hour oh, for that, each? That, that doesn't matter That's to me. To no, okay, as thank long you, as your Ryan. time is just two hours, it doesn't matter how much anybody does. Whatever. Thank you, Ron. Okay. If you wanted to shorten that to about 15 minutes a piece. I would want to shorten it to two minutes, but you know. <laughs> That's not my take. I, I gave it two pretty, hours. I thought we got good. pretty efficient at the end. Of well, this you case. know, it's amazing how that happens. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's kind of like the physics. Of, you know, you, you make a circle, and it, the people will fill that circle. Well, that's what happens. I made a circle. Okay, so let's go ahead. And, um, let me just go ahead and read into the record the order that I'm going to give the jury instructions. I'll also read in the record the the instructions that were denied. Uh, and I will read the instructions that were withdrawn just so we have a complete record, okay? All right, here we go. All right, so for the jury instructions, I'll read them in the following order. Uh, number heard I, number three, number 10, one, B as in boy, C as in Charlie, D as in Delta, E as an echo, F, G, H, 12, 13, Y, F, F, A, A, B, B, D, D, that's David, David, D, D, T, T, C, 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 20, Z, as in zebra, T, U, V, as in Victor, K, L, 5, 6, 7, 32, 8, 9, 16, I, I, 30, K, K, and J, J. All right, those are the ones that will be read to the jury in that order. Okay. The ones that were denied was instruction 22, 23, 24, CC, NN, both as Nancy, OO, PP, RR, SS, S as in Sam, SS, 
28 and 29 were the ones that were denied. The ones that were withdrawn for the record was instruction A, 2, 4, 11, 14, 15, 17, 19, 21, 25, 26, 27, X as an X-ray, 31, W, E, E, G, G, Q, Q, D, 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 Q, 18, J, M, N, O, P, R, S, H, H, L, L, U, 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 V, V, W, W, X, X, Y, Y, Z, Z, A, 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 and B, B, B. All right. So we will, I will get you copies now. I'll get you hand copies of the jury instructions I'm going to read in that order so you'll have copies when you leave here, okay? And I'll give you copies of the verdict form as well. And you can have those while you prepare for your closing arguments. Uh, other than that, if you could come up to see Jamie after I leave the bench just to make sure you go through the exhibits and everybody okays the exhibits so we don't have to do that tomorrow. And also if you can have a look at the laptop with Sammy just to make sure all your exhibits are there that are going to go back to the jury, okay? Your Honor, one quick question um, okay. about closing to make sure, sure, sure we don't have any issues tomorrow. Understand um, the jury only sees evidence um, yes. that, that they've seen in the trial. If there's if that evidence is displayed through like a PowerPoint or whatever, are like are headings allowed, or do you not want the jury to see any any written text or anything other than just evidence? I mean, I've seen PowerPoints in in cases before in Med Mal's where they have their other items up there, but I think in this particular case, I'd rather just have no no writing and just have your arguments orally. That's fine. I just wanted to, yeah, make okay. sure that there wasn't. Right. Just try to keep it clean. Or paraphrasing of witnesses or anything like okay. that. It's just that, that sounds fine with everybody. Does, does anybody? That's fine with me. That's a good question, though. Are you going to have a PowerPoint? Probably with evidence. Okay. You know. Did you want me to have the big screen up as well? For the I, I think so. Yeah, wonderful. I think that would be great. Thank okay, you, Your Honor. Yes. Okay, Thank good. you. We'll do that as well. And um, starts at nine. Starts at nine. Closings start at nine. So. Your Honor, Mr. Nadelhaft has a proffer still on some things. Oh, yes, does, okay. Do you want to do that now? Before <laughs> sure. As does yeah, Ms. Everybody Myers. wants to hear your, your proffer. Uh, as does Ms. Myers at the end of Mr. Nadelhaft. Yeah, okay. All right, they have one too. So. Okay. That's right. Go ahead. Yeah. If you can just get to the microphone yeah. so I can hear you better. No problem. Or the court report can hear you better. This will be shorter than the other day. Oh, good. <laughs> okay. Um, on, uh, this is for metadata. On May 16th and May 17th, 2022, the defendant attempted to introduce into evidence photographs from May 21st, 2016 that included metadata on the photographs. Ms. Heard testified that the metadata was included on the photos by pressing a button on her phone. The metadata demonstrated the pictures were taken on May 21st, 2016, along with the times they were taken. The exhibits were defendant's exhibits 700 through 726 and our exhibits A through AA of the proffer 
tabs N and O of the proffer are now blank as defendants 712 and 713 were admitted with the metadata on May 26, 2022. Mr. Depp objected to the metadata on the document stating that the metadata was hearsay and there was no foundation for the hearsay. The court sustained the objection on the ground that the metadata was hearsay and that there was no foundation and admitted the exhibits but redacted the metadata. And then separately, we have a proffer for Stephen Duders. On May 20, 2022, Ms. Hurd moved to designate certain portions of the deposition testimony for trial of Stephen Duders, who was Mr. Depp's personal assistant. Mr. Duders testified that he was on the Boston flight and sat in a seat facing Ms. Hurd and Mr. Depp. He further testified that the day after the flight, Mr. Depp told him he wanted to, quote, smooth whatever issue, end quote, existed with Ms. Hurd. Mr. Depp asked Mr. Duders to, quote, write a text, end quote, to Ms. Hurd and to say, quote, whatever she needs to hear, end quote. Mr. Duders then sent a text message to Ms. Hurd about Mr. Depp stating, quote, when I told him he kicked you, he cried, end quote. The testimony is contained in Exhibit A, Mr. Duders' deposition. Ms. Hurd moved to admit the text message into evidence, arguing it was not hearsay under Rule 2-803, which provides for the admission of statements of a party opponent and his agents. Ms. Hurd argued Mr. Duders was acting as Mr. Depp's agent when he sent the text, and the text message was therefore not hearsay. The text message is Exhibit B to the proffer. Mr. Depp objected to the text message's hearsay, arguing that although Mr. Duders was Mr. Depp's employee, sending text messages to Ms. Hurd was not within the scope of the employment. The court denied the motion to admit the text message in testimony, where finding that Mr. Duders was not acting as Mr. Depp's agent when he sent the text message. And I'll provide, I have copies to provide. All right, fine. We can add it to the list. We have a box for you. All right, add that. Oh, sorry, Eric. I think he has more. And this is the other one. All right, we'll make them part of the record. Thank you, sir. All right, yes, Ms. Myers. Thank you, Your Honor. On May 25th, 2022, plaintiff intended to call Dr. Kim Collins as an expert witness in forensics pathology. Defendants objected on the basis that Dr. Collins had not been designated as a defensive witness and was designated only to rebut Dr. Jordan, which was a defendant's forensic pathologist who had not been put up at this trial. Dr. Collins intended to testify as to whether Ms. Hurd's descriptions of violence and injuries allegedly sustained by Mr. Depp were consistent with the photographic evidence at issue in this trial. She also, for incidents where there was no photographic evidence, she would have testified as to what injuries she would have expected to see based off of the violence that Ms. Hurd testified to. And finally, she would have testified as to her opinion as to the cause, as to Mr. Depp's finger injury and what she observed, which was similar to what Dr. Gilbert testified to today. All right, thank you. Any other proffers? Okay. All right, all right. So just don't leave here until you check the laptop and you check all your evidence and make sure we get your checkbox on that and everybody's happy with it, okay? Anything else for the court? Thank you. Really? No, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Your Honor. I will see you in the morning. All right.
I'm Michelle Yu, and welcome to the third hour of For the Record here on Law and Crime. Thanks so much for joining us. Earlier, Judge Ascarati dismissed the jury for the rest of the day in the Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard defamation trial. The jury will return tomorrow at 9 a.m. Eastern Time for closing arguments. Before we break down that star-studded case, I want to remind you of the other case we are covering down in Florida. Today marks day seven in the retrial of defendant Catherine Magbanwa. The state rested yesterday, so today the defense began to present evidence to the jury to prove she is not guilty of a first-degree murder, conspiracy, and solicitation to commit murder of FSU law professor Dan Markell back in 2014. If you want to check this trial out, you can also watch it on our YouTube channel. And now, though, circling back to Fairfax, Virginia, both sides have rested in day 23 of the civil defamation trial of Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard. All the evidence has now been presented to the jury, and the parties will return to address the jury one last time in their closing arguments tomorrow. Judge Ascarati has allowed two hours for each side, and after she reads the jury their final instructions, the case will then be handed over to them to deliberate. Now, law and crime is all over this case, as you know, in Fairfax, Virginia. So tune in tomorrow, and we'll keep you up to speed with any movement in that courtroom while we are near the end of this star-studded trial and begin verdict watch. Now, since court is in recess, let's recap some of the rebuttal testimony of the forensic psychologists called in this trial, each presenting very different perspectives about herd and PTSD. Let's take a look at Dr. Shannon Curry's testimony first. She was hired by Depp's team. All right. um, Dr. Hughes says that Ms. Hurd has PTSD. Do you agree? I do not. Why not? The results of my multi-method comprehensive evaluation based on carefully selected, researched, relevant test, method, test instruments, based on comparing those instruments to Ms. Hurd's self-report, observing Ms. Hurd's behavior over 12 direct hours of assessment, reviewing copious notes from prior therapists who indicated symptoms in their notes, reviewing the notes of Nurse Filotti, previously Nurse Borum, who spent, I believe at one point, almost two months with Ms. Hurd daily, um, reviewing the notes of her treating providers, uh, let's see, uh, all of the legal documents and discovery, there was no evidence of PTSD. How is evidence of PTSD generally uh, exhibited? So really the bottom line in a forensic psychological evaluation is a change in functioning. That's what we're looking for. Again, I said we don't have a crystal ball. We're not wizards. We can't get into somebody's head. What we're looking for were their identifiable changes in the way the person engaged in their world. Were they able to keep a job? PTSD is an extremely disabling diagnosis. When a person has true PTSD, it is difficult for them to work. You'll see unemployment, job loss. It causes extreme levels of distress and impairment. There's divorce. There's uh, isolation and estrangement from children, from family members, extreme alcohol abuse, often a, a string of sudden DUIs when the person never had any before. They become homebound. They can't go to the store. 
they're certainly not going to events. They're not uh, having success in their film career, usually. They're not exercising every day, pursuing their hobbies, being avid readers, obtaining level three sommelier training, having uh, dinner parties with friends, speaking to public groups. Uh, those are just indications of very high functioning. And when you're looking for a decrease in functioning over time, that is inconsistent with that decrease. All right, with that in mind now, let's compare Dr. Curry's testimony against what Dr. Dawn Hughes said when she returned to the stand to testify in Amber Heard's rebuttal case earlier this morning. Oh, Dr. Hughes, Dr. Curry also testified that a victim of PTSD has to effectively be prone and unable to function at all. Would you agree with that? Objection no. mistakes the evidence. Oh, I, she said they couldn't hike, they couldn't uh, move, they couldn't function in any shape, way, uh, shape, or form. Objection. Thank you. Um, no, that is not correct. That is often actually a myth and misconception about individuals who are struggling with PTSD or trauma-based disorders. And you know, I'm often called to answer that and speak to that. Um, you know, people who are struggling with trauma and PTSD are very strong, courageous, resilient people, even though that they're struggling. They get up, they have to go to work and drop their kid off at school and go to the market, even though they're struggling with these symptoms. So I often talk about it as this sort of walking around with a 50-pound bag of flour on their backs, just sort of trying to get through the day where sometimes that button's going to press play and the trauma's going to start activating in their head and then they're going to be having to think about it and have startle and have physiological reactions until they can find a way to hit that pause and shut it off again. So they still have, you know, impairments in other ways, but they go about their lives. They're not, you know, totally debilitated. If you have someone in that high range, the highest score is an 80 on the caps, Ms. Hurd had a 28. If you have someone in the higher range, we have seen people who are, you know, severely disabled because of it, but that's not the norm of people who have um, this moderate PTSD. And did you find functional impairment with Amber? Yes, I did. Now, Dr. Curry also said that uh, it is not within the scope of a psychologist uh, to evaluate domestic violence. Do you agree with that? Uh, of course I don't agree with that. This is what I do for a living day in, day out for 25 years. Um, we are specifically trained to understand the profound impact that trauma has on people's lives. That's what we do in the trauma division of the American Psychological Association. We disseminate that knowledge. And domestic violence is one of those profound traumas. Domestic violence is part of um, state licensing boards that you can't get licensed unless in some states unless you take training on domestic violence. You can't renew your license unless you get training on domestic violence. So people who have you know specialized training in this area, it is you know beholden upon them to accurately assess for intimate partner violence and sexual violence. And it's more important to assess for the sort of scientific understanding of what domestic violence is. So you have to assess for the physical violence, the psychological violence, the surveillance, the economic, the emotional abuse, and the sexual violence. That is not gratuitous. Uh, that objection. is understanding. Narrative. All right. Next question.
And I want to bring in my guest this hour to discuss that testimony. Sticking with us here is crime analyst Lisa Lockwood, and we also have psychiatrist for women's health, Dr. Yalda Safai, joining us too. Yalda, let's start with you. Do you think Dr. Hughes did well here? She pointed out that in contrast to what Dr. Curry said, those with PTSD can function in society. Of course. In fact, they function for years before they even recognize they have PTSD, before they even recognize it and seek treatment for it. So it's very much possible to set up for someone to have something called high-functioning PTSD. So yes, it's, it's possible. Lisa, both doctors did not evaluate Amber Heard in the same way. So are different approaches fine? Do you have to nitpick rules and regulations about psychological tests? Uh, well, I think the guest you have right now would be better equipped to answer that question because she's probably done that. So there are an array of ways of coming up with a diagnosis, and both of them talked about their methods and what they use. Some of them were similar, and then some went beyond um, the other person's method. But what I do find interesting about PTSD and what we're discovering right now is, is it, can't, it, it's on a scale, can it be completely debilitating? Um, are you depressed? Do you have a complete change in your function? Or do you show up courageous, resilient, as, as uh, Amber Heard's doctor had said? So knowing that there's a scale, you know, I thought that there was a scale with depression and knowing people in the military and police and people who have incidents in their life and veterans that suffer through PTSD, a lot of them, I guess, are on higher on the scale because they do turn to drugs. They do end up changing their complete function. They're not able to work. And these are the only PTSD victims that I have had to deal with and knowing that they fit that criteria. So this is new information for me. And Yalda, so I want to get your take on that because obviously you're the professional here. Right. So I agree with what she said about being there is spectrum, spectrum for PTSD. You can have mild symptoms and you can have severe debilitating symptoms. And sometimes it's a progressive thing. You might start out with mild symptoms that just become more and more debilitating. And it's only when you have those debilitating symptoms that you seek out help and treatment. Now, in terms of approaches to treating PTSD or diagnosing PTSD, yes, there's a general guideline. But not every single person meets the, the criteria for PTSD. And it's really, every psychologist and psychiatrist has different ways of exploring this to determine whether someone really has PTSD or not. There's no blood test to say you definitely have PTSD or not. It's very subjective. So people have different methods and different ways to die, come to the conclusion that a person has PTSD. There is a diagnostic criteria we follow, but every psychologist or psychiatrist has their own way of coming up with an answer. Now, we can't forget to discuss testimony of psychiatrist Dr. David Spiegel. During cross-examination on the stand, he made reference to the Goldwater rule when asked if he examined Johnny Depp. Let's listen and discuss on the other side. You were asked about whether you were able to examine Mr. Depp. Do you recall those questions back and forth? Yes. And so if I understand your testimony, you asked twice for Mr. Depp to be interviewed by you, correct? Yes. Objection leading. And uh, overruled. And, uh, and then in addition to that, Ms. Heard requested twice of the court for Mr. Depp to be submitting to an examination of you, correct? Yes. And those were denied, correct? Yes. 
And now Mr. Depp is contending that it's unethical for you to provide an, eth uh, uh, an opinion in this case because you didn't get an opportunity to interview him. Do you think that makes sense? Objection, Your Honor. I'll sustain the objection. All right. Is that your understanding? That is my understanding of it. Okay. Yes. Um, now, when counsel for Mr. Depp was reading to you the Goldwater rule, there were two words that he kind of went over pretty quickly, and I'm going to go over them again with you a little bit slower. And that was that the Goldwater rule was that you cannot make an armchair diagnosis, right? Objection. Based on, quote, okay. publicly available records. Do you recall that? Yes. Okay. Now, the records that you reviewed in this case were private, were they not? Yes. And in fact, Dr. Blaustein's records were marked confidential, correct? Yes. And his deposition was marked confidential? Yes. Okay. And uh, Dr. Kipper's records were all marked confidential? Yes. Objection leading. And, and uh, I'll sustain. Okay. What, what, if any, labeling was there on Dr. Kipper's deposition? Every, all the documents I reviewed were confidential, and I also signed the confidentiality agreement, so everything I looked at was confidential. Okay. So that, in fact, does not even comport. That doesn't meet the uh, restrictions. Objection that leading. I mean, so would it be fair to say that you have not, have you rendered any opinions in this case as an expert witness based on publicly available records. I have not rendered any opinion based on any publicly available records. Dr. Yalda Safai, what can you tell us about the Goldwater rule here? How, how much weight yeah. should the jury take in Dr. Spiegel's testimony? Very much. It's very unethical and forbid. It's very unethical and forbidden for a psychiatrist to pass comments or make a diagnosis without evaluating a patient, specifically if that is a public figure. So I am completely in agreement with the psychiatrist that he or she, he avoided answering this because like he said, the Goldwater rule states that we are not allowed to pass a diagnosis or comment on the mental state of anybody, especially a celebrity without evaluating them ourselves. Let's not forget Dr. David Spiegel had quite the circus testimony as well when he took the stand. All right, we're going to take a quick break here on Law and Crime. When we come back, so much more to cover on day 23 of Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Michelle Yu and thanks again for joining us. We are now in day 23 of the Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard defamation trial out in Fairfax County, Virginia, and both sides have rested. As you might recall, the 58-year-old Pirates of the Caribbean star is suing his ex-wife Amber Heard for $50 million. The 35-year-old actress published an op-ed in the Washington Post two years after her divorce from Johnny Depp, dubbing herself a domestic abuse victim. Heard is countersuing for 100 million bucks as they both battle it out who caused the other more reputation-related turmoil. 
Now that court is taking a recess, that gives us time to recap what you might have missed so far. One of the most contentious topics in this trial is the truth of what really happened to Depp's finger in Australia. In Johnny Depp and Amber Heard's rebuttal case, they both called orthopedic surgeons to the stand to try to provide insight on how Depp could have sustained that type of injury. They were also asked which of their stories seemed most consistent with Depp's injury. But first, let's listen to both Depp and Heard's version of the truth. Mr. Depp, when Dr. Kipper was treating your finger, what did you tell him about how your finger became injured? Um, I told him, I told him that there was obviously, I mean, when you saw the damage in the house and everything, the blood everywhere, I mean, obviously there was serious damage done. Um, I, there would be no point in lying to the man. He'd been through it with me and, and uh, Mr. before. I told him that she had uh, thrown a bottle, bottle of vodka and smashed my hair, smashed and cut my finger uh, off. The tip of my finger, just a, but a good chunk. I miss it. <laughs> is that your signature? Yes, it is. And your signature appears right under the statement, quote, I declare under penalty of perjury, under the laws of the state of Virginia, that the foregoing is true and correct. That is correct. And this is dated April 10th, 2019. Correct. Now let's look at paragraph 16, which is on page five. Specifically, line 10. Quote, you write, testify under oath. While he was smashing the phone, Johnny severely injured his finger, cutting off the top of it. End quote. Did I read that correctly? Yes, that's correct. Okay. So you testified in this courtroom that after Mr. Duff smashed the phone, he held you down on the countertop by the neck. Do you remember that? I'm not quite sure of the exact sequence of things, but yes, both of those things happened. Well, we'll get to the sequence. And this is when Mr. Depp supposedly assaulted you with a bottle, right? On the countertop, he assaulted me. So Mr. Depp was able to get you on the counter, right? He held me down by my neck. And hold you down by your neck. That is correct. And he grabbed a bottle, according to you, while holding you down by the neck, correct? I'm sorry, can you clarify what you're asking me? While Mr. Depp is holding you by the neck against the countertop, he grabs a bottle. That's your testimony. No, those two things didn't happen at the exact same time, no. While he, so he's holding the bottle, is that your testimony? He While holding, holding my... you down by the neck? Sorry, what was your question? So Dr. Safai, what do you see from their responses in this testimony? Is one more believable than the other? I mean, I'm not, I can't comment on that because people have different ways of dealing with their trauma and explaining their trauma. People can be more, a lot of people haven't developed emotional vocabulary to be able to explain the trauma that they went to very well. So just because someone seems like they're hesitating to explain exactly what happened or they're even sometimes giving inconsistent information, it doesn't mean that they're outright lying. So people have just different ways of explaining what happened to them. Lisa, we don't know exactly what happened in this finger story and we'll likely never know the truth. So how much weight 
does this Australia incident have on this case? Because everyone still seems to bring it up and we talk about it a lot. Yes, and you had, Johnny's team was there. So afterward, we had security there, we had doctors there. Uh, there w was audio recording with Amber crying in the background, and uh, you know they were talking about what happened, and she f was remorseful. So, you know, the words are not matching up with the audio that, that had taken place in that house soon after, where they were searching for the finger, uh, the nurse was there. So, yes, later on, you can create stories of what happened in, in defense of yourself. And I've seen that in many criminal cases um, because they have time to think about what other thing could have happened. What, what could I say uh, to dispel what's being said against me right now? So how do we prove it? We pull those audios from there. We find out what was said in the aftermath. And we also look at sometimes people protect the person who hurt them. And Johnny, in one text message to somebody, he says, I cut my finger off. So didn't want Amber to know, didn't, didn't want people to know Amber did it, didn't want it in the news. It's really challenging, but we know that it had to take quite a bit of force to do the damage that it did. So I would imagine if we looked at projectiles and we try to recreate certain things as we often do in criminal cases where we're looking at projection, bullets, fragments, and that sort of thing, and if we got that deep into that, um, we'd be able to get a better solution. But obviously, police were not called to that scene. So we will never know. Each side called an orthopedic surgeon to the stand, though. I want to take the chance now to recap what they both said to try to get a medical explanation on how Johnny Depp's fingertip could have been severed there in Australia. Your view, what types of mechanisms can cause this sort of injury? So this is a, a mechanism of injury that has high velocity or force, generally a crush type injury. A simple fall would not result in a comminute fracture such as is seen in these x-rays. And we, we're using the term comminuted fracture. Can we just define that quickly for us? So again, comminuted, and it's not particular to a finger, can, is, is a medical term for a fracture that has multiple fragments. Mm -hmm. In your opinion, could this injury have been sustained in the manner Mr. Depp described? I do believe so. And how might that work? How, how might a thrown vodka bottle produce an injury like this? So a vodka bottle, which is a hard object, uh, would have crushed the tip of the finger, resulting in the comminuted fracture. And in addition, as the vodka bottle broke, the uh, glass would have lacerated the finger, resulting in the soft tissue loss that was also seen with this injury. What's your assessment of the description of the cause of the injury offered by Ms. Hurd? <clears throat> I think that's highly unlikely. And why is that? Uh, because one, uh, in general, when uh, an injury is caused by punching against a wall or a hard, hard object, it is extremely rare to see an injury to the tips of the fingers, which is seen with Mr. Depp's injury. Generally, you're holding something with a fist, and that in general leads to injuries most commonly of the knuckles here, um, or fractures of the metacarpals. We call these boxer fractures. Second most common after those would be injuries to these, but as you can see, if you're holding something and make, hitting against something, it is very unlikely that the tips of the fingers will be injured. In addition, 
just uh, taking into account the radiographs and the pictures of the injury, um, I would not believe that a, a blunt force, solely a blunt force against a, a wall would result in the soft tissue loss. And with that in mind, let's now take a look at the testimony of the orthopedic surgeon that heard side called Dr. Richard Moore and then discuss with my guests afterwards. So, so back to, to, to the glass. In the records that you reviewed, Dr. Moore, did you see any adjacent injuries? In other words, injuries to any other part of Mr. Depp's hand other than the tip of his middle finger? No. And is that observation consistent with the explosion of glass type phenomenon that Mr. Depp alleges? Well, I think in the setting of a, of a glass explosion like that, where there's multiple fragments and the tip of the fingers cut off, you would, you would anticipate that there would be other lacerations. Did you review the documentation in the medical records from the hospital in Australia? Yes. Did any of those providers report retrieving glass from the wound? No. What about any glass near the site of the injury? Uh, no. What about any glass in other parts of the hand? No. What about any glass in any of the other fingers? No. Is there any reference at all, Dr. Moore, that you've seen to any glass in the records that you've reviewed? No. And Dr. Moore, in your decades of practice, have you ever seen an injury associated with a glass explosion that was focused on the end of a single finger in the way Mr. Depp describes? Well, not consistent with the, with the clinical images and the findings in this case, no. Have you ever seen an injury associated with an alleged glass explosion where no other glass was found on any part of the patient's body or clothing or anything? No. So Lisa, as most people are not in the medical field, can we make a true determination of which doctor is correct here? Or do you think people will just lean towards the doctor who they want to believe? Yes, you're, you're right, because either side is going to be dependent on who's being paid for what side and what they're going to figure out. You would hope that they'd be as honest as possible using their expertise and their skill set. But high velocity makes sense, and that's my language in, in the police department, high, high velocity um, uh, bullets, um, things that are thrown and projectiles and that sort of thing, what would cause the most amount of damage. So looking at that perspective, I would tend to agree with that. But again, we don't have a crime scene. We don't know how the bottle exploded. Did it explode? Were there multiple pieces? Did it crack in half once it hit the island and hit his finger? Um, and then on the other side, on Amber's side, saying that because they didn't find any shards of glass anywhere else on his body, were they looking for the shards of glass, you know, en route to the hospital? Did they fall off of his clothes? There are so many things that you can look at as far as what's missing to come up with a conclusion. But I would tend to, and I think any layman would tend to say, um, regarding a high-velocity object because of the multiple fractures that had happened, it would be pr pretty challenging for him to do it to himself. Well, the jury will certainly be talking about that and so much more because both cases have rested. We are waiting now for tomorrow to see what happens in the courtroom. We're going to take a short break here on Long Crime. When we come back, more recapping of Day 23 of Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard. Stay with us.
everyone. I'm Michelle Yu, and welcome to For the Record here. Thanks for joining us for day 23 of the Johnny Depp Amber Heard defamation trial. And the end is near because closing arguments are scheduled for tomorrow. Each side was given 61 hours and 15 minutes to present their case by the judge at the start of the case about six weeks ago. Today, both sides rested, and tomorrow we will hear final arguments before the case is handed over to seven jurors to deliberate over Depp and Heard's defamation claims. Since we are not live in Virginia until tomorrow at 9 a.m., that gives us the chance to discuss more important testimony. If you recall, while Heard was on the stand, she mentioned Kate Moss. During a rebuttal, Kate Moss appeared via video to tell the jury what really happened. Before we recap that testimony of Kate Moss, let's remember the moment Heard opened the door on the stand. She explains how a rumor prompted her to act in defense of her sister Whitney on March 2016. Whitney, my sister, um, all of a sudden put herself in between Johnny and I. Uh, she just threw herself like in the line of fire or whatever. She just all of a sudden was there and was trying to get Johnny to stop. Um, her back was to the staircase and Johnny swings at her and I just see my little sister with her back on, face her back to the staircase and Johnny swings at her and I don't even wait don't even wait for any other I don't hesitate I don't wait I just in my head instantly think of Kate Moss and the stairs and I swung at him now, the highly anticipated Kate Moss appearance was pretty brief. Let's see what she said about the incident that heard reference. Then we'll watch a clip of Johnny Depp clarifying even further. Miss Moss, did there come a time when you, uh, while you and Mr. Depp were a couple, that the two of you took a vacation together to the Golden Eye Resort in Jamaica? Yes. What, if anything, happened when you were in Jamaica with Mr. Depp? I, um, we were leaving the room and Johnny left the room before I did and there had been a rainstorm and as I left the room, I slid down the stairs and I hurt my back. How did you... And... I apologize, Miss Moss, please continue. And I screamed because I was in because uh, I didn't know what had happened to me and I was in pain and um, he came running back to help me and carried me to my room and got me medical attention. Did Mr. Depp push you in any way down the stairs? No. Uh, during the course of your relationship, did he ever push you down any stairs? No, he never pushed me, kicked me, or threw me down any stairs. Please continue, Mr. Depp. What did you tell Miss Hurd about the staircase, or Kate Moss? I'll, I'll make it easy for Mr. Rottenborn. Um, Miss Hurd uh, took the story and turned it into 
a very ugly incident, all in her mind. Um, there was never a moment where I pushed Kate down any set of stairs, yet she's spewed this three times before. Um, Objection, Your Honor. Ms. Hurd simply testified that she had heard a rumor, and that's What's not a rumor? responsive to the question. Sir, hold on. Sorry. Ms. Objection. I'll overrule the objection. Ms. States the facts and evidence. I'll overrule the objection. Sorry, I'm, I was drawn by Mr. Rottenborn's um, voice. Certainly. What, what was you like? Was it? Um, so, what what specifically had you actually told Ms. Hurd about the incident with Ms. Moss and the stairs? Very simply, that she had. We were in Jamaica. Um, I had left our bungalow um, about three minutes prior to her. I was standing outside, and suddenly rain starts just coming down like it's you know. Uh, uh, monsoon and then I remember looking and seeing Kate coming out the door and there were three little wooden stairs and she slipped her legs went up and she landed directly on her coccyx and her, and her lower back so and she was obviously physically in pain uh, and she was hurt she was crying so I ran over and grabbed her to make you know to make sure she was all right um that's that's it that's the that's all i ever but that's the whole story but then um the rumor of it i'd never heard a rumor of that um before um miss heard uh grabbed hold of it so Kay Moss was brought up very briefly in Amber Heard's testimony, which allowed for Moss to be questioned in rebuttal, but was it necessary to call her to testify? What do you think, Yelda? Well, yes, we need to hear it from her mouth. I know it's extremely difficult for victims of abuse to have to come into a courtroom, stand in front of their abusers and testify. That is extremely overwhelming for anybody who's been through any sort of abuse. So calling in is another way to protect them from actually having to be in the same room with their abuser. I, I think calling in a person into the courtroom is a better idea just to shield them from additional trauma of, of having to see their abuser. So another contentious topic is the stairwell incident with Amber Heard's sister, Whitney Henriquez. This March 2016 incident in Penthouse 5 is a key fight because this is one of the only physical altercations between Depp and Heard that anyone witnessed. Let's hear the story from Whitney's perspective first. But I'm, I'm standing up there talking, I'm standing up there, I'm at the top of the stairs with my back to the stairs. And that's when Johnny runs up the stairs. And my again, I'm facing Amber. He comes up behind me, strikes me in the back kind of just somewhere over here, he strikes me in the back. I hear Amber shout, don't hit my sister. She smacks him, lands one, and then he grabs, at that point, that's when Travis runs up the stairs after Amber landed one. And But by that time, Johnny had already grabbed Amber by the hair with one hand and was whacking her repeatedly in the face with the other 
as I was standing there. Travis pulls them apart. I get Amber into mine. I close the doors behind me and lock them. I then hear Johnny's voice <coughs> shouting. Uh, never mind. With Travis. Okay, sorry. I hear Johnny's voice shouting, you f***ing hate you. I hate you both. You f***ing you whores. And I hear crashing. I hear crashing and banging and smashing and he starts screaming like an animal. And I then just moved Amber into the next room and I just kept her there all night. Now, meanwhile, Jennifer Howell was one of Whitney's best friends. Whitney confided in Howell after the incident and lived with her after she moved out of Penthouse 5. Howell was called as a rebuttal witness in Depp's case. Let's hear what she had to say. This is an email, Ms. Howell, that you sent to Whitney Henriquez on or about Tuesday, July 28th, 2020 at 11.20, excuse me, at 11.02 a.m. It is. This is a true and accurate copy of an email exchange that you sent to Ms. Henriquez. Yes, I believe I'm the one who gave that. Yes, it is. And then did you forward this email exchange and the attachments to Marcel Parasau? Yeah, I asked him to keep it for me. Why did you send this email and letter to Ms. Enriquez? Because I struggled very much with what to do in a situation that I love someone who I know is doing something very wrong and I know that they're doing it because they're trying to protect their sister and I'm trying to protect her and I'm just trying to get her to wake up and do the right thing, which is tell the truth. It's the only thing that can help everybody involved in this case. Lisa, sisters don't get along sometimes, but is Johnny Depp making it seem like Whitney and Amber's relationship was much worse than your typical sibling argument? What do you think? Um, I don't know if he's trying to make it worse or if it's authentic. I have five sisters, so arguments do happen all the time. You're right about that, Michelle. Um, fortunately, nothing physical happens. We were raised better than that. But I, here's the thing that I find very interesting. If you looked at Whitney when she was on the stand and she said, Amber hit him. She put her hand into a fist form. Then she said Amber slapped him and clocked him. And then it was a fist again. And both times they've used the slap interchangeable when it was an actual fist or a punch. Even Amber did that on, on the stand at one point when she said I clocked him and I hit him and I never punched him. And we have audio of her saying, well, I hit you and you punched me. It was a closed fist. So we know that Amber has been an aggressor in several scenarios and even with an ex-girlfriend or ex-wife uh, that was brought up and somebody else had testified to. All right well thank you Lisa for that insight always great stuff we're gonna have to take a quick break here on long crime but when we come back so much more to cover on Johnny Depp and Amber Heard's defamation trial we'll be right back. Both sides have officially rested in day 23 of the civil defamation trial of Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. 
All the evidence has now been presented to the jury and the parties will return to address the jury one last time in their closing arguments tomorrow at 9 a.m. Judge Ascarati has allowed two hours for each side and after she reads the jury their final instructions, the case will then be handled over and handed over to them to deliberate. Law and crime is of course all over this case in Fairfax, Virginia. So tune in tomorrow and we'll keep you up to speed with any movement in that courtroom as we approach verdict watch. Since we are not live in the Virginia courtroom, that gives us some time now to discuss testimony from earlier. And that's right, Amber Heard got back on the stand today. Let's watch a little bit of her direct examination. Amber, how did Mr. Depp's statements and threats to you that you were discussing, how do those continue to manifest themselves today? In the harassment, in the humiliation, the campaign against me that's echoed every single day on social media and now in front of cameras in this room, every single day I have to relive the trauma. My hands shake, I wake up screaming, I, I have to live with the trauma and the damage done to me. My friends have to live with a set of unspoken rules about how to not scare me. Objection hearsay. Yes, sir. Unspoken rules. Overruled. Go ahead. About how to not touch me, not to surprise me. My intimate partners have rules about how they can deal with me, how they can touch me. I have rules for doctors and medical professionals I see, gynecologists I see. I live my life with these sets of rules that I have to follow, my friends have to follow for me not to have a panic attack or a triggering event where I relive the trauma. Even if I'm training to do my movie, for instance, if I'm training for Aquaman, a combat scene and a trigger happens, I have a meltdown and have to deal with that. The, the, the crew I work with have to deal with that because of the damage I walk around with every single day from what I've lived through from what I've survived. I'm not sitting in this courtroom snickering. I'm not sitting in this courtroom laughing, smiling, and making snide jokes. I'm not. This is horrible. This is painful. And this is humiliating for any human being to go through. And perhaps it's easy to forget that, but I'm a human being. And even though Johnny promised that I deserve this and promised he'd do this, I don't deserve this. Move on. Now, let's watch some of the highly anticipated cross-examination conducted by Johnny Depp's lawyer, Camille Vasquez. Ms. Hurd, at the beginning of your cross-examination last week, I showed you an audio where you told Mr. Depp to tell the jury, tell the judge, tell the world that he is a victim of domestic abuse. Do you remember that? That's correct. And you testified you found it hard to believe that Mr. Depp would tell the world that he's a victim of domestic abuse, didn't you? I said I find it hard to believe that he would do that knowing that he himself had beat me up for five years. But he has told the world that he's your victim of domestic abuse, hasn't he? Well, he started to say that only recently. He didn't make that claim up until very recently. So when we signed our divorce agreement and we signed a statement saying that neither party had ever said false claims for financial gain, it was relevant and important to me because I was the only one making the accusations. I was the only one making those claims. He wasn't doing that at the time. And he signed his name to it. 
You didn't expect as many people to show up and testify on his behalf that did, did you? Incorrect. When you told this jury under oath that you never assaulted, actually, struck that, sorry, Your Honor. Um, when you told this jury under oath that you punched Mr. Depp because you thought of Mr. Depp pushing Kate Moss down the stairs, you didn't expect Ms. Moss to agree to testify that that never happened, did you? Incorrect. I know how many people will come out of the woodwork to be in support of Johnny. So it you think Ms. Moss needs to come out of the woodwork to testify for Mr. Depp? Everybody who was around in the 90s and the early aughts knew that rumor. I had heard that rumor from multiple people. Of course, that's what flashed through my head when my violent husband not only swung for me, but all of a sudden swung for my sister. Of course I thought of that. I did not expect her to show up or not expect her to show up. It didn't matter. It doesn't change what I believed at the time when we were on the stairs and I thought he was going to kill my sister by pushing her down the stairs. You told this jury under oath that Mr. Depp was aggressive and trashed a trailer in Hicksville. All right, ladies, we have about 90 seconds before we go. So, Lisa, I'm going to start with you. Was it a good idea to have Amber Heard back on the stand? I think they were looking for their, their final hail, hail Mary to allow her to rebut certain things. Um, I think it was important to bring her forward and all of that. And I could say just from that statement alone, I already saw her perjure herself because she said she had not been laughing and snickering during court. And we've seen the side-by-side -side cameras throughout all of it. And we've seen her laughing and snickering in court. And Yalda, how effective was Camille Vasquez's cross-examination today? Um, not so much. I mean, um, Andrew got pretty emotional. So the cross-examination, when emotions come into play, it's really hard to get through, you know, the truth, the fact, because the jury is looking at someone who's crying on a stand. So... When emotions are in play, it's really hard to come to a conclusion about the truth. So not very effective. All right. Well, ladies, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you have great insight, as always. Uh, day 23 of Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard. Now we're going to hear closing arguments. Again, thank you so much for joining us. We hope to do it again sometime soon. I'm Michelle Yu. That will do it for me here. Okay. Anjanette Levy is up next with Michael Bryant as they will have more from Fairfax, Virginia in the Johnny Depp Amber Heard defamation trial. You're watching Law and Crime. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I'm Brian Buckmeyer along with Terry Austin. In the Weinstein case, fellow silence breakers and any selection is moving along. I'll read the verdict, says the Jesse Weber, thanks for joining us. We tend to see it as raw as this. Good evening and welcome. Welcome to the afternoon session coming to you live from the Fairfax County Courthouse in Virginia. I'm Anjanette Levy and uh, both sides have rested in the case of Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard, and we are taking your questions live. So uh, this hour, submit them on our YouTube chat, on Twitch, on Twitter and Facebook, and we will answer your questions. We've been getting wonderful, great, intelligent questions from around the world, uh, and we love them, and we love taking your questions and answering them. And I have a great panel with me today uh, to help me do this. Michael Bryant is a Law and Crime Network host, and uh, I'm kind of crashing his show. So, uh, Michael, thanks for 
for uh, letting me hang out on the lawn uh, during your show today. Fanon Rucker is a retired judge uh, from the Cincinnati area, and Fanon Rucker is a former federal prosecutor. So, guys, uh, thanks for letting me hang with you today. Uh, let's start with this first question from Julian Flores off of YouTube. This is a logistical question, and I actually uh, can answer this one for you, uh, Julian. Uh, is it done for the day? Yes, we're done for the day. Uh, the attorneys had hashed out some final issues with jury instructions and discussed uh, loading the exhibits onto the clean laptop that Judge Escarati said she would send back with the jurors. And uh, we're waiting for closing arguments tomorrow morning. So that's what's coming up next. Uh, so they are done for the day. Uh, it was a little bit crazy today. There are a lot of people upstairs the, kind of crowding the around the right lawyers. Away. The lawyers uh -huh. in this case have become celebrities. Uh, so things have, were a little bit tense today up there in the hallway. Uh, people are very crowded and uh, I don't know. They were just waiting outside for the lawyers outside the courtroom. It was pretty wild. Uh, so let's take this uh, next question from Twitch. It's from the girlier gamer <laughs> with two R's. Uh, Michael Bryant, I'll shoot this one to you. Question, what will happen about the incoming messages? Okay, so this is interesting. This is a good question, Michael. Uh, do you remember, Michael Bryant, we, we're going to have to give some background on this. Okay. Uh, do you remember yesterday when Johnny Depp was questioned on cross-examination about these uh, text messages that they that the defense said he sent in which he talked about sex and women and what he wants he takes and there were some you know vulgar words in there and molly do you remember all of this yeah there was, there was there's really a foundational issue there is did he do those messages did he originate those messages or did he just receive them and then if he just received right. them are you going to argue somehow he adopted what was said because maybe he didn't object to them in some responsive uh, message. Uh, I think I appreciate the salaciousness of the messages, but unless you can tie those to him, you know, entering the uh, the uh, the letters, uh, it's a tough sell. And this is a big question, Michael, and we showed this on our earlier Q&A, and I, if I had it queued up, I would pull it up for you. Uh, but those messages, uh, you know, the one that was sent to Christian Carino, the agent, uh, for the former agent for Johnny Depp, in which it said outgoing, and it said all of these things about Amber Heard, and if she wants global humiliation, she's going to get it. He said, yes, I sent that. It said outgoing. These other sexual ones, and uh, the ones talking about women kind of in a derisive way, said incoming. But they were represented in court as being written by Johnny Depp. So I think that's an interesting point, and uh, it doesn't look like, from what we were reading on there, that they belong to him. Okay, Judge Rucker, let's take the next question and go to you. This one's from Kathy Wesley from YouTube. Amber's sister claimed that Johnny hit her on the staircase during that incident, but Amber contradicted that when she took the stand the first time, stating he never touched her. What are your thoughts on that? Well, good question. And with all all of these cases that we talk about, whether they're criminal cases, whether they're civil cases, every case comes down to, in a trial, comes down to credibility of the witnesses. Evidence only has value to the extent that it's believed or not believed. And so where there's testimony from one side about something that happens and there's testimony that contradicts it, that's a problem. Now, in this particular instance, what weight is the is the jury going to give? They're the trials of fact. What weight is the jury going to give to the fact that Amber herself said nothing happened in that particular in, in, in interaction, but her sister, trying to help her, said that something did? My guess is the jury is going to fall on the side of believing Amber that she's the plaintiff. If she said nothing happened there, they're going to believe nothing happened there. 
And I think that was a good catch uh, by this viewer. Let's look at a little bit of Whitney Enriquez's testimony. Uh, she was present for this. Oh, actually, no. Uh, we're going to ask another question. Um, okay, so uh, I need another question here. Um, all right, here we go. This is LV My Hub. I guess love my hub from Twitter. What are your thoughts on the overly long sidebars between the lawyers and the judge during the cross of Amber? Uh, uh, Nima, I'm going to shoot that one to you. And Jeanette, happy to answer that. I do want to address the incoming one because that is an important question. We saw a lot of this on social media. I think a lot of folks don't realize that the parties can subpoena text messages, not just from the parties, Depp and Hearn, but from others as well. And those text messages, I believe, came from Johnny Depp's assistant. So even though they were said incoming, they were indeed coming from Depp's phone. But to answer LV's question, I think the judge at some point was upset at the speaking objections. The attorneys were getting very emotional. It was getting very salty. They were talking over one another, Elaine and Camille in particular. So the judge said, I'm done. No more speaking objections. Anytime there is an objection where something needs to be put on the record or you want to say something more than just the objection itself, you want to argue the basis, you have to approach. That's why we had so many sidebars. Terrible for the jurors and folks watching on law and crime, but great for us because it gives us time to talk about uh, the witness testimony. But it happened today, too, Nima. And uh, after one of those sidebars, the judge, Judge Askarati, I don't know if you caught this, but she said yes. there needs to be no kind of noise from the crowd, things like that, or I'm going to clear this courtroom. So I think Ben Rottenborn must have said something that uh, people were maybe being a little too vocal in the gallery about what they thought uh, of what Amber Heard was saying, just my, my thought. Um, let's now go look at that Whitney Enriquez clip. This is Whitney Enriquez, Amber Heard's sister. She was uh, at the top of the staircase or around that staircase that night on March 23rd of 2015, uh, when she is now claiming that Johnny Depp, with his right hand in the cast right after he got his finger put back on and had a pin in it that he punched her in the back so uh, let's listen to Whitney Enriquez but I'm, I'm standing up there talking or I'm standing up there I'm at the top of the stairs with my back to the stairs and that's when Johnny runs up the stairs and my again I'm facing Amber he comes up behind me strikes me in the back kind of just somewhere over here, he strikes me in the back, I hear Amber shout, don't hit my f***ing sister. She smacks him, lands one, and then he grabs, at that point, that's when Travis runs up the stairs after Amber landed one. And But by that time, Johnny had already grabbed Amber by the hair with one hand and was whacking her repeatedly in the face with the other as I was standing there. Travis pulls them apart. I get Amber into mine. I close the doors behind me and lock them. I then hear Johnny's voice <coughs> shouting. Uh, never mind, with John here, sorry. I hear Johnny's voice shouting, you hate you. I hate you both, you you whores. And I hear crashing. I hear crashing and banging and smashing and he starts screaming like an animal. And I then just moved Amber into the next room and I just kept her there all night. 
Michael Bryant, your thoughts on that testimony? Uh, we, you know, Jennifer Howell, we had talked about this last week when Whitney was on the stand, had that declaration saying that Whitney told her something totally different. Uh, but we didn't really get into that uh, when we heard Jennifer Howell's deposition. But your thoughts on Whitney Enriquez's testimony, Michael? Yeah, a couple of things there. First of all, if she in fact was hit in the back by Johnny Depp as she testified, uh, I'm not sure how she knew it was him or what he had. Did he have a cast? Did he have a bottle? Did he have just a, a bare hand? I, I mean, it, she basically said, I kind of, you know, he was kind of back there somewhere. So I think that's a, just, there's just not enough foundation into her testimony as to what actually happened. Who knows? A push, a shove, a punch, who knows? Then she's talking pretty graphically about him holding Amber Heard by the hair and punching her repeatedly. And we've had many conversations on the network about, uh, you know, Johnny Depp and his rings and uh, the fact mm -hmm. that if, in fact, he were punching somebody repeatedly, unless he took his rings off for the day, I guess, that's not in evidence, we don't know, but it just seems like the, the damage to anyone if being punched repeatedly in the face with large, chunky jewelry, it would show up better than in the photos we've seen where you kind of have to squint to see what exactly the injuries were. So I just think on a common sense level, it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. All right. Uh, Fanon, I'm going to send this next question, uh, next question to you. Pardon me. Uh, Nadia Cook asks, Johnny took care of Amber and her whole family and friends financially. Does she still deserve money if she wins? Uh, your thoughts on that? I know you uh, handle some civil cases these days, Fanon. Well, um, yes, to the extent that she can prove what it is exactly that she did and what the reasonable value of her services were. I don't know that she's making that claim, but you know, if there was an agreement by the parties that she was doing this for 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 a fee, then yes. If not, then no. People do things in this world at times without the expectation of compensation. Okay. Uh, this next question, I guess, would be for me. And unfortunately, unfortunately, um, I wasn't in the courtroom, but I'm going to take your question anyway. Um, there's been a lot. I just have to tell you guys, uh, so the viewers know this, uh, here in the U.S. and around the world, when we line up in the morning, you know, we've had to line up to get wristbands, you know, to get into the courtroom each day. And uh, it's been hairy. People cut in line. Uh, I was number 105 today, so I ended up in the overflow. I didn't end up in the main courtroom, despite us having people here very, very early in the morning. Uh, people cut in line, and so um, we didn't get in. People cut in line, and there's nothing you can do about it, and it's just terrible. Uh, so I don't know what the jury was doing when Camille Vasquez was cross-examining uh, Amber Heard. I, I would love to be able to tell you that, because that was quite the cross-examination. Uh, all right, let's, uh, and that was actually from a uh, Okalia girl, I think, 49 from Twitter. Let's go next to Twitch and Corporal Roll Mops. Nima, this question is for you. Is the judge able to overrule the jury's decision, meaning, you know, overturn the verdict or vacate it? If yes, why is there a jury in the first place and under which circumstances can the judge do so? Yeah, the judge can overrule a jury verdict, but it's not going to happen. I mean, Fanon could probably answer this, but you can probably count on one hand where a judge is going to overturn a jury verdict. Why? Because it creates an automatic appellate issue, and a judge needs to find that no reasonable juror can rule a certain way. So most judges aren't going to do that, so it's not going to happen. So even though it's possible in theory and practice, just set that out of your mind. And if it was going to happen, the judge would have granted one of the two motions to dismiss at the end of Death's case in chief, Heard's lawyers 
filed a motion to dismiss. That was denied. Same thing happened at the end of her case in chief earlier this week. Judge denied both motions. We're going to get a jury verdict probably sometime next week. Yeah, I think it'll be next week, too. I know some people think it could be tomorrow. I don't I don't see that happening. Jurors take their service very seriously. They go through the jury instructions. And it's a Friday of a holiday weekend. So I just don't see uh, this jury wanting to go go very late tomorrow night um, into deliberations. Okay, uh, we are going to take a quick break. Keep your questions coming. I, I've told you this before. We have to take this, this break for the TV side of things, the Law & Crime Network that airs on television. This is our YouTube channel, of course, so you're going to see the countdown clock pop up here in a second. Keep the questions coming, not only on the YouTube chat, but on Twitter, Facebook, and Twitch. Uh, I'm Anjanette Levy, coming to you live from the Fairfax County Courthouse. We'll be right back. Welcome back uh, to the afternoon session here on the Law and Crime Trial Network. I am Anjanette Levy, and we're coming to you live uh, from the Fairfax County Courthouse, where both sides have rested in the defamation trial between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. And closing arguments are tomorrow morning. You will be able to catch those right here on the Law and Crime Trial Network. And we are answering your questions, so keep them coming, not only on Twitter, but on Facebook, Twitch, and um, on our YouTube chat. Just submit them and we will do our best to get to all of them. Okay, this one came in actually on my Twitter feed. Uh, this says, today Amber Heard said she never said, she never smirked while in the trial. Then yesterday she smirked like in this video clip. Apparently uh, they've attached a video clip to this. What are your thoughts on it? So I'm gonna throw that question to Michael Bryant. Michael, uh, did you notice any of this yesterday? Uh, the, a lot of the viewers have been writing in about this saying that Amber Heard was smirking uh, during Johnny Depp's testimony and today apparently she said, no, I wasn't. I know, dangerous to make that kind of, uh, you know, under oath assertion. I'm big on smirking. I, I think it's a very uh, popular thing. <laughs> I know you I are. Just, I just don't know that it's a good idea as you're sitting there listening to testimony that uh, she disagrees with, obviously, that's the reason for the facial expression. But I noticed it even today. So, I mean, before she took the stand, but today. So, either she's doing it so subconsciously, or she's been advised just to deny she's ever done it. Uh, and if that's the case, I think she's getting some bad advice. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I think you have to acknowledge as you're sitting there taking in certain information about you, that you're reacting as a human might react and own up, uh, own up to it. But she perjured herself on, on obviously something that's not going to lead to a perjury charge or any ultimate effect of the case, except turning people off that might just think she's, uh, she's not willing to admit to anything. Well, and I made that, I kind of made that observation earlier today, and I've been, I think I've been taking quite a bit of heat for it on Twitter um, from people who support Amber Heard. But in watching this whole thing, and, and I've watched this whole trial, uh, it doesn't seem like she has admitted to ever being wrong about anything or to making mistakes. And uh, we all make mistakes. None of us, I mean, we're all fallible. We're all human beings. Uh, so let's uh, get to this next question. Nima, this comes from UK, and it, but it's Y-O-U-U-K uh, from YouTube. This is a log logistical question. Is there a deadline by which jurors have to reach a decision? There is no deadline, and it's really up to the discretion of the judge. So obviously there's always a possibility that jurors deadlock, they can't reach a verdict, and they miss trial. But there's certain jury instructions that the judge will give them, we call an Allen charge, as lawyers, 
the judge is going to do everything possible to get a verdict in this case because if the jurors can't, those seven jurors, um, setting aside the alternates, we have to start this whole thing all over. All these witnesses need to come back to parties. we got to redo this, and no one wants to redo. So I think this judge will let the jurors deliberate as long as they need to to reach a verdict. And unless they come and say we're hopelessly deadlocked, I expect to get a verdict in this case. Can you imagine having to redo this or even considering redoing it? Wow. <laughs> it would be a slog. I mean, they it would yeah. might, you know, you get a do-over and sometimes you, you it's better the second time around because new things come uh, come up or yeah. you see things you should have done differently, but still it was 6 weeks, uh, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I okay, think the this internet next and clip. social media would explode. <laughs> yeah. I think the internet and social media would love it, and then they would yeah. explode. Uh, okay, yeah. so uh, let's go to this next question. Um, this one is for you, Fanon. Uh, hi, why didn't Johnny's team question Amber about the evidence Jennifer Howe gave, stating Whitney feared for Johnny's life because Amber would hit him? Also, would the jury see Jennifer Howe's email to Whitney? This is from Lee Leah from Facebook, and, and Jennifer Howell's testimony was actually pretty short, Fanon. Yeah, well, Lee Leah, that's a good question. And, you know, strategically, lawyers often, well, lawyers always have to make some strategic decisions about what to question, what to pursue, what to allow, what to, allow to lay out there. Um, and in this particular instance, apparently, Johnny Depp's lawyers believe that it was more advantageous to their side to kind of let that linger for what it may conclude as opposed to asking a question and be afraid of what the answer is actually going to be. The jurors are going to make a decision about whether they believe it was credible. You don't always want to give the jurors the opportunity to hear the other side bolster their testimony or kind of rethink their answers to explain some things that may be a problem. They're going to argue that in their closing, I can guarantee you. All right. Uh, you know, one witness that uh, we all were looking forward to seeing this week uh, testified yesterday, and that was uh, British supermodel Kate Moss. Kate Moss uh, dated Johnny Depp for three or four years back in the 1990s. And, and I know when I was growing up in the 90s, you know, kid of the 90s, um, Kate Moss was a huge deal. <laughs> I mean, she was a big deal. Calvin Klein model, um, you know, she was she was a supermodel. And, uh, you know, you saw her everywhere, her her photograph uh, in magazines and things like that. Uh, so let's look at a little bit of Kate Moss's testimony. This all came up because Amber Heard basically opened the door for Kate Moss to be allowed to testify. You'll recall during uh, Amber Heard's testimony during her case when she talked about this whole incident at the top of the stairs with, uh, with Johnny Depp on March 23rd of 2015 that she said uh, that all she could think about with her sister standing there at the stairs uh, was Kate Moss and the stairs. And she had testified in the UK trial that she heard this uh, rumor from two people that Johnny Depp had once thrown Kate Moss down the stairs. Uh, when she mentioned Kate Moss, it was cause for celebration among Johnny Depp's team. And uh, they called Kate Moss in rebuttal, as we predicted. So let's listen to what Kate Moss uh, said on the stand yesterday. Ms. Moss, did there come a time when you, uh, while you and Mr. Depp were a couple, that the two of you took a vacation together to the Golden Eye Resort in Jamaica? Yes. What, if anything, happened when you were in Jamaica with Mr. Depp? I um, 
we were leaving the room and Johnny left the room before I did and there had been a rainstorm and as I left the room I slid down the stairs and I hurt my back. How did you... And I apologize Miss Moss, please continue. And I screamed because I was in, because uh, I didn't know what had happened to me and I was in pain and um, he came running back to help me and carried me to my room and got me medical attention. Did Mr. Depp push you in any way down the stairs? No. Uh, during the course of your relationship, did he ever push you down any stairs? No, he never pushed me, kicked me, or threw me down any stairs. Um, I received a text message yesterday from a radio station in the UK uh, asking me to come on and talk about the reaction to Kate Moss testifying. He, the, the person on the other end of the text said, uh, we want you to describe the reaction to our queen, Kate Moss, taking the stand in the Johnny Depp trial. Uh, so she is loved. She is an icon. Uh, your thoughts on Kate Moss's testimony and how much does that help Johnny Depp? Yeah, that is, I mean, for Amber Heard, devastating stuff. I mean, obviously, to be so forceful about this horrible recollection of, you know, the story of Kate Moss being thrown down the stairs. Uh, and then to hear Kate Moss testify, uh, oh, yeah, by the way, I wasn't thrown down the stairs. And I thought it was interesting, too. She wasn't deposed ahead of time because, obviously, in some sort of pretrial motion, this was going to be off limits until, as you say, the magical door was opened by the Amber Heard testimony. So it was, uh, it was truly, you know, kind of discovery and testimony at the same time, and it was perfect. Short, sweet, hit the points that the adept team needed, and again, devastating, I think. Yeah, and it came in on rebuttal, so that's part of the reason it was so short and sweet. Uh, I actually expected to maybe hear more about this. Uh, Kate Moss uh, said in an article, it, I think back in 2012, I read it was a, this, you know, you do some Googling to try to do some research, and she told Vanity Fair that she cried for years when she broke up f with uh, Johnny Depp, or tears for years, or something to that effect, and she had said that um, he really took care of her, uh, and she, it was somebody she really trusted, you know, in their relationship. So um, I was wondering, Nima, what you thought of Kate Moss's testimony. Uh, we had been talking for a couple of weeks about how we thought she would come in on rebuttal just after the mention, because uh, up until then, uh, Johnny Depp's past relationships were off limits in this case. Dan, Jeanette, that was that sort of infamous fist pump, right? You know. Uh, there's right. Amber Heard talking about the staircase and Depp's lawyers get happy Well, we know that she had opened the door. So many mistakes by Amber Heard and her legal team, that was certainly one of them. I thought yesterday was probably the best day of testimony for Depp for many reasons. He was very good. Kate Moss was fantastic. Anytime you have an ex that's going to come and testify that Depp wasn't violent, that's going to be great for Depp's credibility and his theory of the case. And let's not forget who also came in during rebuttal yesterday. Seattle police officer that testified that mm -hmm. Heard was abusive, Heard was drunk, Heard was violent towards her ex. So whenever you have, again, it's not a criminal case, it's not a prior bad acts witness necessarily, but you have these witnesses that are testifying about how Depp and Heard were in their past relationships, that is incredibly important for the jurors to know. And that's something that they're going to take back with them to that deliberation room.
definitely. Um, I was really interested um, and actually quite surprised uh, to see that officer or, or that, um, I think she was an airport employee. I can't recall now exactly, but to see her come in and talk about this. And then um, I don't know if you caught this, Fanon, but on cross-examination, Elaine Bredehoft asked this woman, you know, you know this is being televised. Uh, it, it, it's like the, li the line of the day yesterday was almost like everybody just wanted to be famous and be a part of this trial. Apparently this woman said she received an anonymous email from somebody and then reached out to the legal team or the legal team reached out to her or something like that. And that's how, how she came to testify. She, it was the night before thing. Uh, so what are your thoughts on this whole suggestion that people just want to be famous and, and want to be on TV and that's why they're offering to testify in this case? Well, well, certainly we would be completely unfamiliar and, and skeptical of anyone who, who wants to just be famous and get on TV because that never happens. No, I mean, it's the nature right. of our society today. I was having a conversation mm -hmm. with yes, yesterday with someone about um, attention and how much we as individuals crave attention. Well, just think about that with regard to people who are constantly in the public eye. And certainly this case has been in the public eye for, I don't know, what, as we said, six weeks with growing daily attention and updates and interest because people have, you know, uh, a notoriety. Well, other people who may want to also be included in that uh, uh, publicity can interject themselves in some way to get that publicity. So I think it's not surprising that that would be the idea about why people would be making these statements and why they want to get involved. And the jury's going to have to weed through that and determine whether there's credibility to what they're saying or whether it's just being said for purposes of, you know, this kind of stuff, of getting waved at and, and having uh, Twitter followers be increased by 10,000 or 100,000. Well, and this woman, uh, but this was some woman who lives out west, you know, she, she, I think she was in her home, you know, out west somewhere, I, I don't remember the state she said, but I, I was kind of surprised that they went there with this woman because she just, you know, it was a night before thing, they're suggesting she just wanted to be on TV, and you know what, she was on TV, I think, for maybe a whole 10 minutes. Uh, let's take a break now, uh, and we, remember, uh, we'll take this break for the network, the TV network on YouTube, stay with us, you'll see the countdown clock. It'll just be two or three minutes. Uh, we're taking your questions, so submit them on Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, and in the YouTube chat. I'm Anjanette Levy coming to you live from the Fairfax County Courthouse in Virginia. You are watching the afternoon session on law and crime. Welcome back uh, to the afternoon session, coming to you live from the Fairfax County Courthouse, where both sides, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, have rested their cases, and opening statements uh, will begin tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., and we'll have them for you right here live on the Law and Crime Trial Network and also streaming uninterrupted on our YouTube channel. Uh, now, I want to show you a little bit of testimony that happened yesterday. Uh, the jury heard from a guy named Morgan Tremaine. He is a former employee of TMZ, and his... his uh, uh, testimony was really interesting because he worked at TMZ in 2016 and this is when um, he got a Dropbox link of that video we've all seen of Johnny Depp slamming cabinets and stuff and pouring wine in the kitchen of his home on the uh, Sweetser in West Hollywood and uh, 
you know, this was sent in, he said anonymously. It took about 15 minutes, he said, to get the copyright or to purchase the copyright. He said when you do that and it goes that quickly, it means you're dealing with the person who owns the copyright. Well, who shot the video? Amber Heard shot the video, so she's the copyright owner, but she's denying leaking the video. Uh, also, he was there when the tip came in, that she, and he dispatched the crew to the courthouse on May 27th of 2016 when Amber Heard uh, requested and obtained that restraining order, and she had the bruise uh, on her face. So let's listen to a little bit of what Morgan Tremaine told the jury. How much time had passed from the time you received the kitchen cabinet video to the time it was posted on TMZ? About 15 minutes. Did any other tabloids other than TMZ post this video? Objection no, they leading in the calls for hearsay. Did any other tabloids? Overrule. Mr. Tremaine, go ahead. No, they did not. And why not? Um, because it was a TMZ exclusive. And what does that mean? It means the TMZ owns the copyright to it. So it can't be distributed by any other media source without backlinking to TMZ, and they wouldn't be able to upload that media without uh, getting a copyright strike. Have you seen the kitchen cabinet video that was played in this trial? I have, yes. How does that video that was played in this trial compare to the one you received on August 12, 2016? Um, when I had clicked the direct link that we received and watched the video in its entirety, it was much shorter than the video we had received uh, than the video that's been played in this trial. There was some a bit at the beginning that was played here in which Ms. Heard is um, seemingly sort of sitting at the camera and getting into position. And then there's a bit at the end where she's seemingly snickering and looks at the camera. That part was not present in what we received. Did TMZ edit the video? No, not even a little. When we receive something and it's edited, there's a clear indicator because there's a, sort of a journalistic practice that uses um, when there's an edit, you do what's called a, like a white flash transition, which covers the entire screen with white to very clearly indicate to everybody there was an edit here for time or whatever, um, just for to make it a little more compelling. But in this case, it was not edited um, as I was staring at the machine and edited it and present for the entirety of receipt to publishing. Okay, that was Morgan Tremaine, uh, a former employee of TMZ. TMZ wanted to stop him from testifying for Johnny Depp. Uh, but apparently he came forward willingly after seeing some things uh, happening in the trial. Uh, so, uh, Michael Bryan, I'm wondering, how significant was Morgan Tremaine's testimony and why? You know, I think, first of all, I think it's very interesting that TMZ would want to stop that. And I, I think if we knew the whole story, this is me just speculating, which I would never do, um, you know, there's some theory that TMZ's tipped off that the night before the restraining order request is going to happen, this is an orchestrated effort to combine that tip with this ooh, exclusive video we have showing why she must have needed a temporary restraining order. So, depending on the, the jury's knowledge about some of the, the, the backstory of this kind of entertainment shenanigans, I, I think it's uh, probably reinforcement to them that maybe there was some orchestration going on in the part on the part of uh, of Amber Heard and we see in that video how she's positioning herself trying to cover the camera she's then busted so I think that seed was already planted I don't think that's that's a surprise uh, oh and one other important thing here 
Fanon, you talked about uh, you know that 15 minutes of fame. Morgan Knight, the guy who owns Jacksonville uh, or the uh, Hicksville Trailer Palace, he had less than a thousand followers. He now, uh, as of this moment, has 16.2 thousand followers. So his uh, his 15 minutes has paid off at about a thousand a minute at this point. So. All righty. And Twitter followers, right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I guess that's how people want to be paid, right? Not. Uh, okay, so uh, let's go to this uh, next question. Nima, and I, I don't know if this is really that important to obtaining the video that Morgan, I mean, we know what was posted on TMZ. First question, uh, this is from L.I. off of YouTube. Why can't they get the original video from TMZ? Well, TMZ is not going to produce it, right? So we're talking about the reporter right. privilege. They filed that motion for protective order, motion to quash. And, you know, as a former prosecutor, my two best sources of information were always exes, husbands, wives, and we see how that applies here. But the second is former employees. So never underestimate a disgruntled former employee. The privilege belongs to the reporter. He voluntarily waived the privilege. Now, he may be, have breached some NDA or other agreement between himself and TMZ, but that's a separate breach of contract case. So when it comes to the actual video, it doesn't really matter. The whole point was, and the clear really implication was that a TMZ producer was tipped off about the restraining order, about the deposition that was rescheduled for Amber Heard, and they got the video. And they got the video from either Amber Heard or someone in her team. So that sort of coordination that Michael talked about, or coordination, collusion, whatever you want to call it. You know, for me here in Hollywood, this type of stuff is very typical. But I think for folks at home and for the jurors, they're left wondering, wow, I mean, she really did leak this. And, and he, you know, he heard him talking about the copyright, the owner of the copyright. He got this up in 15 minutes, in 15 minutes the copyright ownership was transferred. Uh, Fanon, I want to know how important you think it is and how significant it was. Um, and there were, it was kind of this another mention by the, the herd team on cross-examination that, well, this is being streamed around the world. Everybody's watching this, right? So you just kind of probably wanted to be a part of this. And there was this mic drop moment from Morgan Tremaine, and we were all in the courtroom yesterday like, whoa, uh, where he said, um, he said, well, you know, I, I could say the same thing about you representing Amber Heard. He said that to Elaine Bredehoff, and she said something uh, in response to the effect of, well, um, uh, you know, that's a little argumentative or something to that effect. And he said, no, it's logical. So <laughs> your thoughts on all of that? What, what we need to remember is that the jurors who are deciding this case are just, you know, just regular citizens who've been called to, to really give an opinion, a legal decision on what they see it, that, that happened just just organically, like just life happening. Mm -hmm. And now in retrospect, they're called upon to use their daily and regular analysis and opinion-making uh, abilities to, to, to draw a conclusion. Mm -hmm. And so that exchange was the most real, realistic, uh, you know, just regular exchange that everybody in that jury box could relate to when <laughs> in an exchange with that lawyer. It wasn't telegraphed, it wasn't prepared. It wasn't like they were contriving some testimony to try to prove a point. It was just a regular conversation exchange that any one of them could have. So I think it was extremely helpful to establish his credibility so that they'll go wherever he needs them to go in understanding what his, what his opinion and observations were. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, Michael, this next question is from Hedgehog the Fencer. Uh, hi again, you mentioned earlier that Amber only needs one juror to believe her in order to win. Uh, why is that? 
Thanks for the great Q&A. Well, you are welcome. We love doing this. So, Michael, uh, why does Amber only need one juror to win? Well, again, we're talking about two different cases happening, happening simultaneously. So I have to assume it means win her case versus defend his case. I'm really not sure which one they want. Um, but again, if he's to prevail, and that means she's defending that case, uh, then he's going to have to get the majority of the jurors to find in his favor. I'm not so sure one juror is going to make a huge difference. Again, I'm not sure what context this question comes uh, because she has a cross-complaint as well. So all I can say right. is it's not criminal, it's not unanimous, uh, so the one juror issue may be less important than, than we're used to, certainly. Okay, this next question, uh, Nima, is from Sheila Gurney from YouTube. Did anyone maybe think that this is a TMZ publicity stunt, that they knew the name of the owner would never be leaked? Well, uh, Nima, I don't know about you. You're out there in Hollywood, right? And uh, Harvey Levin is TMZ. They always get good stuff, because, and they pay. Uh, that's part of the reason they get such good stuff, because they pay for this stuff. Uh, do you think that's a possibility? I mean, why, if it's a publicity stunt, would TMZ bring a lawyer in to try to intervene in the case? Well, listen, I, I love law and crime. I love TMZ. I do interviews on both. And <laughs> I can tell you that when it comes to L.A., TMZ is more tapped in than anyone. You know, I'm a few blocks away from the courthouse, also a couple blocks away from where Johnny Depp and Amber Heard lived and where all this alleged abuse happened. And I will file documents with the court, and TMZ will get conformed copies back before I do, even though I'm the lawyer in the case. So they got people in the courtroom. Right. They want to protect their sources. You know, I don't think TMZ needs any more publicity, you know, to get involved in this case and to plant someone. Everyone in the world knows who TMZ is, and they're doing just fine. I think it's more important to them, and that's why they lawyered up to protect their sources to continue to get this information than it is to get a little bit more publicity in Jeanette. And we still don't know the source, right? We don't know the source, whether it is Amber Heard's lawyer or, I mean, Amber Heard's saying it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't her, right? She's saying yeah. it wasn't her. But they, they said we were dealing with the person who owned the copyright. So it was somebody yeah. that had access to it, and she's the one that filmed it. So I think there's obviously an inference there that her team, whether it was her lawyer or her publicist, leaked this. Uh, and I think that that's the conclusion that can be drawn, even though the source wasn't revealed. Uh, okay, so let's take a quick break. Uh, we're taking the break here on the network. Uh, we'll be back in just a few minutes. Stay with us on YouTube. Keep the questions coming on uh, YouTube chat, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm Anjanette Levy, and you are watching uh, the afternoon session on Law and Crime. the afternoon session. We're coming to you live from the Fairfax County Courthouse in Virginia. I'm Anjanette Levy, and we're taking your questions about the case of Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard. Uh, usually we do this during the lunch hour, and we call it the lunch show. Well, today I'm calling it the late lunch show, uh, just because it feels kind of fun to call it that. Uh, so let's go to a clip now. Uh, yesterday we heard for, from an expert for Johnny Depp. Um, he's an expert in metadata. And I actually um, talked to him and his cohorts, his colleagues afterwards, super, super interesting. And when I say I talked to them, I, I was coming down for a live shot and saw them um, outside the courthouse. Uh, but they, uh, metadata is a big part of this case because uh, the DEP team had filed a motion for sanctions against the herd team. 
The jurors don't know about this, uh, but they filed a motion for sanctions because Amber Heard was supposed to produce her phone, according to this motion, for it to be extracted and for the material to be analyzed. And uh, apparently that didn't happen. Her expert did something and Depp's team is saying the metadata was corrupted. And the metadata shows you exactly uh, when a picture was taken and what's been done to it. So let's listen to a little bit of uh, De Johnny Depp's uh, forensics expert uh, testify about metadata. Mr. Neumeister, um, is this, does this photo appear to be one that you have analyzed as part of your analysis in this case? There were many versions of this photo. Um, I would say there were dozens of different versions with different chromatic values, different file sizes, different physical sizes. Some had been through Photos 1 or Photos 3, which are photo editing software uh, programs. Um, Your Honor, at this time, I'd like to um, show Mr. De Mr. Neumeister's demonstrative um, plaintiff's exhibit 1303. All right. Any other objection? I would object again, Your Honor, because the photograph in 170A is not in evidence. Right. Or, yeah, I mean, the photograph is in evidence. The none of the photographs he wishes to show the jury are in evidence. 1303 is in evidence over objection. I'm oh, not in evidence. I'm sorry. As a demonstrative. Just as a demonstrative. I'm sorry. Could we go to publish in three, please? So. And Mr. Neumeister, um, what does this demonstrative show about um, the photos that you analyzed? Well, they, they appear to be similar. However, if you look below at the file sizes, uh, one on the left is 712 kilobytes. The one in the middle is 489 kilobytes. And the one on the right is 524 kilobytes. Now, what's unusual about that is these photos will not digitally fingerprint with each other. They won't hash. In other words, forensically, they don't match. But the thing is, you could say, well, it was sent through email. Maybe it's a different size. This, the file sizes, for example, would be possibly, uh, you know, you can select the file size, you send a photo. But there's no way to authenticate any photo that was presented in the way the evidence was collected. And so what conclusions do you draw from that? Well, there's, this is just three of many of the same type of photos that are all different sizes and have different chromatic, which means color. Objection, Your Honor. We just had a ruling on this. All right. Sustained objection. Mr. Neumeister, stick to your opinions that relate specifically to what you analyzed about the EXIF data, please. All three of these photos had to go through some type of transformation to change sizes. Okay, uh, so metadata, big part of this case. So we've got a lot of questions about metadata. Michael, um, I'm going to throw this one to you. Because um, I am question. a geek, this yes, from, please send that my way. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're a geek guy, right? Okay, so this is from Blueberry Kush 420 from YouTube. Uh, question, since the metadata guy... <laughs> has proved the pictures Amber submitted were photoshopped, wouldn't that be considered illegal for submitting falsified documents? And can Amber and her team be charged? Ooh, that's an interesting question. I would say you'd have to prove to a greater degree that there was some criminal action. And, and let's face it, in, in the context of this case, it, it wouldn't mean that much. But what I think is very important is this guy's testimony will be critical to jury members who are a little geekier because others are going to glaze over. They're, gonna, they're not going to be sure what it really means. They may discount it. But if you know what it means, that a photo might have been processed to some degree to enhance the Amber Heard story, they might hold that against her. So I, I think the testimony is important if it's received properly by certain jury members. 
All right. And we've got more metadata questions coming in. Whoever knew that people would be so interested in metadata? But I think I told the viewers like a week or two ago that metadata was going to be a big deal. So uh, let's go to this is a question, Nima, from Rum. Rumbidzai Mataharwa, I think, from YouTube. Can the jury reach a verdict by the end of the day tomorrow? Yeah, it's not going to happen by the end of the day tomorrow. We've been dealing with uh, five full weeks of testimony. The conventional wisdom is for every day of testimony, you're going to need approximately one hour of deliberation time. Again, not a hard and fast rule, but that's generally what I've seen in my 20 years of practice. And here, you got claims, you got counterclaims, and you have damages, right? So there's really four questions for the jurors to answer. And plus, there's some unique instructions regarding malice and qualified privilege, a lot going on. So definitely not going to happen tomorrow. Don't get your hopes up. But going back to the metadata, just real quickly, I think Depp's team needed to have some theory of the case that the pictures were were photoshopped, which that's the direction they went in, or it was makeup, or it was filler or Botox. They need to give the jurors something to hang their hat on, why these injury pictures yeah. were fabricated. So um, I see why they did what they did here at Jeanette. And that jury could uh, start deliberating tomorrow. Uh, and uh, in order for one side to win or both sides to win or nobody to win, it has to be a unanimous verdict. Seven jurors. Uh, Michael Bryant, I think that does it for me. I'm going to send it back to you. you got to throw it a break really quickly. Thanks, Anjanette. We'll be back right after this, folks, with more on the Law and Crime Network. Stay where you are. Welcome back to the afternoon session, folks. I'm Michael Bryant. It was quite fun there to be guesting on my own show with Anjanette Levy. So, uh, yeah, that was that was a first. I guess I have to apologize for myself as being a guest on my own show for the first time. So, as you know, it is day 23. The Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial has wrapped in terms of all the presentation of evidence. Both sides had their rebuttal cases, uh, and we'll get into why that's weird. What do you mean both sides had rebuttal cases? Uh, closing arguments set up for tomorrow, 9 a.m. they'll get started. I do believe I heard the judge say today that the, uh, the judge will instruct the jury first and then have closings, which I think is the best way to go. Uh, also in Florida, it is day seven in the retrial of Catherine Magbenois. As you know, this is the case in which she's charged with her involvement in the murder for hire uh, of the FSU law professor Dan Mer uh, Markell in 2014. She took the stand this afternoon, so if you want to just pop over there, see what's happening. Uh, Law uh, Crime YouTube channel, channel B, is where you will find her testimony. Uh, again, she was the, uh, the recipient of a hung jury the first time this was tried uh, three years ago, and her co-defendant, Sigfrido Garcia, was uh, convicted at that time of the killing. She's associated with uh, setting up that murder. So. So let's talk about this Amber Heard rebuttal case, which seems kind of weird because technically she's the defendant in the primary plaintiff's case. Uh, and a lot of criminal defendants would probably love to have a rebuttal, but they can't. She's really rebutting in context of her claim, which is really like two living lawsuits at the same time, battling it out uh, in, in the uh, trial. So they had their opportunity today, the Heard team, to present her rebuttal. And guess who they called back to the stand? Mm -hmm. Amber Heard. So let's listen to her direct testimony about this whole experience. Grab your tissues. What, producer Natalie? I can't, I can't say that. Grab your tissues. Uh, let's see what this experience has done to her. Have you suffered publicly as a result of the Depp Waldman statements? Objection, speculation. Overruled. I am harassed 
humiliated, threatened every single day. Even just walking into this courtroom, sitting here in front of the world, having the worst parts of my life, things I've lived through used to humiliate me. People want to kill me and they tell me so every day. People want to put my baby in the microwave and they tell me that. Johnny threatened, promised, promised me that if I ever left him, he'd make me think of him every single day that I lived. Objection, Your Honor, non-responsive. Amber, how did Mr. Depp's statements and threats to you that you were discussing, how do those continue to manifest themselves today? In the harassment, in the humiliation, the campaign against me that's echoed every single day on social media and now in front of cameras in this room, every single day I have to relive the trauma. My hands shake, I wake up screaming, I, I have to live with the trauma and the damage done to me. My friends have to live with a set of unspoken rules about how to not scare me. Objection hearsay. Yes, sir. Unspoken rules. It's good. About how to not touch me, not to surprise me. My intimate partners have rules about how they can deal with me, how they can touch me. I have rules for doctors and medical professionals I see, gynecologists I see. I live my life with these sets of rules that I have to follow, my friends have to follow for me not to have a panic attack or a triggering event where I relive the trauma. Even if I'm training to do my movie, for instance, if I'm training for Aquaman, a combat scene and a trigger happens, I have a meltdown and have to deal with that. The, the, the crew I work with have to deal with that because of the damage I walk around with every single day from what I've lived through, from what I've survived. I'm not sitting in this courtroom snickering. I'm not sitting in this courtroom laughing, smiling, and making snide jokes. I'm not. This is horrible. This is painful. And this is humiliating for any human being to go through. And perhaps it's easy to forget that, but I'm a human being. And even though Johnny promised that I deserve this and promised he'd do this, I don't deserve this. I want to move on. So there's Amber Heard. This is her rebuttal case, really one of the last things the jury heard today as she was putting on her, uh, her, her, um, you know, her best face for the, the story she's trying to sell this jury. Uh, so I'm still here with uh, the Honorable Fernand Rucker, former judge. She is a criminal defense attorney. And Nima Romani, former federal prosecutor. Guys, um, let me just get reaction first with you, Nima. What, what do you think about this final, really one of the final things this jury heard, the testimony from Amber Heard on the rebuttal case? Michael, maybe too little too late, but Amber Heard needed to testify today. Again, it's such a strong presentation by Johnny Depp. I mean, his witnesses have been good. He himself has been one of the best I've ever seen on the stand. Very charming, charismatic, likable. Um, really, almost an A-plus performance by him. I had some questions about the text messages yesterday, but Amber Heard has... Uh, 
worst lied outright or at best exaggerated some of her injuries and um that's something that you've discussed and we've all seen i mean she's describing an attempted murder the pictures and videos don't support that but she needed something for her attorneys to argue tomorrow and i think she did a good job explaining that she's one of the most hated people in the world we handle criminal cases murder cases here all the time and she's more disliked than even people accused of homicide so I think that was good for the jurors to see. And as well as how she ended it today, Michael, she said, listen, this is why everyone supports Johnny Depp. People love to cater to rich and powerful men. I think that was an important theme she got out, something that her attorneys will argue tomorrow to explain why everyone, both in and outside the courtroom, is Team Depp. Yeah, and, and that's uh, it's, it's both um, helpful, Judge, for their team to recognize where they stand in this litigation, but uh, maybe it is a little uh, too little, too late, and, and maybe this frustration we saw from Amber Heard, maybe that was legit. That may be the most legitimate testimony she's given. Um, it, it's possible. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to sit critically and say that what I saw or what we saw in her testimony did not come across, um, at least to this watcher, as very credible. Um, Perhaps it was sincere, but the idea that she is so uh, incredibly impacted by the statement that was attributed to Johnny Depp through his lawyer is what caused all of this and not, and you know, and her having to relive this. And Johnny said that he was going to make me remember him every single day for the rest of my life. She filed a countersuit claiming that, you know, uh, he harmed her with his comments. Is, I don't know. It's just kind of hard to, to absorb. Um, I think, as you said, she needed to get on the stand. She had to in rebuttal to kind of deal with some of the strong testimony from Johnny Depp's side. But I'm just not sure how effective her presentation was today overall. Yeah, and every time I see that kind of presentation, I think back to the you know psychologist, mental health professional that diagnosed her as histrionic because that's that's kind of how it manifests itself. It's just everything is just earth shattering. Okay, so that was on direct in the rebuttal case for Amber Heard. Let's see how that uh, cross was handled by this litigant. Ms. Heard, at the beginning of your cross examination last week, I showed you an audio where you told Mr. Depp to tell the jury. Tell the judge, tell the world that he is a victim of domestic abuse. Do you remember that? That's correct. And you testified you found it hard to believe that Mr. Depp would tell the world that he's a victim of domestic abuse. Didn't you? I said I find it hard to believe that he would do that knowing that he himself had beat me up for five years. But he has told the world that he's your victim of domestic abuse, hasn't he? Well, he started to say that only recently. He didn't make that claim up until very recently. So when we signed our divorce agreement and we signed a statement saying that neither party had ever said false claims for financial gain, it was relevant and important to me because I was the only one making the accusations. I was the only one making those claims. He wasn't doing that at the time. And he signed his name to it. You didn't expect as many people to show up and testify on his behalf that did, did you? Incorrect. When you told this jury under oath that you never assaulted, actually, struck that. Sorry, Your Honor. Um, when you told this jury under oath that you punched Mr. Depp because you thought of Mr. Depp pushing Kate Moss down the stairs, you didn't expect Miss Moss to agree to testify that that never happened, did you? Incorrect. I know how many people will come out of the woodwork to be in support of Johnny. So and you think Miss Moss needs to come out of the woodwork to testify for Mr. Depp? 
Everybody who was around in the 90s and the early aughts knew that rumor. I had heard that rumor from multiple people. Of course, that's what flashed through my head when my violent husband not only swung for me, but all of a sudden swung for my sister. Of course I thought of that. I did not expect her to show up or not expect her to show up. It didn't matter. It doesn't change what I believed at the time when we were on the stairs and I thought he was going to kill my sister by pushing her down the stairs. You told this jury under oath that Mr. Depp was aggressive and trashed a trailer in Hicksville. You didn't expect the manager of the Hicksville property, Morgan Knight, to come forward and testify that that was untrue, did you? Incorrect. I've already been through trials with this man. I know how many people will come out in support of him. When you told this jury under oath that you had no idea that the paparazzi would be at the courthouse on May 27, 2016, you didn't expect a TMZ employee to show up to testify that TMZ had been alerted that you would be at the courthouse and knew exactly which side of your face to take a picture of, did you? I know how many people will come out and say whatever for him. That's his power. That's why I wrote the op-ed. Is I was speaking to that phenomenon. How many people will come out in support of him and will fall to his power? He is a very powerful man, and people love currying favor with powerful men. Currying favor know that and risking I've jail time for committing perjury. Excuse me. I didn't. I didn't hear your question. You didn't Excuse hear my me. Question. Ms. Vasquez, if you do mind, curry, please just repeat the question. I didn't hear you. Curry favor and commit perjury in this courtroom. I have seen people do this. Man? I have seen people do this time and time again. You didn't expect Ben King, the house manager in Australia, to show up from England. He flew from England to testify that Mr. Duff's fingertip was found exactly where he said it would be. Did you? I have never heard Johnny testify to knowing where his finger was or really, frankly, making a claim that he knew where it was when it was found. I've never heard Johnny claim that. You didn't expect Johnny King and Wyatt. Johnny has never Ms. actually Heard. said that. Ms. Heard. And I think the jury can, yes. Mr. there's no question pending. You didn't expect Keenan Wyatt, Mr. Depp's longtime sound technician, to show up and testify that Mr. Depp is not being fed lines through his earpieces, but instead music, did you? Not that it matters much, but of course, of course I did. I, I know how his employees treat him. So you probably, I know how his, his team treats him. Of course I expected that. Okay, so you probably expected Isaac Bruges to come and testify for Mr. Depp, right? Um, I'm not sure I thought about that. Yeah. But you didn't expect Mr. Bruch to weep, to weep for Mr. Depp after what you've put him through and so many others with your lies. I relate you? to I relate to Isaac because he and I there are the only no ones who cried on this stand. Nothing further. All right. Okay, there's uh, Camille Vasquez uh, doing her thing in the cross-examination of Amber Heard in the rebuttal case. So, uh, Fanon. You know, this is very combative, obviously. I understand that. It's a cross. It should be. And I think if I, if I do my best to take the Amber Heard side, I'm sure this whole process has been totally frustrating for her. And this is really round two, having gone through a similar scenario in the UK where she won. Um, but uh, it comes off as just a little indignant and snippy and, and um, unlikable. I think that's right. Um, you know, she was uh, very... Re uh, resistant and you know people understand that or at least get the idea that the role of attorney uh, on the other side of witness is to kind of agitate and to get them excited and to throw them off their game and to to have them uh, uh, run back on their statements but but knowing that you don't then feed into it or you prepare so that you don't come across as as angry or, you know, recalcitrant. I, I, I hate using big words. I don't really know the definition for it. But you, 
You don't want to come. You might have to help me with that one, Judge. What was that one again? (laughs) (laughs) Recalcitrant, angry, upset, and resistant. (laughs) But but so you don't want to appear that way because it does tend to turn off the trial fact, particularly jurors, as they're watching and listening to the testimony that a person is giving. Yeah, and, that, and that's a great point. And, and Nima, I guess, you know, you have to go into this scenario saying, I got to keep my cool. I know what's coming. Uh, I'm going to be challenged. I need to be, because if you look at Johnny Depp by comparison, and that's all I'm doing because they both have similar roles in this litigation, uh, he didn't lose it very often. He got a little edgy at times, but he was pretty cool and calm no matter what was going on. Oh, Michael, there's no question that Johnny Depp is a much more likable and more credible witness. But I have to, in one respect, respectfully disagree because Amber Heard's testimony last week during her case in chief was a total train wreck. I thought she was actually okay today. Uh, Camille Vasquez came after her pretty aggressively, but she was much more calm. She was much more poised. Last week, she stormed off the witness stand before the jurors even left. Today, she had pretty decent responses to the questions. For instance, she said, listen, you know, I don't want the publicity. Johnny Depp has dragged me to court twice. He's the one who wanted cameras in the court. Look, I'm not saying as an A performance by any stretch, but even a C for Amber Heard was a win today, given how bad her testimony was last week. So it's all relative, I think, is what you're saying there. So if she had not been so mm, not good last time, then this time uh, maybe it would have looked worse. So she looked better by comparison. Okay, guys, let's take a quick break here. And I want to remind folks again, uh, while we're dipping into these uh, you know, fight styles of the rich and famous, the Catherine Magdalene case is underway on our B channel on the YouTube uh, um, uh, channel there because she is testifying uh, in her own defense. Let's take a break. We'll come back more on the Adept Heard case right after this. are continuing to recap day number 23 of the Depp Heard Heard Depp uh, litigation uh, underway in Fairfax, Virginia. All the evidence is in now. The sides have rested on all fronts. We'll have closing arguments tomorrow beginning a little after 9 a.m. Should have jury instructions at first, and I, uh, I suggest you listen in on that because, as we've said before, what is the number one reason cases are overturned on appeal? jury instructions, uh, and they've already had the jury instruction conference, so we'll see how that all plays out for this jury tomorrow. So we've been listening to some of the cross-examination of Amber Heard, which did happen today in her rebuttal case, and uh, earlier with the uh, Anjanette on the Lawn part of the program, where we did a lot of Q&A, the TMZ video and the the, uh, representative, former employee of TMZ, testified about that video. Where the heck did it come from? We know it's the one that was apparently taken on her phone, sort of, kind of, a hidden camera. Uh, So who owned the copyright? Well, that would be her, most likely. But did she sell it to TMZ? Hmm. That came up on cross-examination. Let's watch. Now, the video of Mr. Depp beating up some kitchen cabinets, you admit that you took that video, correct? Yes, I did. And you acknowledge that the video was released online the day before you were deposed in connection with your divorce from Mr. Depp in August of 2016, right? I believe it was, yes. But you testified that you had absolutely nothing to do with the video's release, right? Absolutely not. And you testified that you learned about it when you landed after flying into L.A. Do you remember that testimony? Upon touchdown is when I was alerted to the video's existence You heard Mr. Tremaine testify about this video as well yesterday, didn't you? Yes, I did. And you heard Mr. Tremaine testify that TMZ received the cabinet video the same day you landed at LAX. Yes? 
I don't know if that I, I don't know if that's what his testimony was. I'm sorry. You heard Mr. Tomain testify that the cabinet video was posted 15 minutes after TMZ received it. Yes? That's what I heard him say. And that this could only have been possible if the video was received directly from the source. Yes? I heard him say that. I don't know if that's true or if that's possible. Because it didn't come from me. I Mr. was flying. Tremaine so testified. I know that's incorrect is what I mean to say. Another liar on the stand? I just know that that's incorrect. All right. And you heard Mr. Tremaine testify that TMZ owns the copyright to the cabinet video, right? That's news to me. The cabinet video you filmed of your then husband, yes? The copyright ownership of that is news to me. I learned that yesterday. It's the cabinet video that you captured of your then husband, yes? That is correct. I did capture that video, and the yes, that video, was my husband. The same cabinet video that was released the night before you were deposed in your divorce, yes? That's correct. Okay. You must have also heard Mr. Tomain testify that the version of the cabinet video that TMZ received was incomplete compared to the video the jury saw in this trial. Did you hear that? The video that the jury that you have seen is complete. Right. But the one TMZ got the day before your deposition in the divorce was incomplete. I don't know. I haven't seen it. He testified that at the beginning portion of the video where you set up the camera, that wasn't included in the video that TMC received. I don't know what video TMC received. I'm talking received. about Mr. Tremaine's testimony, Ms. Hurd. Let's just so focus on Mr. Tremaine. you're asking me to Tremaine. repeat his testimony? No, I'm asking you if you recall hearing him say those words to this jury. Yes, Under I heard his testimony. We all did. And he testified that the end of the video where you can see be seen smirking. I know you testified earlier that you haven't been smirking in this trial, but you sure were caught on camera smirking in that video. I disagree with that. Not in, was also not included in the TMZ video. Everyone can watch that video and you can determine whether you think it's funny to me or not. That's because the video came from you, right, Ms. Hurd? No, it did not. You edited that video out did the not portions. Come to me. That did come from me. Ms. Hurd, you edited out the portions that made you look bad before sending it to TMZ. You're very wrong about that. So that if I wanted to leak information, I could have bad. done it in a more effective way a lot sooner and a lot more. Because you I was exactly living how to do mountain that, right? of this evidence. If I wanted to leak it, I could have done a lot more with it. I thought you testified earlier in this trial that you didn't know how to leak things. I don't. Right. You edited that video before you gave it to TMZ so that only Mr. Depp would look bad. Yes? That's absurd. Right in the middle of your divorce proceedings. Again, you're very wrong. Okay, let's talk about this video real quick, like here. Uh, you know, I'm familiar with the TMZ process. No Harvey Levin worked with him, adjacent to him for a number of years. And I know they are not going to have the copyright to a video just nonchalantly. They're, they're locked. They know what it is. So they've, in my opinion, protected the source so that they can't taint the source of that video, which, by all logic, Nima Romani had to be Amber Heard. direction of Amber Heard and you saw Morgan Truman kind of dance that dance right talk about what TMC does generally but the clear implication was that Amber Heard leaked the video and this is one of the criticisms I have of Heard and Heard I don't know if it's narcissism I don't know if it's PR but just admit some things that you need to admit I wish she had done so in this case yeah and real quickly here in the 20 seconds Sarah Fanon what do you think about the impact of of how how uh, argumentative Miss Heard was um, I think it's going to be uh, harmful because what she would do, she would be 
uh, argumentative, and then she would turn to the jury as if to change her demeanor so that she looks more credible to the jurors instead of responding to the actual question. Yeah, I think they could have had one more rehearsal on the whole move to to the jury because it it was it's you know I got, I got whiplash following it so it's so dramatic you know I'm talking here and boom uh, anyway so we'll take a quick break here guys stay where you are very good stuff we're going to uh, get more into some of the uh, the nitty gritty of this final day of evidence in the uh, Johnny Depp Amber Heard co trials uh, we'll do that right after we come back this is Law and Crime stay right where you are.